A new session begins, a new course that we are titling The Ministry of Healing the Sick. And I think that will be very interesting and very helpful to every one of you. And we're looking forward to every session. They're going to be exciting. They're going to be full. And what we believe will happen, they're going to lift you and instill faith in you so that you can go out and help hurting people. That's what it's all about, isn't it? I think we should lay a Bible base for this course by reading together Mark chapter 16, some of the last words of Jesus. We'll read from verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye, and I like to say that means me, let's personalize the scriptures. A long time ago I learned when you read that word, treat it like God is talking to you personally. Like God wrote a letter to you. You never go wrong doing that. Traditional theology won't give it to you that way. But God's theology is now. And it's you. So he's speaking to you. Go ye immediately. We come to a tradition, yeah, go ye if ye have a great missionary call. That's not the point. Go ye into all the world. That's for all of us. And preach the gospel. That's a nice term. Paraphrased, go announce good news to every creature. So everybody out there in that world is our target. He that believeth, or she that believeth and is baptized shall be saved and he or she that believeth not shall be damned and these signs shall follow them he's and she's that believe in my name they shall cast out devils they shall speak with new tongues they shall take up serpents if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover so then after the Lord had spoken unto them, we're at verse 19 now, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth, they, the he's and the she's, they went forth and preached everywhere. And this is the good part, isn't it? The Lord working with them, with you. When you go forth, he will go with you. My wife Daisy says, practice the presence of Jesus. The Lord working with them and confirming his word with signs following. Now, we're talking about the ministry of healing the sick. Jesus never called anybody to follow him and to go out and represent him and talk to people and to preach without telling them to heal the sick. It's a remarkable fact that when he called his 12, he told them, Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead, freely you've received, freely give. He called the 70 in Luke 9 and 10, said the same thing. He called the 12 in chapter 9, it's the 12, and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases and sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, we'll be talking some about that kingdom of God later, but let me just throw in now, that simply means the domain of God, the rule of God, 
the realm of God. Well, where is this realm? In me, in you, right here where we are today in this classroom. His kingdom is in us. So we're to go preach that and to heal the sick. In verse 6 of chapter 9 in Luke, they departed and went through the towns preaching the government. The 70 in chapter 10, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city. Daisy thinks that might be husbands and wives. That's nice. That's two and two, isn't it? So if you're married, you go together. That makes two. Go get them. You can do anything together. That's the way Daisy and I have done it all of our life. So he sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. And now I like this verse 8 and 9. If you'll couple these two verses, listen to it. And into whatsoever city ye enter, verse 9, heal the sick that are therein. Now as I said, we're laying a base for the ministry of healing the sick. Remember Jesus' words. This is of paramount importance. Go, represent me, and in whatever city ye enter, heal the sick that are therein. Now, Jesus tells us in John 14, verses 12, 13, 14, verses that you perhaps already know, but let's review them. Verily, verily, we could say, this is important. We could say, Perk up now, what I'm going to say counts. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he or she that believeth on me, you ladies always say she, he or she that believeth on me, the works that I do, now Jesus speaking to you, the works that I do shall he or she do also, and greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. And whatever you shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Well, those sound like scriptures almost too good to be true. But by the time we get through this course, I am believing that a fire will burn in you and that you will have born in you the confidence, the trust, that you can take this and go out and do what it says and act on it, and God will do what he said he would do. It works that way. During this course, I'll be sharing with you, it may be later on, it may be in the next trimester, I'll be sharing with you part of our life and why we did this, what happened. I'll be giving you a few introductory remarks later on in this session, but to complete this base, I want you to hear John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. These are precious verses. We use them in our crusades all over the world. Many other signs. Now, these gospels, four gospels of the ministry, the miracles of Jesus in action. Many other signs, John said, truly did Jesus. He really did them. Truly did Jesus. No question about it. It took place in the midst of his disciples, which are not written in this book. A lot more. I'm going to be giving you during this course 
what I call the gospel according to T.L. <laughs> well, Mark wrote a gospel. Why can't I write a gospel? You're going to write a gospel. You've already been working on yours. Mark wrote about Jesus the way he saw Jesus. John told it a different way. Paul talks about writing his gospel. T.L. has a gospel. I have a story to tell about Jesus, how he's related to me. How I've followed him. I heard his call. I listened to him. I went with him. What I saw him do and how it worked. And when I stepped out like those disciples did. And wow, it worked. And so that's my gospel. So I'm going to be sharing that with you. And what I share with you will just be a little bit of what really has happened in life. So look here. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Well, actually, if you go over to chapter 21, and verse 25, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. I like that amen there. <laughs> well, that's the way it is with us. So it says here, many things he did that's not written in these books. But here, my dear student friend, is the reason why God wants this faith to come to you and this course to burn in you until you can't keep quiet about it. Why? Because these are written. These miracles are written. A lot of things happened that wasn't written, but these are written. A lot of things are going to happen in your life that you'll never be able to tell. But everything that happens will take place. Why? Same reason these are written. That the people that listen might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, they might have life through his name. Now, in a Christian country, that's sort of difficult to take in because like when I went to India as a young man, I thought anybody believed the Bible. I thought anybody would, if I'd tell them about Jesus, would believe on him. Well, I found out, yeah, they knew about him. He was a nice guy, sort of a healer, but didn't believe he was the son of God. And they didn't believe in life through his name. They didn't believe he was born of a virgin. Okay, these miracles, see, and they will take place in your life if your heart is open. Don't be vindicative. Don't be argumentative. Dr. F.F. F. Bosworth, a great man of God, I remember many years ago I'd hear him say, and perhaps you've seen his book, you know about his book, Christ the Healer, a great classic. He used to say, when you hear the promises, open yourself and just take them in and say, yes, wow. No, he didn't say, wow, I said that. That's wonderful. I accept that. I believe that. That's true. Mm-hmm. Good. Me too, Lord. Okay. You see what I mean? If you'll take it in as I give it to you, as an instrument of God, Jesus and his truth will flow out to you and you'll become a master. A master over devils, a master over diseases, a master at winning souls, a master at convincing people that this gospel we preach is a living reality. Now, I hope that gives you just a little base. Now, the textbook that we're using 
for this course on the ministry of healing the sick is this beautiful book, Healing the Sick, a living classic. And I'm sure that when we get through these pages, you're going to be changed forever. You might say, well, Dr. Osborne, I'm not interested in being a healer. Well, I'm not either, but Jesus is. He is a healer. God is. God is a healer. We'll be studying about that. I am Jehovah, your physician. Okay, you stop and think about it. God reveals himself by seven redemptive names. Righteousness, deliverer, victor, your peace. Seven different names. One of them, physician. You see, in our ministry, we represent him. He must flow through us. And we don't choose what part of his nature we want the people to have access to through us. We want to be total channels for God to pour through us all of his virtue. That doesn't oblige you to be a healer. He'll handle that. You won't have to worry. The people will do the believing. God will do the healing. You do the telling. He never asks us to do what we can't do. We do our part, he'll do his part. And so, this book, Healing the Sick, will be our textbook. And I want you to know that I wrote this in 1949 and 1950. Now that's before most of you were born. That's a long time ago. I was young, but the Spirit of the Lord was upon me. And I had been to India as a young missionary. And that marked me because I couldn't convince those Hindus and Muslims that the Bible was true. Well, once that happens to you, it's a shock. I was sincere, or my wife and I, young people with our little 10-month-old baby, wouldn't take off to the other side of the world if you weren't very sincere. But we couldn't cope with the problems. So we came home. Well, that really marked me. I believed in healing. We prayed for the sick every Friday night in our meetings before we went to India. It's funny. <laughs> we never thought of praying for the sick on Thursday night. <laughs> it had to be Friday night. We had God fixed up in a nice little cookie cutter that fit Friday night. That's what tradition does to you. Indoctrinization does that to you. It cuts off your thinker. Don't ever let your thinker die. I'm bewildered. I never thought of praying for the sick on Thursday night. It had to be Friday night. Everybody did it on Friday night in those days. But of course, practically no results. So we went to India. We couldn't make that work. We came home. It so marked me that we fasted and prayed and said, Lord, you've got to show us the answer. Well, when you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you get filled. I believe you're in this class today because you're hungry. You want something. Now, don't limit what you want. I've just written a new book. Go for it. Get the best out of life. One of the sections of the seven sections in it is on the principle of desire. Desire the best.
plan mediocrity. Plan to go to the top and let God give you the ministry. I'm sorry, I'm going to rephrase that. Let God pour through you his ministry of healing the sick. I hear people talk about God give them a certain ministry. I always kind of put my tongue in the jaw and smile. God don't give you any ministry. God is the ministry. We are the channel. That's like a pipe bragging about, I've got water. A pipe is a channel. The water flows through. I don't want a segmented ministry. I don't want a specialty. I want God at work in me. I don't know who I'm going to meet. Maybe some demoniac. Maybe a leper. Am I going to say, I don't have the ministry of healing lepers? You bet your life I have the ministry of healing lepers. Here's someone that needs a word of knowledge. Well, God doesn't use me in the word of knowledge. I'm never going to say that. I've had the most stupendous things come floating out of heaven. You know all about a person. You see, my point is, God doesn't want any of us to say, now, this class on the ministry of healing the sick, well, I'm not interested in that. All of us, there's just one calling. Someone said, I'm called to do this, I'm called to do that, I'm called to go here, I'm called to the poor, I'm called to the rich, I'm called to the ghettos, oh, I'm called to the mission field, I'm called to India. Well, I don't want to say nonsense because God does speak to many people and give them distinct impressions and visions and even callings, voices, beautiful. But that doesn't mean that that's the rule. We all have one call. What's that call? Follow me. Who? Jesus. What does he say? I will make you. Period. How do you like that? Follow him. That's our call. I will make you what? What does a grapevine make? What does a wheat stalk make? A wheat can't make anything but wheat. A grapevine can't make anything but grapes. And Jesus can't make anything but Jesus, men and women. Follow me. I will make you like me. And you can do anything I do. If you believe in me, the works that I do shall you do. Greater things. We are all called to follow Jesus. Who cares whether we're preachers or evangelists or apostles or prophets or witnesses or confessors or tellers or whispers or yellers? Who cares? We are all ministers of Jesus through us to reach the world. And so, that's what will be happening to you. Now, we wrote this in 1949 and 50, during our earliest meetings, but the Spirit of God was on me so much, I wrote, and all of these years, I have refused to edit it and change it. Finally, Harrison House, 
uh, headquartered at Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Harrison House Publishers, I think they call it, now publish this book. And they call it a living classic because it stood the test. My friend, when this gets in you, you're going to stand the test too. You'll be a living classic. An undated miracle worker, a healer, a ministry of healing the sick. Now, among the tens of thousands of people who have been miraculously healed by our Lord in our ministry in nearly 70 different countries for, as of today, over three decades, did you know only a small portion of those were prayed for individually? Most of them were healed by hearing the truth and getting faith because we know what the Bible says in Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when I share with you in these classes, you will be impregnated with God's faith. It'll come to life. It'll live in you. And then tabulate in your mind and tabulate in these studies what I'm teaching you if today, in this first session, if you're not gung-ho and ready to go and feeling like, boy, I can go out and help the sick recover, you will. It'll happen to you. Oh, it won't happen to all of you. Some of you won't desire it. If you don't desire it, God's very polite. He won't impose it on you. But that's why I hope to motivate you if you can see it's just the Jesus ministry. He wants everybody to help people. A doctor that doesn't even claim to be saved, doesn't claim to know anything about the love of God, he's dedicated enough to feel sorry for sick people. Oh, you say he's in it for the money. No, I wouldn't say that. Doctors live a very sacrificial life. They study hard. They miss a lot of their young married life. They're away from home. They miss a lot of raising their children, going to the parks with them, because they're public domain. See, a doctor, without talking about the love of God, goes out here and dedicates his life to help sick people. I say we as a Christian, especially someone studying to be in the ministry, the least we can do is say, okay, God, if you provided it, I'll let you pass it through me to the people. If we didn't heal the sick, we wouldn't have as much of a heart for sick people as a doctor. So what are we blowing about? Loving people. Do you get the point? So I'm praying that you will become impregnated with this whole healing ministry. Now, healing is not the whole ministry. This course is on the ministry of healing the sick. Next year, we'll be giving you another course on another subject and you're studying other courses now the ministry is far broader than healing but all ministries include healing let God pour his healing love into you purpose to be part of his healing ministry now when we first published this I had no idea that it would go to the world and do what it's done a lot of times people come to our meetings and never get healed. And we'll get them to take that and go home and read it. And they go home and get healed while they're reading it. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Truth delivers people. 
A deaf man came to me one time. I prayed. I perceived that he wasn't ready for prayer. I don't like to pray for people until they're ready. That's a good practice to follow. A while ago, I started to say, tabulate what you learn that turns you on. Then, when you go out and preach to people, don't forget, give them the benefit of those truths. Don't just run out and get your hands on people and start praying for people. God can never use you like that. The greatest mistake that's made in dealing with sick people is praying courtesy prayers or praying prayers for people before they're ready. They'll come and say, pray for me quick. I got to catch the next plane out. I haven't got time to stay. And the preacher prays for them. That's dumb. Nobody rushes into the doctor's office and say, my plane leaves in three hours. Heal me quick. I got to go. Well, you've got to stay and we've got to prepare you. No, 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 I haven't got time for that. You said you're the doctor, cure me quick. But they do a preacher that way, and preachers fall right into that trap. If people haven't got time to be healed, well, we want to help them, but it's people's decision that determines everything. So if you're not turned on now, but you're going to be when this course is over, give the people the benefit of the same things that turn you on. Never lose your patience in sharing with people the ABCs that build faith. Then you'll get results every time. You see, God's word cannot fail. Will good seed fail to grow if you put it in good soil? Impossible. God's word is seed. It's impossible for it to fail. I always say, it's never a question of whether or not God will heal people. The only question is, can I get their attention long enough to share with them enough of the truth in the Bible to create faith in them? Then I can walk off and leave town and they'll hatch off and get well. That's just as true as two and two make four or the law of gravity causes a rock to drop every time you turn it loose. God's word never changes. Now, see, as a base today, in the ministry, as God pours this into you, the great part of the healing ministry is not praying for people. That's the least important thing we do. In fact, I could prove to the world, I don't because of tradition, but I could prove to the world that I would never have to pray another prayer for healing for anybody. And all the sick people that come around me and listen to me long enough would hatch off and get well, and I would never have to pray a prayer for them. You say that contradicts the Bible. Prayer of faith shall save the sick, the Lord shall raise him up. Sure, you can pray for the sick. It's scriptural prayer for the sick. That wasn't what I said. I said, I could prove to the world you would never have to pray for anybody sick. They could all get well without you ever praying a prayer. If they would listen to the truth, think on it, absorb it, agree with it, praise the Lord and thank him for it, they just get well. Now, back to what I was saying. Most of the people that have gotten healed through our ministry. And our ministry has spanned over three decades of ministering to the sick. Masses of them, in fact, our crowds for 33 years, have practically never been under 15,000. From that up to 
20, 30, 40, 50,000 regularly, all the time, all the time. And from that, many meetings, up to 75,000, 100,000, 200,000, 250,000 governments and newspapers have said 500,000. There weren't that many, but that's a lot of people. Always, always, in almost 70 countries, all over the world, before practically every major religion and culture in the world, we've stood and taught just like I'm teaching you, just the simple truths of the Bible. And we've never seen a crusade fail. Never, never. They've always been the same. Because we never depend on the prayers. We never depend on, quote, the power, I mean, the feeling. We always depend on the word. The word of faith is the seed of faith. The seed of faith is the seed of God. The seed of God is what God is. And when it's planted in us in the form of his promises, that puts God in that form in people. And they hatch off and become that form of God. God is health. The healing scriptures are the seeds of God's health. When they're planted, people become healthy. I hope I can get that across to you. I'm sharing these from the introduction in this book. Page 9. A deaf man come, I started to say, and I prayed for him. Nothing happened. See, we're courteous. If we're preachers, we're courteous. So we like to help people. You've got to build on a foundation. You've got to do it God's way. Oh, there are exceptions because I learned a long time ago, God is merciful. You know what mercy means? Undeserved favor. You know what mercy means? What you don't deserve. Justice, justice, what you deserve. Mercy, what you don't deserve. So people, anytime you preach the gospel, people are going to get what they don't deserve. God's going to break all the rules for people. That's why life and ministry is full of surprises. But then I don't like to bank on these exceptional cases. I like to go by the rule, then God, he does his thing. Anyhow, nobody's going to stop him. The rule is, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Sow the seed, share with people, teach them the truth, that seed in them will grow and they'll get healed before you ever pray for them if you will teach them what I'm going to be sharing in this class. I promise it. There's going to be a lot of people come across your path that they're going to violate every rule. They're going to come in and get blessed and get healed and it's going to shock you and you didn't get a chance to teach them. Wonderful! Those are exceptional cases. Don't build your ministry on those exceptional cases. Build your life on the rule. So this guy, he didn't get a thing. I talked to him through his interpreter on his hands, and I handed him the book. And I said, now you go home and you read that book. He was educated. He'd gotten an education, could read. I said, you read that book, and that book is me talking to you, preaching to you. God is with me in that book. And when you read it, God is going to be there. And everything you read, God's right there to do it. 
You read it until faith comes into your heart. See what bothered me? I prayed for him. Nothing happened. He went down, and I saw him bend over a chair and cry and sob. That got me. You say, well, why didn't you just tick over and drive the devil out of it? Well, I think a believer could do that. But I was moved to do it this other way. I believe we've got power over the devil, and that'll be in the course. That's going to be an important part of the course. But I felt to do this other thing, so I told him, read it. And as you read it, Jesus will be there because he's in truth. And they was interpreting all this to him. He came back two nights later, the most jubilant fellow. His ears were as clear as a baby's. Nobody prayed for him. He read that, and he said, as I was reading, and the truth got clearer and clearer, he said it was like two corks popped out of my head. That deaf demon left him. Devils can't stand truth. They know truth. Now that's been my experience all through life. Psalms 107, verse 20. I'm on page 9 of this book. God sent his word, and it healed them. Well, that's the same thing as to say a farmer planted his seed, and it produced his harvest. No mystery about that. That's the only way God can heal people, send his word and heal them. That's the rule. Mercy, compassion, forget it. <laughs> God will break all the rules. Don't you love him for that? We preachers harness him up and try to get him rigid and fit within our lines, and then, whoops, here he'll come and do something that we never planned on at all. <laughs> I prayed for deaf people. Whoops, a leper got healed. Yeah, I did it. I prayed for a woman. She had a cancer in her womb. I thought she had migraine headaches. I prayed for the migraine headaches. The cancer in her womb left. God does his thing. We're not so hot. He's hot. <laughs> you see what I mean? In other words, a farmer might go out here and pray and fast and get some wheat to grow on the ground that he hadn't planted any wheat on. I never heard of it, but I mean, with God, all things are possible. If a fellow come to me and said, bless God, Brother Osborne, God moved on me to do it, I wouldn't discourage him. I'd say, go to it. But the rule is, you plant wheat if you want wheat. And so I've always felt one way I know I can get to where I'm going is to go by the rule. Give the word. Lay it on people. Never lose my patience in explaining the simple ways of healing and the promises and God's principles that this course will encompass. Then I can be sure of results. And that's what we want to happen to you. Why did God choose you to be part of it? Say to yourself, because God is going to use me. God ordained that I get in on this. The first class T.L. Osborne has ever taught in America or anywhere else in a systematic way. I mean, to put it where people can sit down and go through a whole course the first time. And here you are. Look, I've been at this since I was a boy. All over the world. Written many books on healing. This is the classic. It stood the years, the test. And now here we come and here God caused you to be in on this. God has you marked. Be receptive to that.
Don't say, now hold it, Osborne, hold it, hold it, Dr. Osborne. Don't come on like that. I don't want no preaching. I'm here. Be open to it. It's a wonderful thing to help hurting people. You are born to be a healer. You are born to carry the ministry of healing the sick, to channel it to hurting people. And it's a wonderful life. So Psalms 107.20 said he sent his word and it healed them. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Does that include you? Yep. So, today, God has chosen you for the ministry of healing. The gospel is the power of God when it's believed. Every promise of God, bottom paragraph, page 9, every promise of God is indwelt by the power of God equal to produce what it promises when it is believed and acted upon. Proverbs 4.22 God's promises are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Now in the next session I'm going to share with you some ideas of why we can believe the Bible. I think it will be very helpful to you and you're going to be turned on because this book is what we are basing everything on. Now, across the world, God has confirmed his word wherever we've gone, and he's going to do it for you wherever you go. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Make this your goal. I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. Isn't that a nice statement? For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now as we get into healing and redemption, you're going to see that's where the power is. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. You know, we're not such hot stuff on our own. And my speech, my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of, you know what that is? Power. Why? So that your faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Mark 16, 20, as I read, they went forth and preached. We went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with us, confirming his word with signs following. That will come to pass in you. We're going to have a terrific time together. And I look forward to the next session. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I bless you. And I pray that Jesus Christ will be born afresh in you in the ministry of healing. Last week, we began this course by giving you a scriptural base for the ministry of healing, and we wanted to just explain three basics. Let me just recap quickly for you. Number one, that our textbook, Healing the Sick, published by Harrison House in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 
has been called a living classic. And I'm sure they call it that because it stood the test. We wrote it back in 1949 and 1950. And it's remained practically unedited all of these years. God's Spirit was on us in such a wonderful way as these truths became fresh to us that we felt to leave it like it was written when it was fresh from God. You know, there's nothing as beautiful as truth when it's fresh to you. And I appealed to you last week, as you exercise your minister of healing, never forget to give the people to whom you minister the same courtesy that God is giving you. Share with them the truths that have turned you on. You can't expect to just go out blasé and start praying for people and helping people. You must bring them step by step, bring them over the truths that have brought you to faith, and then you'll have success. And that's what God wants. Now, the other thing that I shared in our opening session was just a few remarks about our own self, who we are, sharing with you in this class for over 33 years, see. We've gone all over the world ministering to the masses of people in almost 70 different countries, preaching to the masses. And it's possible that Daisy, my wife, and I have witnessed in our meetings more great healing miracles than any couple on earth who ever lived. I don't say that to brag. It would have happened to you if you'd have been where we were. God did it. It's his truth that does it. Someone says, oh, you must have terrific faith. Oh, what great faith. No, that's not the point at all. We just had the privilege of sharing the truth of God's word with so many hurting people. If you planted a lot of wheat on a lot of big fields and produced a lot of big harvests, be kind of silly for people to come up and say, Oh, Mr. Farmer, you have such great faith in wheat seed. He'd say, Nonsense. I just planted lots of it in lots of ground. I believe God does big business. So Daisy and I have been privileged to just plant a lot of the word in a lot of people. Now, last week we shared with you the introductory page nine of this book plus some basics of Scripture. Today, I want to give you, still forming our foundation for this study, I want to give you some reasons why we can believe the Bible and act on it. I was very fortunate to have grown up in the home where the Bible was respected, revered, really. My people were not church-going people, but there was something about what my father taught us. We were 13 children on a farm in Oklahoma, poor. My father taught us. Some way, I say he taught us, I never heard him say it. But there was something in the atmosphere of our home that I grew up believing that if it was said in the Bible, it was true. And I thank God for that because today, young people are not growing up in that ambiance. So it's my prayer that I'll be able to give you 
enough testimony corroborating the scriptures that we share with you in this course that you will gain a faith in the Word of God. Now, as I say, this is introductory yet. Next week, we'll be getting into the meat of this book. But I want to share five basic non-theological reasons for believing the Bible. You say, why non-theological? Because, to be real frank, I'm just not very interested in theology or theologians. You say, well, any preacher's theologian. Yeah, in a sense. In the sense that I mean it, though, someone that's always nitpicking on the commas and the periods and crossing the T's and dotting the I's of what was said in the 16th century translation of the English version of the Bible, that just doesn't interest me very much. I'm interested in the essence of truth. In other words, as my wife Daisy puts it, know God, know your father's character, and nobody can lie to you about him. They may tell you all sorts of things about God, but when you find out how good God is, a lot of this stuff that's being fed to people today, you'll turn it off easy. You'll say, I know my father better than that. Come along and tell you healing's not for everybody. You know, sickness is God's blessing and it'll teach you things and all this holy stuff about healing. And you'll say, my father don't work that way. So the essence of truth is what I'm interested in. I want to share with you some ideas along that line to really, really go out there and succeed in life with God. You got to have faith. Hebrews 11, verse 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear, and so forth. Verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe two things, that God is and that God's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So I want to spend my life urging people to seek the Lord and I want to give them the promises of God so they can base their faith on it. And once they believe God is, and then they know what God says, and then they will act on what God says, then you're in business with God in big kingdom business. So to go out there and succeed, you must have faith in his word. In the Bible, as the inspired word of God. Now, these five points that I want to share with you, it's sort of strange for me to say in this Bible institute, Bible training, that I would open it with five non-theological points that I am not going to take a bunch of scriptures and corroborate. But the reason I'm going to do it, we're going to be dealing with scriptures all the way through, but I want you to think. And the Lord impressed me to share these. You know, God give us common sense. And a lot of people get their brain full with a lot of indoctrinization that doesn't make sense. God's pretty smart. He's no dummy. He made me. I'm pretty sharp. 
He's a heap sharper than me. Are you? He makes sense. Now think about this a little bit. This may help you, many of you, in a very personal way. Back behind the facade, this may help you overcome some lingering questions. How do I really know? But if not you, take good notes on it because it'll help you help multitudes of people out there that are grappling with these simple basic questions. You go out there and preach, you take that Bible. You can't go out there and start shouting that Bible at them. Someone's going to say to you what those Hindus and Muslims said to me in India. We don't believe that. When they said that to me as a young missionary in India, I come unglued. I said, well, you mean you don't believe that? I thought any dummy knew the Bible was the Word of God. Well, a few decades ago, a few years ago, practically everybody in America believed the Bible was the Word of God, but not today. In your country, where you're at, right here, not today. And when you go out there, we got to have something to get people to believe this. Of course, that's miracles. And that's what we're going to learn. But we've got to have a deep inner conviction that what we're giving the world is solid. So that's why I share some of these things with you. I was inspired to lay them out for ordinary people. I'm not interested in trying to convince a theologian of anything. God bless all the theologians. Not mad at anybody. But I mean, once a person makes up his mind about things, I haven't got patience to try to change him. I want him to be happy if he likes it. Let him like it. But if you're young and not indoctrinated and not set in your ways, then these things are going to encourage you. You know, religion is mean. You can't rationalize with religion. Christ raised Lazarus from the dead. And the religious people, four days he had been dead. The religious people said, let's kill him. Let's kill Jesus. We got to kill him. The Bible says they took counsel to kill him. Can you believe that? That's religion. Religion can be mean. It always has been bitter, vindictive. Their control over the minds of the people was more important than the wonder of a man that was rotting. And Jesus raised him from the dead. There he was. You'd have thought anybody would have said, Oh, the wonder of God. Not theologians. That don't mean ever theologians like that. Not religion, I should say. You understand religion. I always use the word religion. In my mind, I have quotes around it. <laughs> I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm not talking about the Jesus land. I'm talking about rules and ceremonies and indoctrinization and regimentation and rituals. They took counsel to kill him. That tell you anything? Now, don't be surprised when you go out and religionists get all over you. Don't fight back. Keep loving and keep on raising people from the dead. Just keep on going. They got a problem, it's their problem. You're happy. You haven't got a problem. You'll never convince them. Don't spend your time trying to convince them. Go on and do your thing. Love and help people. So these five points 
will only help you if you want to believe the Bible is true. And isn't that terrific for you to be there? And you want, you're yearning. And boy, you're going to get it. Number one, I believe the Bible is true because of its own contents. It's an impeccable record of history, prophecy, government, poetry, wisdom, law, counsel, principle, and faith. It's so wholesome. It's been tested for 19 centuries. History has no record of any person or society who ever attempted to improve it. Not a shred of archaeological evidence has yet contradicted it, but only put to shame those who have ridiculed it. The more I read it, the more I believe it. Scientists who doubt it cannot prove its error. To the contrary, every new scientific discovery was already corroborated by the Bible. It had it before they found it. And every new thing we discover is already there. Scientists have made innumerable errors. It's sort of humorous when you think about it. Until a few hundred years ago, they believed that the earth was flat. Argued it. Well, it's not, is it? <laughs> they could be wrong again about some things. But the Bible's not wrong. As late as 1890, a great technician was heard to say, a mechanical technician, he was heard to say, common sense tells you that if a car is built to travel 50 miles an hour, the driver wouldn't be able to get his breath. <laughs> as late as 1890, that's not long ago. Not very long ago. Did you hear? Not very long ago. High blood pressure was treated by draining your blood. You got the pressure up, you let the blood out. First Peter 1.25 But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you and to them that you're going to preach to and minister to. Okay, now that's very simple. That's non-theological. I said, I believe the Bible because of its contents. It just works. Nobody's ever proven it wrong. It just works. Number two, I believe the Bible's true because of the witness of the martyrs. Now think about that for a few moments in a very practical sense. Men and governments have repeatedly sought to annihilate faith in God. Christians have been persecuted mercilessly, tortured ruthlessly. Bibles have been burned. Its messengers have been stoned, boiled in oil, sawn asunder. They've killed its prophets, murdered its followers. You can read Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 38. 
You get a pretty good picture there, part of it. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Revelation 6, 9 has some more to say about that. Those who gave their lives for Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin that so easily besets us. Run with patience the race that's set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. A witness of the martyrs. They did it. They looked unto him until they gave their lives so that you and I might have handed down to us the gospel. This multitude of witnesses who've died for their testimony of Jesus Christ all held to their principle of love. This impresses me so much. They never retaliated. They never became vengeful. They never rendered evil for good. They never wished calamity for their persecutors. Isn't that amazing? They lived and died in love. Revelations 12, 11, they loved not their lives unto death. They believed the words of Jesus. Now think about this. I say, I believe the Bible because of the witness of the martyrs. Think of the millions of them. They died for it, and they were the best people of their generations. The honorable people, the good people. They weren't the scum. They were the intelligent people, the people that you could count on. And they gave their lives. They died. What would that many top remarkable people with great honor and dignity with that many people, thinking people, die for some silly superstition? It don't make sense. They believe the words of Jesus. John 13, 34, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 13, 16 says, the servant is not greater than his Lord. 1 John 3, 16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, for others. John 15, 13, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life, or a woman lay down her life, for his or her friends. Now, this is very simple. When such a multitude of people have laid down their lives in love for their testimony of the gospel, I frankly am very impressed. I would feel like a dummy not to be impressed by that. After all, what is life? You're taking people's word for things all along. What you go to school for? What you study for? Taking somebody's word for it. You're going to be a scientific laboratory technician, run through life and prove everything. You're doing things all the time that you're not proven. I repeat, 
when such a company, such a multitude of good, sensible people lay down their life for this testimony of Jesus Christ, I am impressed. And I say, you know, I think that would be the finest crowd to imitate. Suppose they're wrong. Am I a fool for following them? I'll live in dignity and honesty. I'll do good. I'll help people. Can love poison people? I'd rather be on that side even if we were wrong. But we're not wrong. It's more than a political, religious case. It has to be something of profound reality, this Jesus thing. Otherwise, so many people wouldn't have taken it. The third reason I believe the Bible's true, non-theological reason, just a simple reason, is because of those who taught the Bible to me. Now, you stop and think about that. That's a very good reason for believing the Bible. They were among the finest people in our community. If you're going to believe somebody, who are you going to believe? The riffraff? I don't make sense. I believe the Bible because of the people who taught it to me. I think that's a good reason. I get excited about it. They were not the rapists, the sex perverts, the rioters, the defrauders. They were not the ones who failed to pay their debts, who were dishonest in business. They weren't the ones that revolted or destroyed property. They were the peaceful, good, and loving people in the community, the backbone of the whole society. Isn't that terrific? I could trust them. If I couldn't trust them, who in the world am I going to trust? I believe I can trust them. If you can't trust good people, you're in trouble. But we need to reflect on that when you start asking yourself, is anything to God? What about all the good, smart, intelligent, fine, principled, dignified, honorable men and women that I believe in God? Tell me they were fools. Tell me they weren't as smart as you. They didn't figure it out and you did. That's hard for me to believe. That's hard for me to believe about me. I like their word. I like their life. They've got a reputation. They laid it on the line. They made it work. They built good lives. They built institutions. They were the strength of the community. I think you can bank on them. They knew how to run businesses. They knew how to make a living. They knew how to keep a family together. And they believed in God. They believed the Bible. They revered it. Suits me. I like it. I hope it makes an impression on you. They would rather die. Those kind of people would rather die than deceive anybody. They just wouldn't do it. Honorable. Honest. They wanted only my good. They didn't want anything to happen to Tommy Osborne, but good. Would they have led me on the wrong road? Never. They were the builders, not the destroyers. They were the hard workers, not the lazy riffraff. Their homes, their lives were clean and pure and loving. There was dignity you go in their house. Oh, I like that. All of that impresses me. They believed the Bible. 
They lived by its sacred principles. I could trust them. The fruit of their lives was what I wanted. I got it. I followed them. I believed it. It works. My life's that way. A good life. You can trace our steps back to our beginnings. There's not a debt we ever left unpaid anywhere. Anybody that we ever were conscious of ever having done wrong, we've been back, we've licked our tracks, we've cleaned our steps, we've asked forgiveness. The way's clear back there. You know, it's nice to be honest. You don't have to remember what you said. Things are okay back there. You can check up on any of them. You won't find any bad tracks back there. You can trust people like that. You want another reason? The fourth reason I believe the Bible is true. Non-theological. I'm not giving you Bible for this. I want to get you to thinking. If I can get you to thinking, we're going to have fun. <laughs> the fourth reason that I believe the Bible is true is because of the life of Christ. Jesus Christ was a good man. Suppose, maybe not you, but your crowd, the one you go to reach. Let's assume that we're not talking about him, the divine son of God. We're not talking about his divinity. We're not talking about all this. We're talking about a non-theological reason to believe the Bible. Jesus, as a historic character that lived. You don't have to read the Bible to know a man called Jesus of Nazareth lived. Roman history tells us all about that. He lived. He's a person in history. See? So now, that man that lived... Like Josephus lived, or Aristotle lived, or any reputed character in history. This is the man I'm talking about. The man called Jesus. He was a good man. He was kind and loving. He was a man of peace. A man of good works. He cared for people. He engaged in a constant life crusade to help people find joy and happiness and peace and health and success. That's a lovely person that'll do that. If he isn't divine, I'm profoundly impressed by him. But now I'm looking at him. He advocated principles that are cornerstones of the best and most free societies in history. Jesus did it. He never hated or envied. He never demonstrated revenge or judgment. He loved and healed and helped and encouraged. He identified with those who had no friends. He cured the untouchables and the impossible cases. He loved the most unlovely and blessed the most unworthy. You can't beat that. That's a track record. His rules of life were the most challenging of any leader who ever lived. Luke 6, 31. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Four times the Gospels record Christ's words Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You'll find that in Matthew 22, 39. He said in the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You'll find it in Mark chapter 12, verses 31 to 33. 
The second is the same, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these, Jesus said. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Beautiful, isn't it? Again and again he repeated it. Paul repeated those same terms twice in his letters. Romans 13 and verse 4. And then in Galatians chapter 5 verse 14. And all of them were re-quoting the words of Moses in Leviticus 19 verse 18. You know, Moses said, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Jesus said do that. A beautiful principle. No leader ever lived by a set of such high and noble principles as this man Jesus. He said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 to 45. Do good to them that hate you. Isn't that terrific? This impresses me. Are you thinking? You see, we can be blase about all this. Just pass it off. Say, oh, I don't believe the Bible. Hold it. This guy, Jesus, terrific thinker. I'm profoundly impressed by him. Do good to those that hate you. Boy, that's a revolutionary way of life. I love it. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. He told us our Father was in heaven. He believed in that. Nobody ever caught him in a lie. I think you can trust him. I believe the Bible because of the life of Jesus. Listen, Jesus believed the Scriptures. So, I'm so impressed by Jesus, I say, I do too. Because this was a very smart man. He quoted them as being the absolute Word of God. He lived by them. He taught them. He proved them. He made them work. And he was such a good man, an honest man, without guile or deceit. I can trust him more than any other teacher I ever knew. That impresses me. When he healed lepers and sick people and raised the dead, they tried to kill him. I don't know why. What would you want to kill a guy for doing that for? <laughs> when cripples walked, they accused him of curing them by the devil's power. Who ever heard of the devil doing something good to people? It don't make sense. It don't make sense. <laughs> when he helped people in need, they plotted his destruction. And even today, in many areas of our world, those who do not believe the Bible are often vehement, violent, ruthless against the Christian faith. They seem to hate simple, childlike faith and wish its destruction. As though the peace and love and healing influence of Jesus might obstruct their own influence on society. They're still doing it. They've killed millions in China, other countries. I don't understand it. Finally, opposers 
and haters of the Jesus life told so many lies about him and laid so many plots to destroy him and harangued him and harangued the government about him so relentlessly that they finally succeeded in getting license to kill him and get rid of him. Boy, what a service. How can the devil be that mean? Why does unbelief hate faith so much? Now, we can't become reactionary to that. We just love them and go on and have faith. Throughout the cruel process of his trial and before the myriad false accusations against him, he never retaliated, never became harsh or unkind. In his dying moments, Luke 23, 34 says he prayed for their forgiveness. Isn't that beautiful? Pilate said in Luke 23, verse 4, I find no fault in him. Friends, in this class, I don't either. I can't either. Can you? I believe in him. I can trust him. I can trust what he says. Jesus said that people err not knowing the scriptures. Mark 14 says the scriptures must be fulfilled. Jesus said that. Luke 24, 27, the Bible says, He expounded unto them all the scriptures. Luke 24, verse 32 and verse 45, He opened to the people the scriptures that they might understand the scriptures. He believed the scriptures. He was so good, I think he was right. John 5, 39, Jesus said, search the scriptures. I hope this helps you say, hey, we can trust this book. Jesus did, and he was good. All them other good people did. We can trust them. I got to follow them or some idiot over here, some dummy, some infidel, some rebel, some rioter, some destroyer. What's my choice? My option, my priority Follow the man that made life succeed, and you'll go to the top. <laughs> Jesus, in Mark 12, verse 10, Jesus asked the religious teachers if they had not read the scriptures. That was his basis. When he did miracles and taught, he said several places. John 13, verse 18, he said it. John 17, verse 12, he said it. John 19, verse 24, 28 and 36, he said, he said that the scriptures might be fulfilled. He believed the scriptures. Ninety times in the New Testament, there are admonitions for us to believe what is written because it's God's word and it'll come to pass. You get that? Ninety times in the New Testament. Jesus proved the scriptures. He proved them. His life, his birth, his death, his resurrection, as well as his teachings and his miracles were foretold in detail hundreds of years earlier in the scriptures. And it came to pass. I can trust that. All that Christ did proved that the scriptures were God's word, God's promises, and that if anyone would trust them and rely upon them, God would fulfill them, which is a very good common sense reason for believing the Bible, especially when weighed against 
the confusion, the changing conclusions, and the endless quandary of those who reject the Bible. They're changing all the time. You can't follow them. They don't know where they're going. We do. Common sense influences me to trust a man like Jesus and to trust the good, solid pillars of every generation since Christ. Yes, good sense causes me to believe the Bible. I believe the Bible is true because of what happened after the crucifixion. That is very impressive. It begins to get interesting. Acts 1 and 3. After his passion, he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Wow, that gets good, doesn't it? Proofs. That's strong language. The English Living Bible says he appeared from time to time actually alive and proved to them in many ways that it was really he himself they were seeing. <laughs> Isn't that nice? I love that. And the guys that told us they saw him, are we going to call them liars? No. They saw him. They touched him. They talked with him. They watched him eat bread and fish. They examined the scars of the nails and of the spear in his hands and feet and side. They did all of this after he rose from the dead. And his good, reliable people that told us these stories. You can bank on them. Stephen, being cruelly stoned to death for his testimony of Jesus, saw him alive. Saul of Tarsus, the ruthless persecutor of the early Christians who hated their faith with an insatiable lust to kill and destroy them, saw the Lord. Cephas saw him. All the twelve that were chosen, they saw him. Five hundred people saw him at one time. You can read all that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5 to 7. You can read Paul's case in Acts chapter 9, verses 2 to 8. And he witnessed before the king in chapter 26, verses 13 to 15, and tells it again. It would be unreasonable that they would all lie. Their lives were reputed for impeccable honesty and uprightness of character. Throughout the 19 centuries that have passed since Christ arose from the dead, an innumerable host of witnesses have recorded their testimonies that the Lord has appeared to them. They saw him alive. Great volumes of books would be required to contain the appearances of Christ. In practically every crusade we've ever conducted, he's appeared. He came in my room. I saw him. I'm honest. T.L. Osborne from Tulsa, Oklahoma, reputed. I don't lie. I'm alive. He came in my room. You can trust him. He believed the Bible. He believed the scriptures. I do too. So next week, let's get into these scriptures and into this book and go for God's best. May his blessing be upon you. I'll see you next week. As this truth really comes to you, your life is going to be changed completely. I trust this past week, since the last lesson on this course, that God's been dealing with you and lifting you, and that your faith in his word is more solid and resolute than ever. You will recall that we shared with you in the last lesson five reasons for believing the Bible. 
because of its own content was the first reason. The second reason, because of the witness of the martyrs, all of those good people dying for their faith in God. You couldn't call them all crazy. The third reason, the people that taught me the Bible were the best people in the community. You could trust them. They wanted my good. They wouldn't lie. That impresses me. I like good people. I'm inspired by good people. The fourth reason, the life of Christ, how good he was just as a man of history. Suppose there's nothing to the story that he was born of a virgin or the Son of God or risen from the dead. He was so remarkably good that I would want to pattern my life after him. And he taught the scriptures. He believed them. He was so good and so revolutionary and so uplifting that I believe the Bible because he believed the scriptures. And the fifth reason, what has happened since Christ was raised from the dead. That profoundly impresses me. When I read history and I see that right after he raised from the dead in the first of Acts, he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Well, that just began it. Then the apostles saw him and Cephas saw him and James saw him and 500 brethren saw him at one time and I saw him. Well, you wouldn't call me a liar, would you? He was alive. So that makes me believe the Bible is true. Jesus told us in his word that he would come back. He would live again. I think he must have done that. Otherwise, why would so many people have given us their witness that Christ lives, that they've seen? You know, as I've shared with you, we've spent 33 years going all over the world in almost 70 nations, always preaching to masses of people. Practically every crusade we ever conducted, at least one, and sometimes many, have seen the Lord. And I had jotted just a few cases. A Muslim in Indonesia saw him and saw blood running from his hands and from his side and accepted Christ. He became a believer. Don't ask me how that happened. He saw him and he believed on him. A Hindu in India saw him and his blind eyes were opened. A blind man in Cuba saw him, came in on the grounds with his cane hunting his way along. A bright light shined from heaven and in that light he saw Jesus. He fell to the ground. They thought he had a heart attack. He opened his eyes. His eyes were as clear as a baby. He began to cry aloud, I saw Jesus. I can see you. I have difficulty believing people like that just saw phantoms or ghosts or that they lied. That doesn't make sense to me. And if all these people have seen him, I think he's alive. And that's the fifth reason I really believe the Bible. A nationally known professional criminal in Chile saw Jesus during our crusade and was totally transformed. A cruel father who had beat his wife and his children in Guatemala saw Jesus in our meeting and was changed, became a loving father. In Thailand, 
down toward the Malayan Peninsula. We were preaching among the Buddhists, and over 100 people saw Jesus. Buddhist people, they saw him the same night. I can't imagine all of those Buddhists lying. They didn't know each other. And in their village way, and their gestures of amazement, each one of them told a similar story. They had all seen this man in white above the crowd, healing the people. Why would they lie? Why would a hundred of them? We listened all the next afternoon. We took the whole afternoon to listen to the villagers who would come and tell what they saw that night because all over the crowd, they began to yell. The meeting went crazy. Something like that. You can't describe what happens. These are Buddhists. Placid, calm Buddhists who don't believe in God. A Buddhist believes in Buddha. And then God having a son, that's a silly American superstition. Why would a hundred of them all tell the same story? I think they saw Jesus. It impresses me. An atheist in Holland saw him. He hated God. He hated the clergy. He hated the church. He swore he would never step foot in a church. He believed all preachers and priests were hypocrites. He was a wealthy man, a strong man, a defier of God. He said many times he'd stand out and open and curse God and dare him to strike him dead. God don't run around striking folks dead. He's too good. He just loves them, loved that guy. <laughs> and during our crusade, he thought, boy, with 100,000 people, 100,000 Hollanders swarming that big field over there, and all of them praying, you know, every day the town was crazy with the miracles. You know, the town was in upheaval, I should say, by the miracles that were happening. And it got the best of this old boy. He thought, if I'm ever going to check in on this God, I better do it now. So he came to the meeting and listened. I didn't know he was there. I preached on prayer that night, simple little sermon, ask and it'll be given to you. And he said to himself, well, if I'm ever going to try praying to this God, this will be about the best time I know of while all these people are doing it, and at least I'm doing what everybody else is doing. <laughs> and he went to pray when we came to the end of the message. I didn't know he was there, just out there among 100,000 people on the field. And he said when he went to pray and lifted up his eyes, he didn't know anything about bowing your head or closing your eyes. God must be up there somewhere, so he's going to talk to him, so he look up there toward him. So I looked up, and as soon as I did, Jesus Christ stood before me, and he said, I've never been so frightened in my life. He would strut and parade and show his muscles a big frame, a strong man. And he said, me? I've never been scared in my life. But he said, I trembled like a baby. He said, you know what I felt like? I felt like a murderer meeting his victim in a dark alley. When he thought he'd killed him, he'd come back to life. And all I could think of was vengeance. He said, I 
expected to drop dead. But he said, you know what he did? I saw a gentle smile break across his face as he looked at me. And he said, that smile, my eyes became a fountain of tears. He said, I couldn't stand it. I fell at his feet and loved him. I knew he wasn't holding anything against me. I think that's terrific. He became a wonderful Christian, a witness, lives in Holland today. I believe the Bible because of what's happened since Christ came back from the dead. A gypsy nightclub singer in our crusade in France saw him and was so transformed. And to this day, is one of the top gypsy gospel singers in France. He saw the Lord. Jesus is alive. I believe in him. Only a few months ago, one of America's reputed communist insurrectionists was converted to Jesus. He'd actually been living in exile for seven years in Algeria, Libya, Russia, Poland, East Germany, and recently in France. And there in France is where he saw the Lord, walked out on the balcony one afternoon, looked up into the heavens, and there was Jesus. And he was saved, and he received peace. And he came back to this country, and there was such a change in him that he wasn't imprisoned. He had done a lot of terrible things, Jesus changed him. Now that's why we're sharing with you this course on the ministry of healing the sick. The world is hurting. The world needs healing. And I think if I can get this textbook, Healing the Sick, into you during this course, I believe there will be a compassion and a faith that will be imparted to you that will help you go out and healing will flow through you. Now, we're turning today, we're beginning at chapter 1 of this book on page 13. And the chapter is titled, How Many Will God Heal? I want to read Exodus 15, 26. If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. I will permit none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. There is the statement that God made to his people when they set out from Egypt. And an interesting thing about this, let me make this point clear. This King James Version says, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians. Now, I don't like to influence any of you to question your Bible. We do need to be big enough to understand that this King James Version has come down through 
many, 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 many translations. Now, if you've studied language, you know that in translations and in changing thought from one language to another, it becomes very delicate to select the appropriate words which have their right connotation in that language to convey the same thing. Only people who have studied other languages can fully appreciate that. A lot of people are like the old lady that jumped up in the church when the preacher was reading out of another version. She gave him fits. She said, bless God, if old St. Paul thought enough of the King James Version to write it in that, we ought to think enough of it to stick by it. <laughs> well, she meant good. Beautiful lady, you know. But it didn't come in King James English around the 16th century. God's been around a long time, folks. He's been talking a lot of languages. He can talk your language. And hey, I got good news for you. Some folks think that when the religious committees finished their work and compiled what we know as King James Version of the Bible, and when they compiled it and finished it, they think God crawled off in the corner and quit talking. He didn't. <laughs> I'm always kind of amused by people that seem to think they have to make God sound like Jeremiah. <laughs> Jeremiah lived a long time ago. God's fresh. Nothing wrong with Jeremiah, but God's today. He can talk today. <laughs> Well, I know we have to be careful when we say something like that. Somebody will run off and say, Brother Osborne, don't believe in Jeremiah. No, that's not what I said. I said, God's fresh. He didn't lose his voice. He speaks good English. And your language, whatever it is. So, I will put none of these diseases upon you. Now, you have to stop and think. I will put God putting disease. See, I said last week, Know your father. Know his characteristics. Then you understand him, and people won't be able to confuse you with a lot of doctrines about God that uh, are a little far-fetched. Now, if we took that literal from King James, which matches exactly what all theologians thought in the 16th century, they thought God was the putter-owner of sickness. Everybody preached that. If you were sick, God did it. Isn't it funny? Some folks still doing that? I can't believe it. <laughs> I can't believe it. God makes somebody sick? Impossible. God is a healer. Sickness is incipient death, premature death. Sickness never existed until after the fall. Sickness has its roots in Satan, not in God. Sickness will kill you. God is a life giver. He's a healer. How many will he heal? Back to this point. I will put none of these diseases upon you, which I brought upon the Egyptians. A close analysis of the original Hebrew 
according to the scholars of Hebrew. They all agree it would have to be put, I will permit none of these diseases to come upon you, which I have permitted to come upon the Egyptians. Of course, it would have to be permitted by God. God's pretty big. He's pretty important. He runs things. Don't ever go out and preach that God makes people sick. And when you quote that scripture, explain that. Actually, I usually just quote it. I'll permit none of these diseases because that's God. God don't put bad things on us. Never forget it. Exodus 15, 26. For I am Jehovah, your healer, your physician. I am Jehovah Rapha. One of God's seven redemptive names. Redemptive names, you notice I said. We'll get into the redemptive blessing of healing. Healing in redemption at different intervals through this course because this is the basic core of the entire course. Redemptive healing. We have a tradition, a statement that we all make, and frankly, it may be in the textbook. And I apologize. I have just gone through this and have done one particular thing to the text. Where we talk he, I've gone through it and said he or she. Because I think we've reached the time in society when we need to quit saying he when we mean he and she. The she's have a right to hear she as much as the he's have a right to hear he. And since we psychologically absorb words, and since words energize us, all the she's miss the energizing beauty of the she. It's beautiful to hear she if you're a she. All the he's wouldn't want us to say she all the time. We like to hear he because we're he's. And in respect, thank God we're coming that far in society. We're learning a little, aren't we? Gaining a little bit. And so I've gone through this and made it applicable to the women as well as the men. I got that from Daisy, my wife. <laughs> She's wonderful. She loves people. And God spoke to her and said, preach the gospel to women. And that's the way he showed her to do it. Say she when you mean she and he when you mean he, and when you mean everybody, say he and she. It's easy to do, but I went through and worked this. But at the same time, I changed that. You know, we never stop learning. And all that we write and all that we say comes from our knowledge. And I'm not going to quit learning. I'm growing. Next week, I'm going to be better than this week. You think this is good? You ain't heard nothing till next week. <laughs> because I'm going to learn some more. I'm a learner. I'm a disciple. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and make professionals. He said, go make disciples. A disciple always learns. People that get indoctrinated don't learn. And they don't think either. I don't want to get indoctrinated. I want to learn all of my life. I'm growing so fast these months. I'm so excited with my growth. I'm learning so much. I'm so turned on to the new discoveries. And so if I find a boo-boo, I'm going to fix it. 
So, I started to say, we have a cliche, we have a statement, we have a lot of them. We talk about healing in the atonement. We don't have any healing in the atonement. The atonement is an Old Testament word that has to do with the blood of bulls and goats, animals, used as a temporary covering and having no power whatsoever to redeem or remove sin or make righteous the people. Atonement. Thank God we've got something better than that. We have redemption. Redemption is a restoration, a regeneration, a remarkable miracle. We are redeemed. So when we talk about healing in redemption, now that is flour from another sack. That is much more interesting. And so healing in the atonement, what we mean by that is healing in redemption. Now, we're all creatures of habit, and probably me and my preaching, I would get lost and maybe say healing in the atonement. Don't blame a preacher if he does that. That's not the point of truth, to accuse somebody else. And preachers, oftentimes, we preach and we preach and we become automated, just like you do. And we say things that we don't mean, and if we're not real disciplined, it's difficult to change those things. Some of us give more attention to it than others, but if a preacher gets up and talks about healing the atonement, don't come around for an argument. That's not what truth is for. Truth is for knowledge, for faith, for deliverance, for lifting. You can share it in your way. But he will permit none of these diseases upon us. That's the idea. Now, Exodus 23, verses 25 and 26 says, in a synopsized version, I will take sickness away from the midst of thee, and the number of thy days I will fulfill. God said that. Now, when God announced himself, I am Jehovah your healer. That's a redemptive name. Now, before we get through this course, that's going to have great significance to you when I say that. A redemptive name is God introducing himself within the office of an attribute or a virtue which he has given to human persons redemptively. Do I need to say that again? It's when God comes to us and reveals himself in an area of ministry by ministry, I mean him ministering to us, his life flowing in us, in an area of his life in us that is offered to us through redemption, through what Jesus did on the cross when he died substitutionally in our place. Now, let me put it this way. Everything that Jesus died to provide is the private property of everybody for whom he died. Did he die for you? Then you can say, count me in. If you can find that Jesus died to provide any blessing, then you can say that blessing is for me because Jesus died for me and what he died for. Now that's a redemptive blessing. What he provided in his death, his substitutionary death, vicariously for us, 
what he died for in that way is for everybody. Now the chapter we're dealing with today, how many will God heal? Okay, let me just say this. The purpose of this lesson is to acquaint you with what the Bible teaches so clearly, that if you are sick, God wants to heal you. It's as simple as that. I just pray that every one of you students that go through this course will get this so embedded in you that it will become second nature to you. It doesn't become something to argue about. It becomes a fact to know and share in love. You know, when you get as old as I am and you've been as far as I've been and you've dealt with as many theologians, Bible scholars as I have, and Christians in our country, Christians are usually very polarized. You understand what I mean by using that word? Opinionated. They've heard enough that they've chosen sides. They have taken positions and have concreted themselves in inflexibility and become set in a rut, indoctrinated and asleep. Because when you're indoctrinated, you stop thinking. I'll keep saying that. That's a fact. And for some strange reason, we get the idea from so many people that if we can just really be drilled and drilled and drilled until we know our position on every doctrine and our position must be this position, <laughs> then we're strong. I don't know whether we're strong or whether we're set. God is so fresh and new. Preachers have been embarrassed over the years by taking a position that became obsolete as truth was revealed. I think it's very intriguing that Jesus said, go make learners, go make disciples. Go get people to believe on me. Here's the essence. Go get people to believe on me and to like me and to find out that I'm so fresh and new and limitless that they'll be all of their life listening to me and learning about me and discovering me. And they'll never graduate but to one degree, and that will be a degree of service, service to all. That's the essence of it. And so in healing, as we share these things, we're going to get into some strong stuff. We'll get into some stuff that will just slice right through positions that have been taken by certain theological camps well, we have to give the positions and the truth that we believe God has revealed to us. So as we give these, we just offer them, we share them, 
Now, I'll be strong about it, but I don't want to argue. Of course, you can smile and say, well, how could I argue with you? <laughs> You've got the floor. But that's why I like you to know I don't want to be dogmatic. I don't want to be inflexible. But I do think there are certain absolutes in the gospel. And when we get into redemption, we get into one of them, that everything has to bend except that. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now look, when God said that, you understand, nobody asked him to do that. We get the idea if we pray and fast and beg God long enough, maybe we can talk to God into getting interested in sick folks and healing them. God was interested before we were. He wants us to find out how he loves sick people and be channels and let him flow through us. It's remarkable what he'll do. Until you're fully convinced that God wants you to be well, there will always be a doubt in your mind as to whether or not you will be healed. As long as there's a doubt in your mind, perfect faith cannot exist. And until faith is exercised without doubt or wavering, a person may never be healed. Hebrews 11:6. without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. James 1, verses 6 and 7, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven of the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. There's a promise to get nothing. In the ministry of healing, we're talking about the promise for healing, the redemptive blessing of healing, the redemptive name of Jehovah Rapha, which conveys to us his nature as our physician. How many is it for? How many is God for? Jehovah said, King you, I am the Lord, your righteousness. How many is that for? It's a redemptive name. The righteousness of Christ is for whosoever will. Every human being on this earth at one time could be converted if ever one of them would hear the gospel and believe it and accept Jesus. Everyone would get it. All of God's redemptive blessings are available now for every person for whom Jesus died. That's a redemptive blessing. You see? Isn't that remarkable? So healing, being that that is a redemptive blessing revealed by a redemptive name of God. How many will God heal? All. Once people are fully convinced that God wants to heal them. Now, let me say again, Exodus 15, 26. I am the Lord that healeth thee. If you'll obey me, follow me, do what I say. I'll be your healer. I'll walk among you. I'll take away sickness. I'll be with you. Nobody begged him to say that. We say, oh, praise the Lord. So-and-so got healed. Brother so-and-so wouldn't quit praying. He just prayed and agonized till he got healed. Well, thank God the brother prayed and agonized, but it was God. God wanted him healed before the brother ever started agonizing. It wasn't the brother's agony that got him healed. It was Jesus' agony that got him healed on the cross. 
Now, are you getting the point? I'm coming back and saying it again. Nobody begged God to make that revelation. That is a voluntary revelation on God's part. I am Jehovah, your healer, your physician. Voluntary. Wherever you go and preach and teach, explain that. If that's lifting you, it'll lift them. It's voluntary. He got that idea. He thought that healing thing up. You didn't. I didn't. God was interested in healing before we thought it up. God wants us to find out he's been thinking about this a long time. And he's so intensely interested in it that way back there under the old covenant, he willingly announced himself, I will be Jehovah among you, your physician, wherever you go, I'll be there. Count on me. Count on health. You've got the top physician in you, with you, in the camp all the time. Now, once people are fully convinced that God wants to heal them, that it's not God's will for them to be sick, they almost always receive healing when you pray for them, if not before. You talk like this, folks look at hatch off and get well. I don't suppose you're a very sick crowd, but if you are, you just hatch off and get well during these lessons. You won't stay sick. You come out of this course well and strong. Knowing that God wants to heal you provides a ground on which perfect faith can act. Now, is God honest or not? to one who was puzzled about faith and said to me, Brother Osborne, I just can't seem to get faith to be healed. That faith, I'll never get it. <laughs> I said, look, you have confidence that God will do what he said he would do. Oh, my Lord, she said, you've made that so clear. Nobody could doubt that. I said, my dear, that's faith. She said, is that faith? I said, that ain't near it. That's it. I said, did God promise to heal you? She said, well, since I've been coming and listening to you, I found out he sure did. I said, is it God's will to do what he promised? Yes. Well, will he do what he said he would do? Will you do what you said you'd do? I sure would. You think God's as good as you? And I interrupt her. I said, I think he's better. You would do what you said you would do? Wow. God will too. And more. If he promised this thing, you can count on it. That's confidence. She's blind in one eye. I touched her eye in the simplest little prayer, open like that, just as perfect as a baby's. And here she was hung up on that word faith. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? 1 Kings 8, 56, we're talking about how many will God heal? There hath not failed one word of all his good promises which he has promised. Not one word. Psalms 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Every promise. Jeremiah 1, 12. I will hasten my word to perform. Hasten? 
The word means, I'll watch over it. I'll look after it. I'll protect it. I'll stand behind it. God is saying, I will watch over my word. I'll look after my word. I'll watch it. I'll protect it. I'll stand behind it. In all of God's infinite power, God is standing behind his promise to make it good for you and to everybody that you teach his promise to. We can find no ground for doubting God. F.F. F. Bosworth says, I think in his Christ the Healer classic, don't doubt God. If you must doubt something, doubt your doubts. <laughs> because they're unreliable. But never doubt God nor his word. D.L. Moody makes a great statement. He said, is there any reason why you should not have faith in God? Has God ever broken one of his promises? He says, I defy any infidel, that talked kind of rough back then, I defy any infidel or unbeliever to place his finger on a single promise God ever made and failed to fulfill. He says, Satan is a liar. Jesus said so. I can open my Bible and show you how for 6,000 years Satan has lied to people, telling them God's word's not true. The devil has denied God's word and promised people everything, but has broken every promise he ever made. That's pretty tough talk, isn't it? from Mr. Moody. Can you take that? You take it, baby. It's solid. God announced himself to be the healer of his people with these words. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now listen, this is a shocker. Exodus 12:37 says, the children of Israel journeyed about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. Now, they didn't even mention the women. A lot of things like that in the Bible when you get to studying. Anyway, 600,000. Now, you figure that up. And now, here's a strange statement. I don't know what it means. You may figure it out. The next verse, and a mixed multitude went up also with them. I got the feeling a whole lot of Egyptians wanted to get in on this deal. I won't labor that. But anyway, God spoke those words to about, you could say, two to three million people at least. Every one of them believed God's word was true. The result, every one of them who needed healing was made ever whit whole. Every person was delivered. And Psalms 105 verse 37 says, God brought them forth with silver and gold, he don't want anybody poor either. And there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Can you imagine three million people, all well and strong, not one feeble, not one weak, not one sick? If that was true in Israel, under the law, it is much more true for you who have been redeemed by the blood of God's Lamb and are living under grace, mercy, and truth. Let this become a settled truth that you know as well as you know two and two make four. Healing is for you. All may be healed. I am Jehovah, your physician. You believe that? May God bless you. And next week, we're going to carry right on and pin this down tighter yet 
May God bless you and may faith abound in you. Amen. My wife and I have spent already 33 years of our life on the road, as I've told you before, sharing with people all over the world, preaching to the masses of people. We've been very fortunate. And I don't know, it's possible that we may have preached to more people, more unreached people, more forgotten people than any other couple in the world, and it's possible. I have an idea, it's very likely, that we've seen more great healing miracles than any other couple alive, maybe ever, not because our faith is great, but because we've been fortunate enough to be able to go to so many masses of needy, hurting people. So it's so much fun to share with you the ministry of healing the sick. Now, you know that when I talk about our ministry, we don't have a ministry, it's his ministry, and his ministry is, I started to say is not limited to healing, but I'll change that and say his ministry is total healing. So you can say it either way. Physical healing, that's a peripheral advantage. The real healing is the heart and core healing of human beings. That's our mission in life. To get in perspective God's total good and beautiful nature. And then take his word and become runners with it and go share with people that so that they can understand that God is good. He's not mad at people. He's full of love and compassion. And he is a healer. He's a redeemer. Now last week we took up chapter 1 in our textbook, Healing the Sick. I just remind you, we wrote that in 1949-1915. It stood the test of the years. Over a million copies of that book are in print already. Harrison House publishes it, Tulsa, Oklahoma publish it, and it's going out all the time to more people. It's increasing its flow out to the public. Tens of thousands of people have been miraculously healed while reading that book. Why? Is there magic in that book? No. John 8, 32, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. When people understand truth, they get well. They get healed. They get whole. We're made for harmony, for beauty, for happiness. Nobody was ever created by God to ever be mad, angry, jealous, to hate. The physical body can be killed with hatred. God made us for beauty, for happiness. He made our bodies for health. That's why when God comes to our lives and his truth comes to our lives and all of that comes in the form of Jesus Christ, then we receive total medicine, total life, total cure. And I think that's terrific. Now that's what we're studying about, the ministry of healing the sick, of mending broken lives of straightening out twisted brains, of soothing distorted spirits, and of 
curing physically ill and diseased and wounded bodies. The ministry of healing the sick is the Jesus life flowing through us out to people. Last week, we dealt with chapter 1, how many will God heal? Now, I want to continue talking today, but we're going to take up chapter 2, page 17, I believe, in our textbook. Healing for all. Well, that's just saying the same thing two different ways. Let me read two verses to you. I want to read Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 and 24 and 25. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Isn't this beautiful? Healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. He is a healer. We are too, because he's in us. We let him live through us. And that's the point of this course. Verse 24, his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people, that were taken with divers diseases and torments, and those that were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. Terrific! I've lived that so many years, going into a country, ministering to the people, the people finally hearing the good news, Hearing about a villager being healed, hearing about a miracle, going and getting some more, carrying them on beds, bringing them all over the country. What stories, what lives we've lived. Verse 25, there followed him great multitudes of people. We've seen that for 33 years already, and we're not near through. <laughs> Let me just share just a little bit. From time to time, I told you, in this course, I want to give you some of the gospel according to T.L. and Daisy. <laughs> I love the gospel according to Mark, according to Luke, according to Matthew, according to John, and I love the gospel according to Tilton, and the gospel according to Osteen, and the gospel according to Hagen, the gospel according to Roberts, and the gospel according to Osborne. That just means our story about how Jesus came to us and how we see him and how we relate him to the world. And the gospel according to you. Terrific. Make it a good one. Kingston, Jamaica. From time to time through this whole course, I'm just going to share with you some of these days. Just days. This is one of the early days. People gathered from 3 o'clock in the afternoon to get into the auditorium. The mass of humanity could hardly be controlled by the police. More people were in the streets outside the walls that surrounded the building than those that were inside the walls and in the building. The police locked the gates. We prayed for about 600 people in a collective prayer out in the street before going into the auditorium. This was early in the afternoon when we went in. There was no hope of their getting inside, so we ministered to them there on the street, and marvelous things were done. Then we inched our way through the press to get inside, and after preaching, over 300 accepted Christ as Savior. Now, this was way back when there were probably, I mean, it seemed like a mob of people. There were probably a couple of 3,000, a couple of thousand in that building. Couldn't have been more than 2,000 in that building. Now, you know, we're seeing 15, 20, 30,000, 100,000, 150,000, 200,000, but just as wonderful back then 
The principle is the same. Just as wonderful in you. Don't think about numbers. I never preached to multitudes. No. I preached to a whole big crowd of individuals. People who hurt. I don't want to be a mass preacher. I want to be a person teacher. One deaf mute was healed. Two blind were healed. They could see my hand and count my fingers. Many stroke victims, paralysis victims, and lame and sick folks were healed. It was marvelous. And those were just a few points that I had logged. But then I looked at my diary and found a bunch more stuff that we weren't able to put in the book. A woman, totally blind and deaf since she was a girl. I said totally blind and totally deaf. She didn't even know why she was in the meeting. She didn't know she was among people except she didn't know nothing. I started to say except she could hear them. She, no, totally deaf, totally blind. That's hard to even project and think what that's like, isn't it? She didn't know where she was, why she was there, what was going on. Now there's a case where you have to have faith for them. There's a case where I think the family needs to believe. And then you can come in and put your faith with them and take over and make the devil get out and leave them alone and give them a chance to follow Jesus. Well, that's what we did. And they brought that woman to me. It was the first person like that that I ever prayed for. And really it stumped me. At first I thought my brain was like a computer. I began to click up. When I lay hands on her, she's going to think, what in the world's happening? Someone trying to rape me or something? Someone trying to hurt me? What's people doing to me? Wouldn't it seem strange to all of a sudden have a whole bunch of people all around you? They might be robbing you. You don't know if you're in a dark street or in a building. And that went through my mind. So with compassion, as tender as I could, giving gestures and touches, trying to communicate compassion to her, you know, we gently laid our hands on her and gently put our fingers in her ears so that it wouldn't shock her, wouldn't scare her. And even then, you could sense her lack of composure. She didn't know what was being done. But in the wonderful mercy of God. That's when I love to know what I know. And the things we're going to be sharing with this, you'll be able to do that. I guarantee it. The devil's no match for us when we know what's in this book. The deaf spirit came out of that woman. I mean, came out of that woman. And the blind demon, excuse me for using that term, if it's a little tough for you, maybe it'd be a little nicer to say blind spirit. I don't want to ouch anybody. But I tell you, them devils are no good, and I don't see God in blindness. I see devil in blindness. They came out of her. And that dear woman could hear and see, and she just about went crazy with joy. Looking, astonishment, didn't know what was happening, didn't know who was there. The sounds were new. She was flabbergasted. That was that same meeting. And then another thing happened in that same meeting. A woman carried her husband three miles from the country who was paralyzed, both legs, stroke, couldn't walk. And that dear woman, she had no money to hire an ambulance. I don't know if she could have gotten an ambulance. A truck, anything would have done. A wheelbarrow. She didn't have a wheelbarrow. She didn't have a horse. She didn't have nothing. All she had was two good strong legs, bless her heart, and a strong back. She put her man on her back and headed out down the road. 
three miles and brought him and got there toward the evening. And bless her heart, you know, the street was full of people, packed, the gates were locked, she couldn't get in. But you know, when you have faith, you do strong things. She had to think on her own. No one would help her. She went over to the wall in a dark place under a big old tree where it was a little darker under there. And she said, her and her husband talked it over. He said, I'm helpless anyhow, going to die anyhow. Get me up there and push me over. She said, but what if you break a leg? She said, I'm crippled anyhow, I won't be any worse off. Push me over. Then climb over and pick me up. That's what she did. Shoved him over. He landed in the pile. Thank God didn't break anything. She crawled over, picked him up, got him on her back, and edged her way, fought her way through. And because she had this man on her back and they could see he was paralyzed, people evidently let her in the door. And this was still back in the days when I was trying to pray for everybody individually. See, that's a terrible task. I mean, most folks would die before you get to them doing that. <laughs> Thank God God's bigger than one at a time. The world getting so populated, we can't keep running them through one at a time. We got to get bigger faith than that. God can go ten at a time. Wow, wow. How about everybody? <laughs> everybody at a time. That's what God wants. That's really true. Doesn't mean it's wrong to pray individual. That's beautiful and wonderful. But I'm saying, when there's a crowd of people there, you know, a lot of them would die before the turn come. And this poor woman, she got in, bless her heart, and she waited a turn, waited a turn. We stood up there and prayed for, I don't know, a couple of hours, usually at least a couple of hours every night. Brought her up there, and she stood before me with him on her back. And I was never so touched, so moved. And I said, woman, Put your man down. You know, his legs would hold him, but he didn't have any control and had to bounce him and all that, you know. He couldn't bend him or nothing. You know how a paralytic is. Some paralyzed people are limp, but he was one of those that was stiff, and so they would hold him. And I said, put your man down. And I said, you've carried him far enough. And she put him down, stood him in front of me. And I said, do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart? And he looked at me with tears. He said, yes, sir, I do. I said, do you believe with all of your heart? I'm reading what I wrote down after that. Do you believe with all of your heart that you will be healed in Jesus Christ's name? He said, most certainly I do, sir, or I would not have let my wife carry me here. I said, then, my dear friend, she's carried you far enough. It's time for you to walk in Jesus' name. And I turned him loose and backed off. And he just looked at me with such happiness. He knew he could. He just took out, and when he took out, those legs became supple and carried him. It was a real high platform we were on. I said, hey. Jump off that thing. He did it, and the crowd went crazy. Now, you wouldn't do that if you didn't know it's God's will to heal people. You never tell a man to do a thing like that if you're thinking, well, now maybe God's teaching this old boy something. That's mean. That's mean. Let's not ever do that. He was healed. I want to share one more. 
after praying, that same night, that's the reason I want to share it with you, after praying in the hall till I was ready to drop, we slipped out the back and Daisy had the children and some of the men would help her out. But to get out, I sneaked out. And I sneaked over in the dark area and I jumped over the wall. The wall's pretty high, but it's easy for me to get over. And I jumped the wall and we didn't live far from there and I was just going to go, you know, just quietly, just get through the crowd and go on home. I was beat. And just as I jumped over the wall and started up through there, an old woman grabbed me, just desperate, just grabbed me out there in the dark. The moon was bright that night and her face was just desperate. I saw the minute I looked at her, she was blind, just blind as a bat. That's not nice to say that, is it? Blind. She said, oh, Brother Osborne, don't leave me without praying for me. I know that if you'll just touch my eyes, I'll be healed. I'm totally blind. I can't even see the light. Oh, I must be healed tonight. I know God will heal me, she said. I said, woman, I'm so tired. I've prayed for so many hundreds tonight. I wish you'd try to return tomorrow night, and I'll pray for you tomorrow night. And she began weeping. You know, you just couldn't resist that. She said, Brother Osborne, I can't come back because I'm a poor woman and I'm blind and I can't go by myself and my friend has brought me and they can't come anymore. What are you going to do about that? I knew God wanted to heal her. And I held her hands firm and I said to her, Mother, do you believe with all your heart that if I touch your eyes in Jesus' mighty name, he'll give you your sight? She said, oh, Brother Osborne, I know he will heal me now. You can't say it any better. That sounds like Bible days. That's what they said to Jesus. Then I laid my hands on her eyes and I said, woman, in the mighty name of Jesus, whom God raised up from the dead, I command your blind eyes to be opened and to receive sight. I didn't raise my voice very much because I didn't want people to gather around. I already had enough around there. I was already in trouble. She almost rushed to get my hands away so she could see. She pulled them down. I wrote that down when I went home and was writing about it. She pulled them down from me. And she said, oh, thank God. Yes, I can see. I can see everything. The moon, the stars, my hands. Oh, thank God. I knew he would do it. I knew he would do it out there in the street. And boy, I did have to scat then. But isn't God good? Now, you'd never do that if you didn't believe healing is for everybody. If it's not for everybody, who is it for? Okay. Now, I'm going back to page 15 in our textbook. If there's a justified maybe in your case, there's a justified maybe in every case. God according to Acts chapter 10, 34, is no respecter of persons. If God will heal anyone, he will heal that one, you, or whoever you're praying for. You've got to believe that. The tragedy is that sickness and disease affects the bodies of untold thousands of Christians, while preachers and teachers, influenced by theological traditions, often stand by with little more than words of sympathy and pity, assuring the victim that it must be God's will, that it will work out for the best, 
that God is teaching the patient some lesson in humility, that perchance it's God's chastisement, or that by it he or she is being drawn close to God, who works his will and his wonders in our lives through disease. Christians need never be sick. F.F. F. Bosworth used to say this. I heard him say it so many times that I memorized it. It was easy to because he often said it when he was teaching. He said, those preachers, he said, they'll pray for the sick and they'll put their hands on them and say, Lord, since in thy loving kindness thou seen fit to afflict our dear sister with this sickness, this cancer, give her grace and fortitude to bear this cross for thy glory. Amen. And then he will always add, and then the poor old thing would die. Be a poor devil, it couldn't kill her with that kind of cooperation. Unquote. F.F. Basra. <laughs> you know, if we're going to just cooperate with the devil, he can kill pretty near anybody. Don't ever do that. Christians need never be sick. Any more than they need to be sinful. Do we need to have a little sin and party once in a while to draw closer to God? It's always God's will to heal you. Why is disease such a persistent enemy? How is it that sickness has been able to take such a toll among Christians today? In the Old Testament, I said Old Testament, three million of God's people dared to believe his spoken word and everyone was completely healed. That makes a tremendous impression on me. The only reason those three million Israelites became well and strong was that they believed what God said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. God said that, every one of them said, that means me. They believed it. The only reason disease takes such a toll among Christians today is that many of them do not believe what God has spoken. They know that God said, I am the Lord that healeth thee, but somehow they failed to believe that he meant what he said. How else can we say it? I mean, isn't that a right conclusion? They evidently have failed to believe that he meant what he said. Okay, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Yeah, but you don't mean me and you don't mean now. Yet he said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Healeth, E-T-H, H-E-A-L-E-T-H, healeth. Put that in modern English. What are you going to do with that? Figure out how to say that in modern English. E-T-H, healeth. Present tense. See, we change the E-T-H to I-N-G. The same English. We don't say healeth today. We say healing. He says, I am Jehovah. I am healing thee. Now, am means now. I am the Lord who is healing you. He said that. I didn't say that. He thought that up on his own. They didn't beg him to heal them. He offered that before they ever cried to him for healing. It tells me if he come up with that idea, obviously he's interested in sick people. He don't want people to be sick. They were sick in Egypt. Slaves. God saw their groanings. He said, Moses, let's get them out of there. I don't want that. I am the Lord. As soon as he got them out of there, the first stop, he revealed himself. I'm your physician. 
They didn't beg him to. He did it on his own. You get that point? That's very important. He thought it up. He wants to heal everybody. Let us not change the idea because we come along all these thousand years later and we say, well, it'd be too good to say God wants to heal everybody. Why don't we just go ahead and take his word for it? Let the people have a chance at it. If you can't believe, give the people a chance. They'll do the believing. God will do the healing. You don't have to do anything but tell them. Isn't that nice? <laughs> so be good enough to tell them. Don't change it. Don't go out and tell a bunch of stuff that God didn't say. Let's tell them. The only reason people don't get it today is because they don't believe what it says. Must be that. They know that God said, I am the Lord that healeth thee, but somehow they failed to believe that he meant what he said, which is precisely, in essence, what Satan said to Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 4. In essence, God didn't mean what he said. He's never changed his strategy. Well, <laughs> you know, I've often said he's kind of dumb. He's never come up with a new line in all these years. But then maybe it's because he don't need to. As long as people keep buying it, I always say if something works, don't change. Maybe the devil's got that idea too. If something works that good, don't change it. He said, I found out that'll just keep working. No matter how many preachers they get, I can keep telling them, God didn't mean it like that. And they keep buying it. And I can get my way. And I can kill them. Ahead of time. Knock them off. Why change? If he can keep bartering out that same lie, peddling the same deceit. But you know what I think? I think you're going to be a problem everywhere you go. Because you're going to tell it. And you're going to believe it. And the Holy Ghost is going to be with you and God will never leave you and Jesus is in you and it's going to take place. And I hope it gets with you kind of like it is with me. When I get to town, the devil leaves before I get there. <laughs> well, maybe not literally. Don't hang up on that. Let me have a little fun with you. But I really kind of secretly think he backs off when I come in. If I was him, I would. Amen. I know T.L. Osborne. He knows what he's talking about. He's been all over the world. He's faced all the ugly, mean demons you can think of. With the Hindus, with the Muslims, with the Buddhists, with the Shintos, with the Confucius, with the pagan fetish worshippers, with the animus. You name it, I've been there. And them devils don't like me. And they just clear out when I come to town. You say, oh, you bragging on yourself. No, I'm bragging on Jesus in me. I know who he is, and I give him expression. I've trained myself to believe that I am what God says I am. Amen. You hear me say F.F. F. Bosworth quite often, but it's because he had such a profound influence on me when I was 25 and he was 75. He was my Bible school. We conducted a crusade with F.F. F. Bosworth for six weeks, three times a day. I preached Morning, him in the afternoon, me at the night. Next morning, him, me in the afternoon. We rotated. Every service was rotated. Six weeks, and then we spent most of the time between services together. And he was a great blessing to me. He told me, I've heard him say this. He said, you know, you study truth and believe it. And pretty soon, you'll forget how you used to believe. You'll forget how you used to think. 
You see, because of religious tradition, people think negatively. Think, you know, God puts sickness on people. God wants to use sickness for people. Maybe I should be sick. Maybe it'll bring glory to God. It's going around this day. It runs in my family. We've all had it. It belongs to us. And we've got to have it to learn things. It'll draw us closer to God. And it's a love token in disguise. And it bless you. All that bunk. Awful word to use. Excuse me. Nonsense. God never said any of that. And so we think that way. I wrote that book when I was very young. I had just come out of all of those traditions. That's where the people are. I have gained. I've had a lot of experience. But the people haven't seen what I have seen. The people you're going to minister, they don't know what I've seen. They haven't been out there 33 years to the masses, seeing all these miracles. We've seen as many as 90 totally blind people healed in one campaign. You know. Well, people haven't seen that. So, I'm looking from where I am today. But I've left this alone because that's where I looked at when I was first coming out of those traditions. And that's why I'm sticking to it to teach you. And F.F. Basra said, as you study truth, you'll forget how you used to think. You used to think negatively. Now you'll begin thinking positively. You used to think all these crazy things. Now you'll forget all that. Now, if I want to know what... I keep saying theologians, how else do I say it? People who are students of the Bible and teaching the Bible, is there a nicer word for it? It's not a bad word. Because there's good theologians, there's Bible-believing theologians, and then there's theologians that don't believe the Bible means what it says. Those are the ones that cause the people to think contrary to what the Bible says and complicate what is very simple. I've forgotten how they think. So when I teach like this, if I seem a little awkward, I forget some of the ridiculous things that I used to believe. Because it's so simple now. God's alive. He made everybody happy and good and healthy. The devil came and spoiled it. Jesus handled the devil at the cross, rose from the dead, and fixed it back where anybody that will follow Jesus can have Jesus in them, and we can have it all restored back like Adam and Eve had it. Now, that's simple to me. Then you start telling me that God does a bunch of mean things to teach me patience, and I go all berserk. I don't know how to handle something like that. I know about redemption. I know about restoration. I know about regeneration. I know God's good. I know he made man and woman good in the start. I know God don't ever change on his idea. I know Jesus fixed everything back that the devil messed up. He fixed up what the devil messed up. And if he did that and he redeemed us and invites us back to him and he comes and lives in us, then we must be able to be again like we were before we fell in sin. Now that makes good sense to me. And it works. <laughs> if it works, I'm impressed with it. Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Verse 2 and 3 in Genesis 3. Eve says, Eve speaking, just a resume of what she said. We can eat of all except that one. If we eat of that, God said we'll die. Verse 4, and Satan said to the woman, now he set himself up as an authority and said to the woman, you shall not surely die. And she believed him. 
That strategy has never changed, my friend. And it's up to you. It's up to you to separate theology that tells you that kind of stuff and theology that tells you that kind of stuff. And you've got a brain. You can read. Use your brain. Think for yourself. If you don't, you'll always be a dummy. If you're just going to line up and say, tell me what to think, Mr. Theologian, and I'll think it, you'll always be a dummy. I'm sorry, but to teach faith, you've got to be a little rough once in a while. You can tell if the theology you're listening to matches that book. God says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. They say, no. Oh, what are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? They say, no, oh, no, God don't heal everybody. It's not God's will to heal everybody. Isn't that strange that they got that news? Where did they find that out? The Bible says that God said, I'm the Lord that healeth thee. It's very simple to me. I'm going to believe what that says. I think you will too. If under the terms of the old covenant... Three million of God's people could be well at one time. Then much more should God's people be well today who are living under the new covenant of grace and mercy and truth established on better promises with a better priesthood through a more excellent ministry. Let's read Hebrews 8 and 6. But now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. Well, if it's better <laughs> and you're sick, at least everybody can be healed today. If you're sick, and we're to tell you that it isn't God's will to heal you, or maybe it isn't God's will to heal you, then this covenant for you is not as good as the Mosaic covenant. You would be better off living under Moses, cutting a goat's head off and scattering its blood on a bronze altar, because you could have got healed then, walked in perfect health. You'd have been better off doing that and kneeling at the feet of Jesus and saying, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I believe your blood is divine and was shed for me for the remission of my sins. According to some theologians, if you do that, you can't be healed because maybe God's given you a licking. Maybe he's whipping you with sickness. What a God! I've been in Africa and the Philippines and the hills of New Guinea. That's where they teach that stuff. Pagan people everywhere think God's getting mad once in a while and go on a rampage and scatter around little plagues of disease. They all teach that. Then I come home and find Christians teaching that. Boy, I just sometimes come unglued. Don't tell me that about God. I'm about to preach instead of teach. Mark 7, 13. Jesus said they make the word of God of none effect through the tradition which they've delivered. Oh, I'm glad for what we know. 
filling is for how many? All. And that's what chapter 2 says. And that's what we're going to go into in our next lesson next week. I want you to do some real study on this. Look over this church. One and two. Analyze them for yourself. And next week we're going to talk about that. I can't emphasize. If it isn't for God, it's who you are. Now, you've got to get a revelation every time you pray for God to know whether it's God's will to heal them. You're a big you're a big deep. Boy, you're super. Say, God won't talk you through the word, but I'm such a connection that I get right to God. And whatever it wants to do about you, I won't pay it in this word. I'll set that aside. That don't mean anything. But I'll pray and watch me get a revelation and I know what God wants to do about you. Big deal. Jew. I won't pay attention to this word. I'll set that aside. That don't mean anything. But I'll pray and watch me get a revelation and I'll know what God wants to do about you. Big deal. I wouldn't trust you. <laughs> I'd trust this. This says I can bank on it. Dust. Nobody knows they're there but the people that are stumbling over them. I talk to those that are out in the cars or out in their little wagons or way out under the shade tree, camped out there by the bushes, and they think nobody knows about them. I groan. I, God knows about you. He sees you. He's got your number. He loves you. There's nothing so beautiful in the ministry of healing the sick as to carry that love and represent that love to everybody, everybody everybody and never put it in degrees never categorize people God makes no distinction the rich the poor the ugly the pretty the skinny the fat the tall the short everybody is included in God's redemptive blessings and it's up to us to say that over and over and over and over communicate to people and they turn on. And they get to believe in that. We get up in the pulpit and we start dissecting people and explaining you may have this problem and God may be dealing with you about this and God may have a purpose in this and Mrs. Brown had cancer and one of her sons got saved because she got cancer and Uncle Bill over here, Bill Brown, you know, he had that terrible sickness and he laid on his back and suffered for many months. But you know, a lot of people came into his hospital bed and got a pickup and felt his love. He's going to spend your life getting up and preaching that kind of stuff. That's kind of heathen stuff. Now, if Mr. Brown was a blessing to people, thank God for Mr. Brown. Let's bless Mr. Brown and let's send everybody over to the hospital we can to be blessed by Mr. Brown. But let's not say that proves that God wants us to have sickness and lay in bed for months so that we can help people and say nice things. Mr. Brown could say just as many nice things sitting at home or on his front porch or downtown at the supermarket. We don't have to lay in bed to say nice things to people. Let's be a picker-upper of humanity and assure them that God's big loving arms reach out to embrace everyone. Everyone means you're the one. I believe is going to make a great contribution to your life because I'm sure that we all agree the total ministry of Jesus is a healing ministry. And of course, the great healing starts from within. That's where the miracle begins. And then it works its way out into all aspects of life, even in our relationships with other people. Because if we reach the place that we love ourselves, 
and believe in ourselves, we love other people, believe in other people, we trust ourselves, we trust other people. So all of the good things start from the good man upstairs that comes to live in us, and that's the healing ministry. It's terrific. After uh, the 33 years that Daisy and I have been on the road all over the world, in almost 70 nations, seeing the wonders of God constantly, constantly in operation. This is the first time that we've ever stopped long enough to go on record with a series, with a course taught on the ministry of healing the sick so that it could be shared with students like you. Beginning at chapter 2 of our textbook, Healing the Sick, we wrote this book in 1949 or 1950. It stood the test. It's called A Living Classic by Harrison House, the publisher, and it really is a living classic that works. Thousands upon thousands have read it and have been healed. Now, I've told you that before, but I just want to keep saying that because I pray that you will be able, when this course is finished and you embark on your ministry, that you will never be without 10 or 20 of those in your library or in your suitcase or your car trunk and that you can circulate them to hurting people. They'll read it and get healed. I say it's like our book, Born Again. It works like a miracle. Why not? When we talk about Jesus, it's the truth that makes people free. And we have proven that if you read it with an open heart, you'll be healed. Now, this is really what they're reading. It isn't this that'll heal them. It's this that'll heal them. God's Word. But it's God's Word. We've organized, extracted the portions that apply to someone in need of healing and have organized them here with some comments so that it helps people understand them. That's why healing the sick has become such a classic. So we're taking up page 17 in our textbook, chapter 2, titled, Healing for All. Now, I want to read you a couple of three scriptures. Then I want to share with you, before we get into the meat of this chapter, some things that we've seen. I told you every now and then, maybe each day I'll give you a little bit of the gospel according to T.L. and Daisy, his wife. Mark wrote a gospel. Matthew wrote a gospel. T.L. wrote a gospel. I'm writing it every day. You're writing a gospel. Paul wrote a gospel. And so, a little bit of what we have seen the Lord do in our lives. Listen to these wonderful scriptures. Let's read Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 42. There came a leper. Now, I'm reading this because in this chapter, we're going to start dealing with the will of God in healing. There came a leper to Jesus, beseeching him, kneeling down to him, saying to him, If thou wilt... Thou canst make me clean. Isn't it something that people still pray that prayer? If thou wilt, thou canst. Which is to say, God, you're big, but I don't know if you're good. I hope after this course, you'll never worry about how big God is. You'll just be concerned about how good he is. I say, when you have a revelation of God's love, you won't worry any more about his power. Do you know people spend all their life seeking power? You won't need power when you discover love. 
because the only power God has is love power. Love power is compassion. It's mercy. It's expressed in his will. This man didn't know that. He said, if it be thy will. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. By the way, mark this down. That is the only human person in the Bible who ever prayed and called on God for physical healing and prayed that prayer, if it be thy will. That's kind of a shocker, isn't it? We'd think to hear most preachers teach that everybody in the Bible that wanted healing prayed that prayer because most of all, practically all traditional church doctrine about healing would teach us to pray, if it be thy will, Lord, heal us. They would think it was presumptuous to pray otherwise. Funny we don't pray that way for a sinner. If it be thy will, save this dear sinner. <laughs> we wouldn't think of that. Well, all of the same basis for believing for a sinner to be saved applies to believing for a sick person to be healed because it's all part of this great salvation. You'll understand that when we get through. It'll be in you. You'll like it. It'll make you go out and get them. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will. He almost jumped at it. Oh, don't say that. I will. If, oh, I will. I always just feel him responding that way every time I hear anyone pray like that. I think it scares some of them. They slip up on God as though, boy, this would be a good deal, Lord, but I know you're awful big and awful powerful, but I don't want to bother you with it. A lot of people bugging you, and this is our need. Sometimes I wish they could see God like I see him slipping through the curtain. Say, oh, I will. You can have it. Believe it. That's God. Who wants a God that you got to slip up on the good side of and coax and beg and plead to talk him out of a little bit of grace? Never. He's overflowing with nothing but good will toward people. Oh, my dear student friends, when we get through with this class, I hope I can have an influence on you that'll make you be a smiling preacher, a preacher, a teacher, a liver, a Christian minister with a lift, with a cheer, with happiness. The world don't need us mad and mean and poking our fingers and jabbing at them. God is overflowing all the time with goodness to people. We're his spokespeople. Let's be sure we represent him with a smile, with a lift. This leper, can you imagine the kind of expressions he would have been accustomed to have looked at? Can you imagine? Nobody wanted to be around a leper. They're dirty. They'll get off on you, as Brother Hayes says. You touch them, you get it. So they say. Jesus didn't care. It's a moving thing to me that in this case, he put forth his hand and touched him. Oh, I got ahead of myself. Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him. Messed up the whole deal in their evangelistic party. Every disciple was shocked. 
Well, they'd been trying to get in touch a lot of these nice folks, and he wouldn't do it. Here comes a leper in the crowd, and nobody's supposed to touch a leper, not even let his shadow pass over you, lest you be contaminated. And he blurts out, breaks all the rules. You know, he was a terrific rule breaker. He just about spent his ministry breaking all the rules the Jews had ever fixed up. No wonder they wanted to kill him and get rid of him, get those rules back organized. He'd break all the rules and put forth his hand and touched him, identified with the leper. Isn't that nice that that's the kind he touched? When I think of how no good I am and how he touches me, that makes me feel wonderful. Think about that. Friends, it's not just to learn these things. It's to learn the Jesus philosophy of people. It's to have not only your brain filled with the verses, but it's to have your spirit filled with the nature of Jesus that makes you a healer. A healer? Yeah, that's what we are. We heal with words, with prayers, with love. All those are healing forces. All the opponents, you know, the critics, the whoopie doos of for years, they love to get you in a corner and jab your finger and say, you're a healer, you're a healer. I've learned to say, yeah, you got me right. I'm a healer, and I'm a good one. <laughs> I'm healing in Jesus' name. He's the healer, but he's healing through me. So he said, I will. Be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken. Now there's a very good one there. Didn't say as soon as he touched him. We all think his touch is what healed him. Everybody wants to touch. But when they prayed for a lot, just touch me. One of our meetings, a sweet little lady from the village came up and said, Brother, she real broken English, which I can't imitate now. If I could hear her, I could. But along the line, she said, Brother, we don't want the big words. We want the touch. Didn't say it as soon as he had touched him. Said as soon as he had spoken to him. Even though he touched him, it wasn't the touch that healed him. It was the words that he spoke that brought healing to the people. You know, I don't like to labor that in this country. And I don't. Because I'm courteous, I'm a gentleman, and I believe God's got lots of ways of healing people. One of the things, if I may bring up as an example, which isn't always courteous, but in a positive way it's all right. One of the things that I so love about Brother Kenneth Hagin Sr., his son too, but I'm saying about Kenneth Hagin Sr. He ministers to the sick completely different than I am led to do. But he always, with such beautiful Christ-like patience, explains to the people why he was led to do it that way. Now, nobody's going to tell anybody it's wrong to lay hands on the sick. There's too much in the Bible about laying hands on the sick. It's right to minister like Kenneth Hagin ministers to the sick. It's scriptural and it's beautiful. But isn't it wonderful how he, I mean, after all, let's face it, he's a pretty important fellow. He don't have to run around explaining to people why he does things. But he never fails to patiently and kindly with love and gentleness, explain why he does it that way, that some other people don't do it that way, but God works different ways. 
I think that's the beautiful thing in America. You know, a few years ago, and all over the world too, a few years ago, anybody that did something one way and found somebody that did something another way, he took it upon himself to head out and make a whole campaign of preaching and haranguing the guy that didn't do it like he does it as though he was the chief and everybody else was fault. What stupidity. Thank God we've come past that. And you'll never be one of those kind of preachers or teachers or Christians. You'll walk in peace. You'll admire God's variety. Why go out and cuss him because he didn't grow all roses or daisies or pansies? Isn't it nice that he grew so many? Isn't it nice that I look different than Brother Hagin? Isn't it nice that Kenneth Copeland comes along and looks so different? Isn't it nice that Gypsy Smith came along so different? Smith Wigglesworth different? Charles Price, the sophisticated orator? Amy McPherson, the beautiful lady? Isn't it nice that Jack Coe come along all rough and tough? And then you had your rough and tough Peters, and you had your gentle Johns, and you had your physician-thinking Lukes, and you had all kinds of people. Variety. A lot of you like me. Some of you probably don't. You'll tolerate me because you've come to Bible school and you can make it through this course and you can take me every week. But something about me, you haven't figured it out, but you don't like me. The way I squint my eyes or do my teeth or maybe you mad at a mustache and beard. You never know. Some people just don't like everybody. And that's why... Some folks don't like other people like me. But then if we then can appropriate the grace of God and become channels for Jesus, everybody will like him. And they'll take us and our rough edges to get Jesus. That goes for you. Amen? What do you think about that? And as soon as he had spoken... It was the word that healed. No matter what we say, and all that we say about power, we feel it, or this or that, no matter what we say about that, that isn't worth much. Faith in the covenant is all that can ever bring healing to the people. And though we may touch them, it is the healing word of God who is Jesus Christ who does the miracle. So as soon as he touched him, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. Isn't that beautiful? Now, we've done that all over the world. Let's look at Luke 17, verses 12 to 14. As Jesus entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off, poor things, you know, they were a gang of them. They were afraid to get close. This other guy was alone. He didn't have any of his peers to say, you better not get close, buddy. They'll kill you. He just pulled out all the stops and run in and got in the middle of things and risked it. And didn't get killed, but he came through. Hallelujah. But all these ten guys stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and called from a distance. And they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And mercy is when you get what you don't deserve. Justice is when you get what you do deserve. Mercy is when you get what you don't deserve. Have mercy on us. And when he saw them, how his compassion must have gone out to them. He said, go show yourself to the priests. 
And it came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. That's precious, isn't it? That's precious. Sometime during this course, I'm going to be sharing with you the time 10 lepers sneaked out of a leprosarium, broke out, and came to our meeting, what we did. You'll like it. I want to read to you Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. As you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now listen to what he told us to do. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. I believe in that. We can do it. We're doing it all the time. I couldn't begin to count the numbers of lepers that have been cleansed and are well today leading normal lives all over the world. Leprosy is no different than a headache with God. Never forget it. Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you've received, free to get. Raise the dead? Sure. Happens quite often. Freely received, free to give. Cleanse the lepers. Part of it. Let's go over here to Matthew chapter 11. Look down at verse 2. When John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? John must have been terribly discouraged. You know, it was a tough day. And they had to walk in Revelation just like we have to walk in Revelation. And I'll tell you for sure, John didn't have any wonderful camp meetings like the Hagen camp meeting or like the word explosion. John didn't have any of those to attend. Lonesome in a jail cell. Nobody to talk to. Nobody believes. All the religious hierarchy is out to kill him. The man that you admire. No wonder he sent two of his disciples up there said, check this out again. Said, I just know that's him. Something in me just tells me. Something gets hot inside me. I know that's him. I know. Go up there and bring me a report. The Bible says, and he said unto them, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? They got to him and had an interview. Jesus heard about it. Jesus was touched about John sending them up there. Some of his disciples said, John, send a couple of fellows up here. Jesus said, I'll talk to them. He was thinking about John. He's a tender Savior. He knows our need. They said, are you the one, or do we look for another? And Jesus never answered him yes or no. He said, go and show John those things which you hear and see. I noticed a little word that I skipped over when I read that was again. I wonder if that doesn't have significance. Go and show John again. You suppose he had sent before? It's possible, isn't it? That little word's in there. Go tell him again. And Jesus was patient. He'll be patient with you. You say, I don't know. Is it? And he'll meet you again. All those words count. He'll do it again for you. You go out in the ministry, after you get through this course, in this course you're going to be carried high, you're going to love it all, but you get in trouble, and then again, he'll be there. You mark it down, I know, I've been there, I've needed it again and again, and I'll need it again, because nobody ever graduates. We have to stay pupils and students all of our lives. It keeps getting better. Go show John again what you see and what you hear. What was it? The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. There it is again. The dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached. Say, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Say it there, that's beautiful. that's beautiful. Right out loud in your class, that's beautiful. that's beautiful. It is beautiful, isn't it? 
Now, I want to share with you, I told you I was going to share with you a little of our own life. I'm going to read to you a day. I've just picked these at random from my diary. I felt it would be a witness to you. Just to brag, everything you hear you say, I can have that happen. Because me and myself, T.L. Osborne and Daisy are nobodies. But we've been made somebodies. But just like you, you're somebody. You're somebody when Jesus is in you. So I want to read, here's a night in a town called Ponce. Today the radio station offered us 45 minutes free of charge in order to help the thousands of people who were unable to get into the services. Three policemen were sent to guard the radio station from being invaded by the people in the streets. They knew we were there. A pastor said a woman next door to him was healed of paralysis. Her leg and arm had been drawn up for many years. In a moment, she was made whole. She was going about testifying to the neighbors of her marvelous healing. A minister from a city 90 miles from here brought one of his members to the campaign tonight, an old woman, in order to let her testify. She had been healed of total blindness this afternoon during the broadcast. Isn't that wonderful? And he brought her into the night service. At least 50 miracles had already been reported this afternoon since the broadcast before the night service. At least 10 totally blind people were wonderfully healed tonight in the meeting as we preached. It was almost unbelievable. At least 75 partially blind persons had their sight restored. Seeing the paralytics restored was a sight to cause the hardest heart to rejoice. Two sweet little girls with braces to their hips were instantly restored. They took off their braces and walked and ran all over the platform. A sweet little boy with one foot twisted straight in crossways and with the ankle stiff so that he could only stand on his toe, it was perfectly healed. The foot was made exactly straight and could be placed flat on the floor like the other. Several other paralytics were marvelously healed. I think the greatest miracle of the night was that of a poor woman who had for six years walked with her hands, dragging and swinging her body between her hands on the ground, with both legs doubled to her side, totally stiff. They were rough like a board on one side. The skin was calloused like leather, where she had dragged the weight of her body for six years since an operation. She testified, I had been believing for 20 minutes after Brother Osborne prayed that God was healing me. I kept feeling my knees and I suddenly noticed a slight movement in one of my kneecaps. I knew God was healing me. I began to get up and was made completely whole. She came to the platform shouting and walking as perfectly as any person. She showed the audience how the sides of her legs were like leather. They demonstrated how she used to drag on the ground between her hands. Then she stood up again and jumped and walked just as perfect as I can. Another amazing miracle tonight was that of a raving insane woman who was brought to the meeting by her friends. She was suddenly and instantly healed and began begging them to let her go to the platform and testify. She gave the most amazing testimony of how she had been insane of how terrible it was to be out of her mind and how suddenly she knew everything clearly. She wept for joy and so did the audience. I can't take more time to record but a fraction 
of what occurred tonight. No wonder John said that if all that was recorded, which Jesus did, the world would not contain the books. Over 2,000 accepted Christ tonight. Thank God, I believe it has been the greatest night of my life thus far. Undoubtedly, the future holds yet greater things. Now, on another piece of paper, I had written the story in more detail, and I found that I had forgotten where I had put it, but I want to share with that about that radio broadcast. And here's what, I tore it out. I don't keep a diary in a proper diary that says diary. I keep it in whatever I can get on location. I get a book and I just write in it. And if it's 10 pages for one day and next day maybe a half a page, depends on how much time you got. Lots of days don't have time to write anything, get home too tired. But I jotted this down, notes, so I have to kind of put it together as I look at it, but I wrote most of it. The radio broadcast at Ponce. We decided that it was too hot for the afternoon service today, so we used the radio. And the radio, we went and asked them, they said, sure, come on, you can have time every day. You won't have to go out in the open air and have the people stand out there and sweat, just come and preach. Wasn't that nice? Didn't charge us a penny. And they sent policemen down to guard the radio station. During the broadcast, the president of the station and one of the station directors got in their car and drove through the city to see if the good that had been being reported was true. He said, not one radio in a store or a house was turned off. They were all turned on to the same station, blaring as loud as they could blare. You know, no air conditioning, all the windows are up and the people live close together. And if this neighbor don't have a radio, they turn it loud enough, the next one can hear it. It's a way of giving, isn't it? It's nice. Hordes of letters have piled into the radio station of people being healed and people have started coming, pounding on the doors, wanting to get in so they can give their testimony over the radio. <laughs> Near the public market, now this is a report that came back by the president of the station. Near the public market, you wouldn't know what that is, but it's just all open, they've just got stands, everybody's there. I saw one small stand surrounded by a crowd and there were several policemen standing around. I thought there'd been an accident. No, they were huddled there to hear one of the market tenders that had a radio. And so they were listening. From house to house, everyone listened. They turned their radios loud. Those without radios heard through the other's radios. One place, there was a distance between houses, so there were no radios, and a car pulled down about midway and turned his radio on real loud, so nobody would have to miss. Isn't that beautiful? Now, the people spontaneously did that of their own accord. These are things I'd forget all about. I never tell these things. I forget them. I go back and read some of this stuff. Man, I'm amazed to remember what happened. And so they were thinking about the people that might be in that area. And this car was parked, and there was a group swarmed around it listening. The fire station had their radio out in the front on a box and they turned it up real loud and they had a crowd at the fire station and people were getting healed at the fire station. You could hear the people in groups repeating the prayer. I saw one man drop his crutches out in the street and run up and down the street and there was a crowd running after him in the street and he was shouting, I no longer need my crutches, I'm healed. He told them how he believed and repeated the prayer and got healed. Everywhere in town, miracles are taking place. 
the station manager said, I didn't like being in the studio. I wanted to be out on the street where the action was. <laughs> That's what he said. All of a sudden, the door, now we didn't know this. We're in there just preaching over the microphone. We don't know this. Of course, it's been happening several days, so we have a pretty good idea. We don't know this going on out there. And all of a sudden, the door opens, and in comes Police Lieutenant Martinez, the head of the police. My heart kind of sunk because you have lots of opposition sometimes, you know. And when he rushed in like that, I thought he was going to maybe come in to arrest us and stop it. You know, a lot of these countries, it's awful. And I wonder if that's what's going to be happening. And I looked at him, interrupted, I said, have we done something wrong? He said, no, I've never seen anything like it. It's wonderful. He says, I was looking out across the street, and I saw a lady on her bed, and I know her because they put her out there on that bed every day. They've done it for over two years. And he said, I saw that woman jump up on her front porch and begin jumping and running in her bed clothes. She was healed. And said, I wanted to come down here and tell you about it. No, six years. Said she hadn't got up in six years. And I saw it. And I'll tell you that police lieutenant, he was walking on air. Well, it was a visitation to the city. Wherever you walked on the streets, this president of the station that came back into it, he said, wherever you walk on the streets, people would stop me and tell me of miracles. He said, one man near a restaurant, and he was so excited, he had been brought to the crusade crippled, he always had to drag one foot sideways, he said, because it was twisted and club-footed, and his leg was paralyzed. And he hobbled with a big cane and dragged that foot. And the shoe for that foot was all worn off on that side, and the heel was just scrubbed off, just nothing left to it. And there, where I saw him, he said he'd keep jumping and walking back and forth and talking, but he had something in his hands, a little bundle, and I kept looking, what does it look like, fresh paper? Suddenly he said, oh, look, look, and he opened this package, and in the package, he had been to a shoe cobbler, and he had a brand new heel and a new half sole, and he was going home to repair his shoe because he didn't have the money for new shoes. But he said, I can fix my shoe because I can walk straight on it now. And the owner of the restaurant came out all excited and said, I know this man for years. He's my friend. It's a fact. He's been bringing people in the restaurant all day and tells them how he was healed. It's a miracle. Isn't that wonderful? Now, you know, God will do those things in your life. Question, is it still the will of God as in the past to heal all who have need of healing? I'm on page 17. The greatest barrier to the faith of many seeking healing in our day is the uncertainty in their minds as to it being the will of God to heal everyone, all. Nearly everyone knows that God does heal some. But there's much in modern theology that prevents people from knowing what the Bible clearly teaches, that healing is provided for all. It's impossible to boldly claim by faith a blessing which we're not sure God offers. Because the blessings of God can be claimed only where the will of God is known and trusted and acted upon. If we wish to know what is in a will, now think, let us read the will. It's simple. 
If we want to know God's will on any subject, read his will. That's what that is. His new will and testament. Will and testament, same thing. What do you say? Will, word, promise, testimony, contract, covenant, pact, all the same word. New pact, new covenant, new will. You believe that? Suppose a lady should say, my husband who was very rich has passed away and I wish I knew whether he left me anything in his will. I would say, why don't you read his will and see? Suppose she would say, oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> the word testament, legally speaking, means a person's will. The Bible contains God's last will and testament in which he bequeaths to us all of the blessings of redemption. Since it is his last will and testament, anything later is a forgery. You bet. A man never writes a new will after his death. Hebrews 7.22 talks about a better testament. Hebrews 9.15 talks about the mediator of the New Testament. Hebrews 9.15 talks about the First Testament. Hebrews 9.18 talks about the First Testament. Hebrews 9.20 talks about this is the blood of the Testament. It's a will, a written will. If healing is in God's will, which is another way of saying if healing is contained in God's promises, then to say God is not willing to heal all, as his will so clearly states, would be to change his will, and that after the death of the testator. You can't do that. After a person dies, you can't change their will. Jesus is not only the testator who died, but he was resurrected and is the mediator of the testament. Boy, he tied this thing up where the devil can't beat us out of it. He said, I'll make my will, I'll record my will, I'll act out my will, I'll pay for my will, I'll deposit my will, then I'll come back from the dead and I'll enforce my will. I like that. He can come back from the dead and say, wait, no, this is what I said. You do it that way. No, I meant this. wonder why he had to do that. I'm glad he did. You know, the courts make a lot of money out of fussing about what the person who died meant when they said that. They didn't quite mean that. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to come back on the scene and say, hold it, buddy. I said it that way and I meant it that way. Lawyers get a lot less money if he do it that way. Well, that's what Jesus does. He's alive. He's in the now. And he can still talk. Jesus, not only the testator who died, but he was resurrected and is the mediator of the will. Hebrews 9.15, he's the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Verse 16, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Verse 17, for a testament is a force after men are dead. You understand that? After men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. 
But Jesus died, and he's alive again, and it's in force. Hebrews 12, 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. We have a good testament from a good savior, a good testator, and he's filled with good will, and it's for everybody. First John 2, 1 says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father all the time, arisen from the dead, alive, to see that no matter how we blunder, he's right up there seeing to it. That if we just say, I'm sorry, I love you, every one of them will be canceled out, and he'll keep putting his righteousness to our account. And that wasn't just taken care of before he died, and he stayed dead, and God carried out. He's right up there hanging in there for us. Teach that to people. That's the point. Tell sinners that. Don't tell sinners how mad God is at them. Don't tell sinners God's up there with a club and he's going to get you. Don't tell sinners you're going to deserve what you get as though you're going to be tickled if they go to hell. Learn love. Sinners are already scared. Don't scare them more. They come to your church. They come to hear you preach. They come where you teach. Don't scare them more. It took nerve to come. Love them. They know they're bad already. We got our good testament with good news. You understand that? There's no better way to ascertain what the will of God is than by reading the Gospels. That's all we have to do, which record the teachings and the works of Christ. Jesus was the expression of the Father's will. His life was both a revelation and a manifestation of the unchanging love and will of God. He literally acted out the will of God. When Jesus laid his hands, the Bible says in Luke 4, 40, you ever read that? And when the sun was setting, I love this verse. Brother Hagin, I'm sure, loves this verse. It's precious. All they that had any sick, any sick, with divers diseases, brought them unto him, and he laid his hands. See, Jesus did that on every one of them and healed them. Why everyone? Was he acting out the will of God? What's the will of God? Was the will of God in that meeting to heal everyone? Does the will of God ever change? Didn't God say to Moses, I am that I am? That's my name forever. That's my memorial to all generations. Did God say in Malachi 3, I think it is, I am the Lord, I change not. If it was his will to heal all the people in that crowd, it is always his will to heal all the people in your crowd. That excites me. Some folks go up to say, oh my God, then I've got to have faith. That's the fun of it. Your faith will work for everybody. Believe it. When Jesus laid his hands on every one of them and healed them, he was revealing and doing the will of God for all people. Get this before we wrap up. Hebrews 10, 7. Lo, I come to do thy will, O God, Jesus said. John 6, 38. 
I am come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. His will is for everybody. Everybody needs him. God bless you as you spread the good news. May God take each class and produce in you the revelation of Jesus in a more real way so that you'll go out from these classes and particularly when this year of wonderful study is ended, that you'll go out into your ministries to reach your world and heal your world. That's what we're talking about. Now, last week, we began dealing with this subject of the will of God, and today we continue along this line. We're over to page 18 in our textbook, Healing the Sick, a living classic, written in 1949 and 50, now published by Harrison House as a living classic. And when you get through with it, you're going to be a menace to the devil <laughs> and to his kingdom. That's what we want. So today, as a scriptural base, let's read the Lord's Prayer together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Now, talking about the will of God, a very important phrase there in verse 10. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Isn't it strange how that we interpret our doctrinal influence into phrases like that? Thy will be done. We cannot today give you a study on the Lord's Prayer. Someday, I'd like to teach a whole year on the Lord's Prayer. Not a time in that prayer are you told to ask for anything. That's the paradox of the tradition that we have made out of prayer begging and supplicating God for favors, that he's already paid the supreme price to give to everybody. So, bottom line, we don't have to go through life begging and crying and moaning and groaning and hoping we can get something from God. All that he has is ours. All things are yours. You are Christ's. Christ is God's. We are on a direct hookup with the best of everything. And if we can bring ourselves to think that way, talk that way, then we will act that way. Thy will be done. There's not a one of those 
phrases. Thy kingdom come. That doesn't mean, oh God, send your kingdom. Never. It all is in the same mode as Mary the virgin when the angel had spoken and explained how that the Holy Ghost had overshadowed her and a seed was created in her womb. And that holy thing which would be born of her would be the Son of God. Call his name Emmanuel. Call his name Jesus. God with us. She said, Be it unto me according to your word. Be it unto me. These are not supplications. These are confessions. These are the essences of knowledge being affirmed in our confession. Thy kingdom come, boy, yes, in me. Let it be all the time. When I get up of a morning, thy kingdom come. When I get there, it'll be there. Let's go, Lord. Thy will be done. Not, oh, God, if you don't want to do this, you don't have to. But if you want to do it, how much I want you to, that has nothing to do with it. Thy will be done. If I could paraphrase that in other words, I would put it like this. Let thy word be accomplished. See? That's what it means. Thy will be done. Be it done. I touch the sick. I say, the will of God be done. And they're healed. Never does that mean, maybe you get healed, maybe you won't, but let God's will be done. Anybody knows what the will of God is in matters where he has revealed his will redemptively. Now, some folks get hung up. I don't know whether God wants you to go to Arkansas or Timbuktu. So I can't find Arkansas or Timbuktu in the Bible. So I can't show you that in the Bible. And you might pray, Lord, show me. You want me to go to Arkansas or Timbuktu? Some way you'll get an inclination, a dream, an idea. Someone will say something to you. If you're consecrated to God, God wants you to know whether to go to Arkansas or Timbuktu. Now that's if you're going on business. If you're going as a representative of Jesus to win souls, it don't matter. Take your choice and go. Who cares whether you go to Arkansas or Timbuktu? God don't. If there's souls and both of them take your pick, figure the one that you can win the most souls and go get them, baby. You don't have to make a big deal and pray and wait. Some people agonize and spend half their life wanting to know whether God wants them to go to Arkansas or Timbuktu. And then they decide it's Timbuktu. And those kind of people spend the rest of their life thinking it was supposed to have been Arkansas. Never fails. You don't have to do that. Thy will be done means... I read it. Wow, let it be today, Lord. We're going out to do business. I'm walking in your will. Everything we do together based on your word. 
let your will be done. Just every time we touch it, let it be done. Let it be done. Let it be done. We touch this and let them be healed. Touch that one in trouble. Let them be lifted. Touch that one. Been fussing and fighting. Let their home be cured. Let thy will be done. All day, let thy will be done. Oh boy, Lord, I'm walking in your will. How wonderful to be a channel for your will to be done. We already know what your will is. Let your will flow through me. That's what it means. You know, that would be worth your year. It'd be worth it if just that got straightened out. You are the will of God in action. You are the living manifestation of the walking, talking, loving, helping will of God. Jesus came and he showed us his will. I came. And I keep showing his will. It's the same. You ever hear anybody quote and get real holy about it? Last week we ended up on that scripture. Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. Hebrews 10, 7, referring to Jesus. Did you ever read that yourself? Oh boy, I read that sometimes when I'm praying or when I get ready to preach and it turns me on. So I tell the people, I say from the Bible. I find the place where it was written and I open it up and I say, I announce to you, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. That's what I'm here for. No wonder preachers go out and get discouraged and quit and backside and turn off and all this silly stuff. They've never discovered who they are. I have preachers ask me all the time, preachers have known me for years, how is it, T.L.? You're not a kid anymore. And you sound just like you did when you was a kid, when you were just starting. You always have the same enthusiasm. How can I dry up when I know I am God in person? And God's compassion and care and love is just as vivid today as it ever was. Am I supposed to look with glory and awe upon the person of Jesus Christ as he walked in human flesh and say, oh, that's it, that's it, that. Now I'm supposed to look at me and say, that's it, that's it, that's it. Because I got my ideas from him. He said, follow me, I did. He said, I'll make you, he did. He came into me and made me what he is. Now, everywhere I go, all I have to say, let thy will be done, Lord. And things start popping. <laughs> Sick people get cured. Blind people get their eyes open. Lepers get cleansed. Sinners repent. Unbelievers become believers. Believers get to be better believers. Cities are changed. Politicians are lifted. Graduates from higher learning schools get the principles of God at work in a human being and go out and succeed. There are beggars. Came to our meeting as beggars that today own their businesses because God came their way in the form of a man that they called T.L. Osborne. Jesus is still doing his will. He's doing it through us. Do you understand that? 
Thy will be done. Now, I want to share a little bit of the gospel according to T.L. and Daisy before we continue with our lesson. I'm seeding these. I feel this is an uplift to you, and it will help seed you for greatness. Don't ever decide to be ordinary. Nobody hooked up with God should be ordinary. We're surrounded with ordinary people, but we are extraordinary. That's what I think. It's worked over three decades. Probably nobody in the world, no couple ever in the history of the world have taken Jesus face to face to as many millions of neglected, unreached people as T.L. and Daisy Osborne. We're not ordinary. I didn't say we're better than anybody else, but we're not ordinary. We've taken this Bible literally and believe what it says, and Christ is in us, and that's our hope of glory. Hallelujah. And that's your hope of glory. Let's go down here to a city called Camagüey. The service was attended by great throngs of people. After the message, over 1,500 accepted Christ. Then the mass prayer was offered for the healing of the sick, and God surely answered from heaven. One man who was blind from birth was led to the meeting. As he listened to the message, he fell to the ground. Having seen the Lord Jesus in a vision, he lay there for some time. Those around him thought he had died. Suddenly, he seemed to regain consciousness, stood to his feet with an expression of awe and joy on his face, declaring, I have seen the Lord, and now I can see. I was blind, but now I can see. I didn't do that. They departed and preached everywhere. Mark 16, 20. The Lord working with them, confirming his word with signs following. When you depart and go everywhere preaching, the same Lord will be with you. Don't straitjacket him with a bunch of theological ideas that keep him pinned down and tie him up to 16th century English and make him sound like an old-fashioned has-been. Turn him loose. Walk with him and let him do his thing through you. And he will take care of the doing. His sight was restored. He could see fine print. The multitude was hysterical with joy when they heard this report. Six deaf mutes were healed during this service, one of which was 55 years of age that had been born in this condition. One young man who was going to commit suicide was gloriously converted. Several hernias, growths, and various classes of sicknesses and paralysis were instantly healed. To God be the glory. Now, I want to take you over to Ponce. We went back to that city. This is one of the few times we've ever done this. One year later, I started to preach early today, but after greeting the audience, I was told that Juan Santos was present. Juan Santos had been healed the year before. He had been healed here in our last crusade, the night I preached on the healing of the cripple from Mark chapter 2. You know, that was carried on the bed and raised up. We asked him to give his testimony of his miraculous healing since it had been a year there in the city. He had been 16 years dragging in the dirt, see? 
and we thought it'd be nice to open the meeting the second year and let them see that these things last. Oh, I forgot to tell you the reason I was going to give this with you. We received three or four real strong threatening letters from that area, from important people who said they had organized and they had a group and they would assassinate us if we came back to that city. That we were never to set foot there again. They were ready. They had their agents. They knew who we were. They knew where we were. And when they wrote us, they told us where we had been. They knew all about us. They were keeping tabs. They said the snare was being laid and they would persecute us. They would run ads in papers and they would go on the radio and they were going to kill us if we came. They planned above all to expose our deception. They had proof. They were announcing this everywhere. They had proof that two of the greatest miracles from last year were farces. <laughs> and they were going to do something about this. I thought that was so funny when they went at it like that. They're so dumb, you know. <laughs> Don't you feel sorry for the devil? <laughs> you know, Satan just has two strategies. Keep you from performing a miracle, or if you do, deny it. <laughs> and the communists are just exactly like that. I knew it was all bluff. So we called down there. We had Pastor Carlos Vasquez, who was a wonderful man of God, and the United Evangelical Church overseer, Pastor E. Echevarita of Juanadias Township. And we had them go have conversations with these two people that these nuts had picked out that they were going to expose. One of them was Juan Santos. The other one was the woman that I read about last week, I believe, that the sides of her legs were like leather. They were all worked up about those two. Well, of course, they found both of them so beautiful, and Juan Santos never did quit. He just continually goes in high school auditoriums and churches. He spends his life telling people, showing people what he did, and he's become quite a preacher, telling it. That'd help anybody preach, wouldn't it? <laughs> but the year before, a remarkable thing also had happened. A blind woman had come through the crowd, and had touched my trouser legs and got healed. Now, here, listen to this. So, we started to preach early, but after greeting the audience, I was told that Juan Santos was present. He had been healed in our last crusade when I preached on the healing of Mark II. So we asked him to give his testimony of his miraculous healing. He testified for about 30 minutes. He's a regular preacher. I mean, he liked it. <laughs> there are few cases in the Bible as dramatic and marvelous as this case. He had been shot through the spine, destroying his spinal cord and the nerves below the waist. It left him totally paralyzed in both legs. For 15 years, he was crippled. Both legs were drawn, double. They were dead, withered. They were just skin and bones and were completely stiff, drawn in a double position. One arm hung paralyzed at his side and the other shook constantly so that he could hardly feed himself. His head also shook because he had attempted suicide by hitting himself with a club. The blow only caused the palsy. He could hardly talk because his tongue and his throat were partially paralyzed. He dragged himself on the ground with his hands, this one hand kind of wobbling, but the other hand was still good. And his drawn, withered legs resting in the dirt between each swing of his arms. He was losing his mind. He was instantly healed and is now as perfect as any man could be. His testimony is known by thousands throughout this area. As an undeniable miracle of God's power, he's become a radiant Christian witness. When Mr. Santos finished his heart-moving testimony, which was more convincing than a thousand sermons, 
An old lady had mounted the platform, anxious to tell what God did for her in our last crusade. Now, we don't often get this pleasure. And so I wrote it down. You know, if we'd go back, Daisy and I thought, maybe we ought to do like Paul. Maybe we ought to go back to every city where we've had a crusade now and have a seminar and have a short crusade. And don't we deserve the joy of getting to know about these people that have lived their lives out in happiness and joy and health and peace. Maybe they were lepers and today they're businessmen. We've never indulged ourselves in that joy because we want to keep reaching the unreached. There's so many more that have never seen anything. You pray that God will let us do that. I wouldn't go unless whether that would be more profitable for his kingdom than to keep going to new places. If we can get enough new people like you to go to these new places, then maybe Daisy and I can go to some of these other places and get to hear some more things like this. In a sense, we deserve it. <laughs> okay, now, I'll take that back. We're just people. You don't ever deserve anything. It's all by grace, and if I live to be 140, and that's what I'm planning to do, I want to just keep getting some more people saved. So we invited her to test drive. She wanted to tell it. So we said, okay. So now here's the story she told. Friends told me about a man who was performing miracles. I tried to get someone to take me to the meeting, but no one would guide me. I decided to go myself. I finally found my way there. They told me the service was to begin at 5 p.m., so I went at 12 noon. I listened, but was not healed that day. Then I tried to get home in the dark. I got lost. Did it ever say she was blind? Seemed like I never did even say that. I knew it. Yeah, up there before, she had been healed of total blindness. Okay, I'd skip that line. Then I tried to get home in the dark, an old lady. I got lost. I always carry a box of matches in my pocket, so I took it out and I struck one, and I cried out, I'm blind, I'm blind. A man heard me and came to help me, but I was afraid of the man. I was afraid he was leading me astray in the night. So I told him to leave me and that I would stay there by the road and sleep that night. He left me, and I was alone again. I finally found my way home at 4 o'clock in the morning. The next day, I went again and got near the platform and purposed that if I could just touch the evangelist's trouser legs, I'd be healed. I listened closely to his message, and when the prayer was offered, I believed. The people all around me were standing tightly together. They just packed right up against the platform. They were packed tightly together. I finally managed to get some space to move a bit, and I reached out my hands around the edge of the platform trying to touch the man of God. I remember her, just that arm just reaching out. I didn't know she was blind enough. You know, people all around, a lot of times they'll reach for you and all that, wanting to tell you something, so you have to keep preaching, pay that no attention. After a long time, I was begging God to help me touch his servant. Now, you know, poor little woman, she had that in her mind. You can't blame her for it. She didn't need to do that. She didn't need to do that. And I'm sure if she hadn't have done that and had not been able to get to the platform, she'd have got enough of the word in a little while and caught on. She wouldn't have needed that and she'd have got healed anyway. But the woman in the Bible touched the border of Jesus' garment. Brother Hayes lays hands on the sick and prays for them. Anything we do to contact sick people, send claws to them, anoint them with oil, all that, we'll get into all that a little bit later in our textbook. All of that is good. I always say the best is when you know the truth Hear the gospel, believe it, and you contact God direct through Jesus, your high priest, and get what you want. Then you always have him with you. That's the best. You understand? 
So here's what she tells. After a long time, I was begging God to help me touch his servant, and finally, I heard him moving near my side of the platform. I reached for him and found his legs and grabbed his trousers. Then my eyes came open, and I could see everything clearly. I shouted, hallelujah, hallelujah, I can see, I can see. And I'll never forget those screams she let out. And she held while she was reaching for me. When she grabbed him first, there was a little interim that I didn't cover because I was tired writing. The preachers went over and hit her and made her stop that. And I turned to the preachers in love. I said, oh, let her alone. I said, if that makes her happy, let her hang on. It don't bother me. And I just went on preaching. They sat down and left her alone. And pretty soon she began screaming. I see. I can see. It was a very great miracle. I can see you people tonight, she was saying. And then she was explaining. I'm writing for her. I go about telling of God's miracle of my poor blind eyes. I'm so happy and thankful to God. Now, it was not those trouser legs that healed that woman's eyes. No more than it was the garment of Jesus that healed the woman in the Bible. It was the woman's faith. This is on page 343. All those diary notes are back here in the back end of this book. I'm just pulling one of them up now and then and reading it to you to share with you. It was the woman's faith. By touching the garment, she set a time in which she would herself believe and have faith for God to do the miracle. And as soon as we believe, God does the work. After these two testimonies, I exhorted the audience about 10 minutes, as I didn't need to preach. <laughs> these two testimonies were sermon enough. Then we led the audience in a prayer. Hundreds accepted Christ as their Savior. Then the people began receiving healing. Totally blind man came to the platform so happy he could see. As he said, very clear, very clear. A paralyzed man was restored and stomped his feet for joy. Many others were set free. The crowd rejoiced as miracle after miracle was reported for almost two hours. Now, everything Jesus did, I'm on page 18 of our textbook now, everything he did, everything for needy humanity during his earthly ministry was a direct revelation of the perfect will of God in the human race. F.F. Bosworth, in his book, Christ the Healer, says this. It's a very good quote. Perhaps no one could be more conservative than the scholars of the Episcopalian Church. And yet, the commission appointed to study the subject of spiritual healing for the body, after three years of study and research, in both the Bible and in history, they report back to the church this. Quote, the healing of Jesus was done as a revelation of God's will for humanity. Continuing to quote the Episcopalians. Because we discovered that his will is fully revealed in the scriptures, we further report that no longer can the church pray for the sick with the faith-destroying phrase, if it be thy will. The Episcopalians figure that out. Mr. Bosworth continues, The message everywhere taught in the Bible, in the Gospels, is one of complete healing for spirit and body, for all who will come to him. Many today say, I believe in healing, but I don't believe it's for everyone. If it's not for everyone, then how could we ever pray the prayer of faith for anyone? 
Among all those who sought healing from Christ during his earthly ministry, there is only one who prayed for healing with the words, If it be thy will. That was the poor outcast leper that we read about, who did not know what Christ's will was. He couldn't even go to the synagogue, to the temple. No teacher would teach a leper. He had no way of knowing what God's will was. The first thing Christ did to that fellow was to correct this uncertainty by assuring him, I will. Would you say that in the classroom out loud? I will. Jesus says, I will. It is no longer, if it be thy will. Students, cancel that forever when you're praying for anything that Jesus died to provide. Now, we'll get over here, chapter 39, page 293 of our textbook. We'll deal with the seven redemptive names, and oh, boy, is that good. You never pray, if it be thy will, when you're praying and asking God for something that Jesus died to provide. When you're asking for a redemptive blessing. In all of those occasions, it's thy will be done, let her fly. Hallelujah. <laughs> thy will be done, let it be. Not you can do it if you want to. If you don't want to do it, it's okay. I'll stay sick if you want to teach me something. If you beat me over the head, oh God, I'll keep being beat over the head. You'll bruise me and bloody my nose and booger me up something terrible, but I'll love you anyway. Oh boy, I'm glad I'm not pagan. The pagans say that. Can I repeat? You never pray if it be thy will when you're praying for any blessing that Jesus died to provide or that's revealed by one of God's seven redemptive names. I don't know whether you ever thought about it or not, but the reason God revealed himself by seven redemptive names is because seven is a perfect number. It's total, complete, perfect. You've only got seven needs. There is nobody here or nobody to whom you will ever preach that will have but seven needs. My God shall supply all your needs. My God is a perfect physician. All seven needs require a form of healing. This course is on the ministry of healing the sick. Everybody that is in need is lacking any one of the seven provisions that Jesus died to provide, which are revealed by God's seven redemptive names, anyone in need of any of those is to that extent sick because they're below the level of the whole person that God created in Adam and Eve, the devil messed up, and God recreated in Jesus and provided for you and me to have. And I've got it. I'm full, complete because of the influence of negative theology. There are always those, when I talk like that, that are reactionary to it and say, why don't he stop strutting? Why does he stop standing so straight? Why does he blow all the time? But to people who understand redemption, they say, wow, me too. 
I just hope that's the crowd I'm talking to. I don't do it to brag, but how in the world can I not stand straight and run fast and yell loud and smile big when I know so much that's so good in that book and the testator died? Everything he left is in force. He's come back from the dead and he's at the right hand of God, my lawyer to see that I can have everything he died to give me. And what he died to give me is very simple. You boil it down to the bottom line. He died so I could be like him. When he died, he got rid of the only problem him and God ever had. <laughs> you want to know what it is? He got himself out of just one body and got himself into you and you, and you, and me, and people all over the world. Millions and millions of wonderful people who are Jesus' people turned loose on this earth and the devil is in trouble. And we are in charge because of the will of God that we're talking about. Wow, I hope that comes through to you. Only one ever prayed for healing and said, if it be thy will. The first thing Christ did was correct the uncertainty by assuring him, I will. So it is no longer, if it be thy will, it is God's will to do what he promised. Let that I will settle it forever with you. God will heal the sick. If he wills to heal one, he wills to heal all. He'll even heal sinners, unbelievers. When he heals them, he forgives their sin too. Isn't that terrific? While we stand around and poke our fingers at him, God's trying to run around and heal them and help them. While we stand around and cuss them out and say, you ought to go to hell, you deserve it, and when you do, you get what you deserve, and act like we're almost tickled when they burn, the hotter they burn, the better we're going to like it, because they deserve it. Don't ever be a preacher like that. Don't ever be a preacher like that. Love people. God loves people. All the time we're raging, God's loving. Your raging can't ever drive people doing anything. Driving, condemning, finger pointing, must, saying you must, must, all that stuff. That never motivates people. We have to motivate people. God don't butt into people's will. He don't butt in against their desire. If they don't want it, God won't butt in. So you can't drive them to it. You got to lead them to it. The minute you get them in the corner and start shooting scriptures at them and sending them to hell, they're just going to roll the blind down. You're going to empty your shooter, and they're going to go to hell. You preached a good sermon and said a lot of truth, but you didn't save a soul. See? You say, well, I know somebody who preached preach like that. Well, wonderful. That's an exception. But Jesus never talked that way. And I'm imitating Jesus. He reasoned with people and loved people. Said nice things to people. He never, ever put anybody down, never called anybody a sinner. Never, never, never. And did you know what? You've heard me say in this course several times, sinner. And did you know every time I say it, I ouch, but I say it because of church tradition that says sinner, and I go along with them. But did you know I have taken the word out of my books as fast as I edit them? That word is coming out. There's a lot of other ways to deal with them besides calling them that. The minute we call them that, the wall goes up. 
You said we're supposed to coddle them. I didn't say that. But we got to have some wisdom. And we can reach. Well, that's too deep, too big. You don't want to confuse you. Maybe I'll get back on it and help you a little bit. But the point is, people are hurting. And we have salvation. Let that I will that Jesus said to the leper. Settle it forever with you. God will heal the sick. Boy, I hear that ringing back in my head. Everyone says, Osborne said, don't call anybody a sinner. Can you just leave that limbo a little bit? Let me deal with it another day. I haven't got time in this lesson. Let me help you. I'll get back on it because it's in me deep. It's in me because I'm going through my book getting that word out of there. Picture a non-Christian. That's a nice way to say it. You're saying the same thing. A non-believer. That doesn't defend people. A sinner. You call me a sinner? They get mad. Now, preachers, please. I'm in too deep. See, I'm losing time. I shouldn't do that. Because these lessons are too important. But people go out on a street corner and they preach and they preach and they get people saved and they just finger jab people and send them to hell and jab at them. And I love every one of them. I see them on the street and sometimes I'll cry. Daisy and I'll stand back and cry. Loving them. We're so glad they're out there. I wish they wouldn't do it. I wish they could have it a little nicer. But I'm not going to argue with them. They're out there doing it and I love them for it. And they can tell me about many that have gotten saved when they said, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. God bless them. Let's not fuss about that. I'm just trying to share a little light, but sometimes people are mean. They'll jump on you if you'll say something new. I didn't mean that. I don't want to cross with anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody. Do you feel my love coming through to you? You know, as you grow, you share something that's new that contradicts tradition. Then here you are, you're spending 30 minutes cleaning up your tracks so you won't hurt somebody's feeling because you said something that's not supposed to be said. I didn't mean that. I didn't come on here to hurt anybody or change anything for preachers or pastors or evangelists or anything. Let's love people. But I do want to keep saying that God loves people and it's better if we give them that love message. Let that I will settle it forever, forever that God will heal the sick. Second Peter 3.9 he is not willing that any, say any, any. there in the class, say any. any, not willing that any should perish, but that all, say all, all. should come to repentance. Isn't that beautiful? James 5.14, is any sick among you, say any. Any, any includes you if you're sick. Tell the people that when you go out to minister. When you go to the hospital bed, say, any includes you. I told a woman dying of tuberculosis that one time. She got healed. She never thought about that. That helped her. See, I keep saying to you, if you started this course with me, and you weren't up very much, but your faith is mounting every time. Now, by the time we get through, you're going to be walking tall and feeling high. Hallelujah. When you do, Remember the steps. Note them down particularly as you move through this course. The steps, the points that shook you and brought you around. Make them your main sermons. You can help other people catch on to those points because they're right where you were. They need those same things to help them out. If it impressed you, it'll impress them. That's what we want to do. We want to give them faith. Anybody can run around and pray for sick people. But you won't do much good. You might get a miracle now and then just out of God's mercy. But let's help everybody. When I go, I expect everybody to get healed. You said they all get healed. I didn't say that. I said I expect it. And it's for them all. I expect all. In the same way that I expect all sinners to be saved. I never leave out one. 
You ever hear preachers preach a sermon and say, is there one sinner here that would like to come to Christ? And sometimes he'll get one. But he ignored all the rest of them. You never hear T.L. Osborne say that. When I go, I say, let every person in this building that's not right with God get up and come forward right now. And they all do. They just do what I tell them. I never leave out anybody. When I go to pray for the sick, I don't take 10. I say, I want every person in here that's got any pain or sickness anywhere in your body right now, get ready to be healed. Every one of you will either be healed instantly or your sickness will die and you'll begin to recover. Now, that's always conditional upon the person. But conditional upon the person puts the monkey back on me. I've got to share truth with the person that will help them be able to believe. Then we share together, we bring them to Christ, and that makes the ministry of healing the sick. Hallelujah. Any sick, let him call. Prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise him or her up. Of all those who were bitten by the fiery serpents, in Numbers chapter 21, verse 9, it is written that as many as looked to the brazen serpent lived. Even so now, whosoever shall look to Christ as Redeemer is saved and healed. The words whosoever, whosoever will, and so forth, are always used to invite the unconverted to be saved. The words as many, everyone, all, any, and so forth, are words used to invite the sick and the diseased to be healed. Do you believe that? Both invitations are always universal. And the results are always positively promised. Shall be saved. Shall have life. Shall recover. Shall raise him up. Healed them all. As many as touched him were made whole. And so forth. Make you a list of those kind of statements. And just look at them once in a while. And say, boy, wherever I preach, wherever I minister, wherever I go witness, that's the results I expect. The benefits of redemption are for you. If God healed everybody then, he heals all now, that is, all who come to him and want him. Terrific. And next week, we're going to go some more on this, and it's going to get better yet. May God bless you and make this burn in you to be able to go out and help people. Amen. The will of God for all. Now, you'll notice we're giving quite a bit of attention in these opening sessions. We're pretty far into the course now. Several weeks have gone by, and we're still hammering away on that one idea. So that you'll understand, we're going to keep hammering for quite a while. We can stack a lot in the last trimester. But nothing of the last trimester is going to do you any good until these first, probably two trimesters, we beat away and hammer away and get it deep in you that what God wants is for everybody to be blessed. I preached a sermon some time ago, everyone means you're the one. And that's exactly what it means. Now today, as a scripture lesson, let's read from Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. We'll be covering this from different angles all through this course, but let's use it as a scriptural base today. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. Now, a strange thing about this scripture reading is that's the only kind of people that it mentions that they brought to him that were possessed with devils. 
And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Now that makes you think of Acts chapter 10 verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. I'd like to just throw in here when we say all those that were possessed of devils, Christians, believers cannot be possessed by devils. We are Christians, if we're real Christians, because we are possessed of Christ in our spirit, in our inner being. No devil can ever reign or possess us. But sickness being the oppression of the devil, the devil, a spirit of sickness might affect the house that I live in, my body, but never me. Remember that. We'll get into that later in the chapters on demons. I've put it this way. I had our house sprayed for termites this spring. And they did a good job. But they never did spray Daisy and me. What would you think if they had to come out of there and say, wait, we got to spray you? I'd say, no, the termites aren't in me. They're in my house. Now remember that the next time someone fusses about whether the devils can be in you or not or oppress you or what. Enough said. You're smart. You got it. Now let me share a day out of our textbook, page 344, a day in Costa Rica. Costa Rica's hemmed in today by war on all sides. We arrived at the Mendoza Stadium. Why am I reading this? I'm reading this to encourage you to understand that what the Scriptures talks about works. We arrived at the Mendoza Stadium and found thousands of people jammed in the street in front of the place, unable to get inside because of the multitude in the arena. It was a closed arena, and this was the first night of the crusade. Some people who arrived when we did asked, aren't they going to open the gates tonight and let the people in? Because three or four nights later, they didn't open the gates and the meeting was over. <laughs> of course, that's not the first time it's happened in some of those countries where law doesn't mean very much. Excuse me, our world's shrinking all the time, but it's still that way in too many places. They thought maybe that first night it wasn't going to happen. They're going to open the gates and someone said the place is already packed. Thousands are inside and no more can get in. That's why they locked the gates tonight. We had to struggle to get in ourselves. Finally made it. The owner was angry. The pastors feared the authorities would stop us on the basis of public safety. The crowd finally completely broke down one big door and flowed in like a river until the audience just swayed like a field of grain in the breeze. There was nothing in the world you could do but sway with them. We announced that we would move to the huge bull ring the next day, and we did, and we got three days there, and that's all they'd let us go. They locked it up, locked stock and barrel, put us under arrest, and that's the last that happened. Well, at least 2,500 that night accepted Christ as Savior after the message. And then we prayed for the sick, and it seemed like all heaven opened up on us as miracle after miracle was reported for nearly two solid hours. A boy who was dying with tuberculosis of the spine and couldn't bend his back or even move his head was perfectly healed. 
The mother was in tears as the boy walked normal. At least eight deaf mutes were completely healed tonight. The father of one of them was so happy that he was reeling to and fro like a drunk man with his face bathed in tears, telling the people to look at his boy. That would make a daddy happy, right? We checked the boy everywhere and he was perfect. The sister of the lady who's been cooking for us at the house where we're staying has been totally blind for two years. She was led to the service tonight and received her sight. Boy, we had a happy cook the next day, I'll tell you for sure. A woman was healed of a tumor. A fine businessman was healed of a big rupture. He had been in the hospitals but received no help. Tonight he was healed. At least 200 more raised their hands in the audience, signifying that they too were miraculously healed, but that it was impossible to get through the press crowd to testify. My words fail to describe the glory of that great meeting tonight. Now, let's go up to February the 10th in 53 in Guatemala City. After the meeting last night, a woman who had been sitting in a car, crippled and unable to walk for over five years due to a broken spine, continued praying after the meeting was over and suddenly felt that she should walk. She got out of her car and was made whole. Many people were still around and witnessed that miracle and came and told us this that next night. Many thousands were present in the hot afternoon service today. Thousands accepted Christ in tears. Then I prayed for all who were sick, and the miracle power of God filled the hillside. The first woman to testify hadn't walked in 15 years without two crutches. She was made whole and left her crutches. Then a lady of 18 years was healed. She had tuberculosis in her hip. She could not bend and had to walk with a crutch. She was completely healed and testified weeping. Then a young doctor came to the microphone to confirm her testimony, saying, I know her. She was incurable. We treated her. She could not walk. It's true. We can only say, truly, God heals. Wonderful. Then a child who had polio was healed. An old man who had walked with a cane was restored after having suffered for 20 years. A woman whose foot was wrapped in cloth because of a cancerous ulcer was healed. The leg had been badly swollen and she walked on crutches. She was totally and miraculously restored. It was a great miracle. I'll never forget that night. She took those bandages off. There was no opening on the sore. It was closed over as beautiful. You know, God is really a physician. I'm thinking of so many things I'd like to tell you. Just one. A fellow in the Philippines. A cancer on the side of his neck as big as two fists accepted Jesus. Came bounding across the platform. They had kept him in the church. They were having trouble. They wanted him to go home. He wasn't getting healed. The odor from that cancer was so offensive in the church. The people were threatening. If they didn't get him out of there, the people couldn't come in there to church. That's how bad it was. He bounded across the platform like a little boy. Pounding the side of his neck. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. And the missionary that was in charge of the church at that time grabbed me right under my hips and picked me up. Scared me a little bit. You know, I don't like that. He said, Osborne, I know it's true. I know it's true. It really happened. She's been staying in our church. There was no opening. There was just a slight discoloration. I don't know how God does things like that. But he's a physician. And all you've got to do is tell people about him. He'll do the healing. You don't have to do it. Just tell them. He'll do the healing. They'll do the believing. You just do the telling. 
A wealthy lady and her son came running, extremely excited. He fell on my neck, weeping, crying out, Oh, Mr. Osborne, here's my mother. She's been deaf since my birth. She has never heard in 23 years. Now she's healed. She hears, Oh, God is so good. Many people knew her. She testified in tears of joy. Next was an old medical doctor who had not been able to walk for several years. He was restored. A woman who had a rupture for 20 years was healed. A policeman was healed. An old woman who was carried in arms to the meeting was made whole. You say, Oswald, why don't you tell us all the details? That's what I wrote down. When you go in at 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock and you've worked all day and you're tired as a dog. I don't know how tired a dog is. <laughs> it's lucky I wrote that much. These wonders... Sometimes I kept other notes, and I'll find some of them in with my diaries. It's the wonders of God. I've forgotten so many thousands of things that God has done. This policeman's healed. I don't even remember what that was about. An old woman who was carried in arms to the meetings and made whole, that's all I wrote down. Just so many of them, I couldn't tell all their stories. But God's still doing it. That's the good part. You don't have to write it down if he keeps on doing it. <laughs> We used to have a big pile of crutches, a pickup load of crutches in our office. One day we took them out and burned them all. I said, Daisy, to keep them, if God's still healing, we don't need them. And if he's quit using us, then we're hypocrites to keep them. Because if we can't do it again, why have the evidence that we used to do? Well, we burn them. We've never kept things since then. A nice experience. But things like that tell the story. An old woman carried in arms to the meeting was made whole. A man was brought in a wheelchair, arose and walked, healed by the power of God. I don't know what. No telling what. Another woman's healed from her wheelchair. Afterwards, over a thousand people remained in the audience who declared they were healed, but we didn't have time for the testimonies. We wore out. You can't stay for about so long, two or three hours of that. About all you can take after you've preached an hour or two. The night service was twice as large. And thousands more received Christ. Amongst a host of miracles of healing was a boy, I wrote this one down, who had been cross-eyed from birth. He was perfectly healed. A fine, educated young football player from Honduras was healed of epilepsy. For 12 years he had suffered convulsions, but tonight he received Christ. And he said when the prayer for healing was prayed, he felt the strange evil power leave him like a whirling wind. That's the way he described it. And said he had peace and freedom. And he just wept and wept as he testified. Isn't that beautiful? We'll give you some more in the next lessons. I think it's nice to hear those things. You know, we hear a lot of talk, but God's wonders are as fresh and real today as they ever were. God wants everybody to receive everything that Jesus died to give us. Two brief experiences. I said God wants everybody to receive it. After the Jamaica Crusade, we were called to a meeting by Dr. F.F. F. Bosworth in Flint, Michigan, where an evangelist had been praying for the sick and was so tired he could not carry on. That was Thursday night. And he said, can you possibly, we were back in America, can you possibly come and take over the meeting? Okay, we'd go. About five or 6,000 people there. And we went. The first night we were there, I want to make this as brief as I can, so listen with both ears. While I preached, God spoke to me. How big is a miracle? All these miracles we'd seen, how big? How big is one? 
Isn't a miracle impossible? You don't have a gauge to measure impossibility, do you? How big is a miracle? God said you prayed for them people in Jamaica one at a time. Could you pray for two? Yeah. Wow. Two at a time. That'll cut the time in half. God said, what about three? Yeah. Five? Okay. Hey, how big is a miracle? You pray. You can't see me. Now, remember, God's preaching this to me while I'm preaching another sermon to the people, to five, six thousand people. Preachers do funny things sometimes, you know. You pray to me. You pray down in Jamaica. You do all over America. You pray for someone to be healed. You can't heal them. It's going to take a miracle. You pray to me. You can't see me, feel me, touch me, find me, smell me, anything. Unseen. You get through to me. I turn around and send power back down that you can't see. Goes in that person. That person's healed. And it happened right after you prayed. So it came in response to your prayer. You prayed. A miracle happened. How big was that? And I got the picture. God said, while you're at it, why don't you ask me to do two? Do five. Why don't you ask me for ten? What's the difference? Can you measure me? How big am I? And then he sprung it on me. What about everybody? What about everybody? Doesn't that ring a bell, God said? And like a computer, my brain started whirling. I started thinking all the scriptures in the Bible where it said everybody got it, everybody got it, everybody got it. I said, wow, sure enough now. I wanted to test it out. I called for all the deaf in that audience in Flint, Michigan. There are many people alive today that were there in that meeting. You get up around Michigan, you ask about that meeting. Fifty-three came forward. I prayed for all of them at once. I was very deliberate, very distinct, very articulate, very precise. And when I prayed, I said, I take under my control all 53 of you deaf spirits. <laughs> one person, one devil, I don't know, who cares? If one of them had 40 and one of them had 30, it didn't make me any difference. But at the time, I was interested in 53 people. All 53 of you deaf spirits. And I commanded them in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of them. And I believed that it took place. Then my wife and I, we brought them up the steps. We took her small wristwatch, little mechanical wristwatch, just a faint tick-tick. And we checked both ears of every person that came forward. Some of them had their interpreters with them, you know. Some were deaf in both ears. Everyone that walked across that platform, except, now I've forgotten the story, two or three. I don't remember if it was two or three that couldn't hear the watch out of both ears. What about those? That wasn't 100% yet. What about those? Before Sunday night, all three of them, or both of them, I forget whether it's two or three, but anyhow, if it was three, they returned and we checked them with the watch, they could hear perfectly from either ear. That was 100%. If God does something for one, he wants to do it for everyone. Puerto Rico. One night, the campaign was enormous. All nights it was enormous. But as the news spread, at the leprosarium, word arrived. Eleven lepers managed some way to escape from the leprosarium. Sneaked off, broke out, came into that meeting. Well, the poor things were scared. They didn't want anyone to know they were there. 
Anyone would report them if they knew they were there. What could they do? So they stayed back in a corner where they could hear. But one of the preachers found out about them. Well, God blessed the preacher. Instead of being one to chase them out, he was a good preacher. And he came to the platform and told Daisy and I. Well, in those days, after Jamaica, after God dealt with me, we never did pray for them individually. I mean, in the mass meetings. We pray for the sick all the time. But I'm talking about mass meetings to help the masses of people so they can all get it. That's why we pray in mass. That's the only reason. So we were praying in mass. Well, there were 50,000 people there. I mean, you couldn't line them up. Most of them would have died before the term came. No one ever got on the platform except those that were healed and were coming to testify. But I surprised the preachers when I heard about those 11 lepers. I knew they were out there, and if the police found them, they'd take them back. I said, bring those lepers to our platform. And they did. Marched them right up on the platform. It frightened some of the people. Some of their fingers were gone. Some of their noses were gone. Just holes. Some of their ears were gone, swelling, nodules all under their skin. We lined them up, boy, like princes. I like something like that. And after I preached a while, then I turned to them, and they were the only people in all of that crusade that we touched to pray for. I lined them up. I said, come on, Daisy. I said, let Jesus touch the lepers. He didn't touch the other folks so much, but he touched the lepers. The reason he did that, he wanted to show that you can't contaminate him. Amen. One by one, Daisy and I, we had our two little children there in arms, laid our hands on them. I don't mean on their clothes. I mean on their flesh. And I never burned so hot with the Holy Ghost in my life. One by one, we just spoke quietly but with authority. Be clean. Flesh, be clean. In Jesus' name. What a ministry of compassion. And the preachers took them down, put them in a station wagon, and took them back to the leprosy, and they were happy. Okay. Frank Hernandez, pastor of La Roca de la Salvación at Santurce, Puerto Rico, he was the one that kept me informed about them. Every one of those lepers were released within a year. One now, one then, one little later, one little later. And before you're best, every one of the eleven were cured were released. Some became preachers. Some became deacons. One became a singing preacher, and his favorite song was, Oh, Love of God. I share that with you. All, everyone, if we don't believe that God's gift of healing, God's ministry, God's healing life, I should call it, is for everyone, then it's not for anyone. Page 20 in our textbook. Parents often show favor to their children, some above others. But God does not. Say that. God does not. God Never. When we meet like conditions, we all reap alike. When we do our part, God always does his part. The benefits of redemption are for you. If God healed all, then he heals all now. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Matthew 12, 15. Great multitudes followed him and he healed them. Say it out loud. All. He healed them all. 
Matthew 14, 36, as many as touched him were perfectly whole. I love that. Luke 6, 19, the whole multitude sought to touch him and he healed them all. The whole multitude. I don't like for people to tell me Jesus is different today. When I go in a meeting, I always want to tell people, everybody is supposed to be healed in this meeting. Everybody. Not some. This isn't a punch and board. You punch the lucky number, or you draw the lucky straw, or you throw the lever and hope your number comes up. No! What Jesus died for is for everybody. And what we read today, they brought unto him those that were possessed with devils. Many of them. He cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Cast out the spirits with his word. The spirits of infirmity. The spirits of infirmity. With his word. You say, how do you do that? Get the Bible and hit them on the head? No. No, you announce the word. And I'm telling you, the devil will clear out. If you believe the word, you will persuade the people to believe the word. And in announcing the word, when you and the people are agreed that the word is true, you've pulled the rug out from under the devil. He'll clear out. People will get healed that you never know about. So many tens of thousands of demon-possessed people have been healed in our meetings, and I never cast the devils out of one of them, except with the word of God. In Uyo, Nigeria, if we would have collected the iron fetters from the crazy people that were healed, we'd have had quite a pile of them. I quit collecting those things long ago. But it gives you a weird feeling to have someone come up who's been healed. They look perfectly normal. They have trouble convincing you that there was anything wrong with them. And you finally have to get somebody out of the audience to come and tell us, do you know this guy? What happened to him? And they start weeping and telling you. And then all of a sudden, they think to give you some evidence. They say, well, look. Look here. And they show you. And here's big calluses around their ankles. And big calluses around their arms. And then they'll holler out there in their native language. And some village will come up there and bring those fetters that they had taken off of them out there. And they had been wearing them. And they brought them there like an animal. And they're free. I didn't know anything about it. Believe in the gospel that you preach. The gospel is the power. It's the scriptures that's the devil driving out power. You say, don't you believe we can cast them out person? Sure. Wonderful. But if you got a big crowd of them, don't wait on that. That's the point. Let Jesus loose on people. Via his word. Christ is still healing the sick. In order to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy, he healed all that were sick 
in Matthew 8, 16, 17, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, my friends, my friends, my dear friends, students of the Bible, one thing that you must learn so deeply that it becomes a part of you. Jesus died as our substitute. And when he died as our substitute, in our place, in humanity's place, everything that Jesus did in his suffering, he did it in the place of the people, you included, and all the people that you will minister to. Everything Jesus did, he did it in their place. Why? Substitution. So that they don't have to. May God burn that in you. So that they don't have to. Okay, so what is your principal message? The principal message of a gospel preacher is telling what Jesus did in his substitutionary death. Find out in the Bible all that he did. Tell the people. Explain to them he did it so that you don't have to. They'll believe it. When they believe it, they'll hatch off and be saved and get well and be healed. And the most wonderful and glorious things will happen. The message is simple, but people don't preach it. They ask me all the time. I said to a very important preacher just recently that we had spent quite a time with one evening because they wanted to ask me a bunch of questions, a great, great man of God. And I said to him, I said, you know, you forget, I don't know much. What do you ask me all them hard questions for? I don't know much. The only thing is, what I know is so extremely important. I know about Christ. I know about his death. I know about his sacrifice. I know he was humanity's substitute. And I tell people that because I think people have problems. People are hurting. People are in need. I don't need to indoctrinate them. I need to help them. I wish we could develop a brand new set of preachers that were not so interested in mastering all the doctrines of the Bible, but that would get a great dose of compassion and love for ordinary hurting people. But a lot of preachers act like that you've got to teach the whole Bible to everybody, and they ain't ever going to learn it anyway, but they're hurting. And Jesus wants to make them happy and heal them and lift them. Somebody says, now, Osborne, you sound like you're trying to make it as though you got the only message that counts to preach. I didn't say that, but I said, number one, by all standards, all standards, all teachers, all doctrines, there is one message we must give to everybody. Substitution. If we don't stand at the cross and at the resurrection and proclaim our message from that standpoint, then the power is not in our ministry. Words may be there. Performance may be there. Ceremony may be there. But the power won't be there. The power is in the gospel. The gospel is the power. The power is in the message of the cross 
the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where the power is. If you want power, you pitch all of your teaching and all of your message and all of your believing from that standpoint. And you'll know power. I guarantee it. Always remember, you are included in the hour of Matthew 8, 16, 17. Himself took our infirmities, by our sicknesses, that's me. You need to pat yourself on the chest and say, that's me and everybody I ever preached to. Hallelujah. Psalms 89, 34. My covenant, God says, will I not break, nor alter the thing that's gone out of my lips. Wonderful. Luke 4, 40. When this sun was setting, all they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them unto him. He laid his hands on every one of them. Now, there was a time when he laid his hands on. And it seems like it must have been a big crowd. So it must have taken a long time. So see, it's not wrong to do that. If you want to go overseas, have a mass of people, line them up, pray for them one by one. He did it. He didn't always do it that way. He did it that time. Don't you love Jesus? He never gets in a rut. And we don't have to either. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Healing was for all in those days. In Christ, the healers never changed. Well, page 21 says, Healing is for all and should be preached to all. That's just about as plain as you can make it, isn't it? Example. Philip. Acts chapter 8, verses 6 to 8. Philip preached Christ unto those people at Samaria. Notice he preached Christ. I like that message, don't you? And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits. There it is again. You know, we got to deal with devils. We're going to minister. We got to deal with devils. I'm so glad I found out I had power over them. We got a lesson coming up on that. Unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, many that were taken with palsies and that were lame, were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Jesus proved to be just exactly the same when Philip preached about him. You ever hear demons come out of people? I was preaching in a meeting. A man way out in the middle of the crowd surprised me. It was an area where they used some broken English. And you know what? I heard that voice so loud yelling, We won't come out! We run this machine. How about that? Now, I was just preaching along peacefully. Well, I was preaching mean about the devil. You know, <laughs> preaching to the people. And now that voice, well, I was just shocked. And all the people turned their necks, and I said to the people, I said, don't ever give the devil attention. Ignore him. Nothing he hates worse than that. If he yells his head off, you that's standing by him, don't look at him. Ignore him. Look at me and pin your ears to what I'm saying of the scriptures. And you'll see what's going to happen to that devil that's so worried. And you know, they just cooperated with me like that. You know, you get a crowd, a great mass of people, night after night after night, and they begin to see what happens. Man, they are with you. The devil is in trouble when he comes in a meeting like that. Pretty soon that voice yelled again, We won't come out! You can't make us come out! We run this machine! Just like that. Just yelled it. I just kept preaching. I never heard nothing else from the old boy. 
I tell you, he cast out the spirits with his word. I said, you give me attention to the word. The word will do the rest. That one is very, very worried or he wouldn't be yelping like that. <laughs> it's fun when they expose themselves. I never knew anything more about the case until it was all over and we had prayed and made the invitation and thousands of people had gotten saved and we'd prayed for the sick and the people were testifying and we were getting along an hour or two into the testimonies and it was up 11 o'clock, something like that, you know, by that time at night. And all of a sudden, here came a man and two people with him. And they were just breathless and they were so anxious to tell it. And they said, this is the guy that was doing all that yelling out there saying we won't come out. Said the third time he tried to yell at me, he just fell to the ground. So just fell in the pond. And said he fell right on his back. And these two witnesses came to tell us. They said we've never seen anything like it. Said foam just poured out of his mouth. But said his back would raise up and down like that. And it looked like he was going to kill himself just beating his back on the ground. Up and down. And said all of a sudden he just laid there in a pile. And said he looked up at us. And he got up, and he began to breathe, and he began to feel so wonderful. And then he began to realize what had happened, and he began to cry. He received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and became a great leader in a church there. You see, isn't that wonderful? You see, demons cannot stand God's word. So when Philip preached Christ in Samaria, it was just the same results as if Jesus had been there. Peter, take him for example. Peter preached Acts 3, 6 to the cripple at the gate of the temple. Give him a good message. And finally said, noticing that he wanted to receive something, took him by the hand, lifted him up in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And he did. The point? Jesus was the same when Peter ministered. Another example in Peter's life. Acts chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders done among the people. That's verse 12. Now 14. Believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women. 15. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter. <laughs> Boy, things was picking up momentum. That at least the shadow of Peter might overshadow some of them. Verse 16. And there came a multitude out of the city round about unto Jerusalem. Listen to them. Here's these devils again. Bringing sick folks and them that were vexed with unclean spirits. See, there's that crowd again. You always have to deal with those devils. These preachers that never cast out devils, they're missing something. <laughs> it's part of ministry. Part of the ministry. And here's the good part. I just love it when I read it. Bringing sick folks, multitudes from all around the cities, and those vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Does that tell you something? Believe for that. I shouldn't really say believe for that. Accept that. What are you going to believe if you don't believe that? You're going to work yourself up to a frenzy and say, I believe Jesus is different. He healed everybody then, but in my meetings he'll heal pretty near everybody. I believe he'll do a lot, but not all. I believe that some can get healed, but not all. What are you going to believe? You're going to believe something. I slipped and I said, believe for that. Believe for 100%. Nonsense. Accept that. Don't take nothing but that. That belongs to you. About the trouble of people, they preach and then they look and see if they can find anybody that still looks sick and they say, oh, they didn't get it. That's none of your business. 
preach the gospel. It's medicine. It will cure them. Give a little time if it takes a little time. I tell people, everybody will be healed either instantly or gradually. You'll either be healed instantly right here or your sickness will die and from tonight you'll get well. I can't find any grounds for believing anything else. They say, oh, you've got great faith, Brother Osborne. I don't think so at all. I can't find anything else to believe. What can I base my faith on if I believe that half of the crowd don't get healed? I've got to believe what the devil says. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to believe what God says. You say, what can I do about it? Go tell them. That's what I'm saying. Tell them. Be a teller. Be a witness. Be a minister. Let it flow. Don't brag on how much water is going through you. You just be the channel. Let the water flow. Paul preached Christ down at a town called Lystra. This is down in Acts chapter 14, verses 8 to 10. Oh, Peter did it some more too over at Aeneas' house. Acts chapter 9, verse 33. Peter found a certain man named Aeneas which had kept his bed for eight years. Was sick of the palsy. He must have really been paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Rise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. That's wonderful, isn't it? And all they that dwell at Lydda and Siron saw him and turned to the Lord. That's a good part of the healing ministry. It touches people. It helps them to believe. Paul at Lystra, there sat a man impotent in his feet, being crippled from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, perceiving that he had faith to be healed. Now what did Paul preach down there? I think if you'll read this, 14th chapter, you'll find that Paul preached the gospel at Lystra. What's the gospel? Good news. What good news? Good news of what Jesus did for everybody. What did he do? Good news to the sick man. He bore your sickness. Why? So you don't have to. So what? So you can be healed. Good news to the unbeliever, to the non-Christian. What good news? He bore all of your sins. Why? So that you don't have to. So what? You'd be forgiven, saved, regenerated, restored. That's gospel. That's the power. The gospel is the power. Paul preached the gospel at Lystra. The same heard Paul speak. Speak what? Heard him explaining how that what Jesus did on the cross was for him. And he steadfastly beheld him. Paul perceived that he had faith to be healed. You can tell. I've told many people to do that. Many people in our meetings. I'll watch them. I don't make a habit of doing this. I may spot them in the crowd and see some villager. Boy, they're turned on. They're so happy. They're caught up. They're enraptured. An old Hindu standing over here with two crutches and a big white turban. A Hindu. He was looking at me in big old beard and tears running down over his old beautiful old beard and old face. I said, Old man, Jesus has seen you. I'm going to pray in a little bit. When I do, put down your crutches. You've walked on them long enough. And when I finished the prayer, I heard somebody bounding behind me across the platform, that great big old Hindu guy with those crutches right straight up in the air, just walking, walking, walking. See, just like this, Paul saw him, who steadfastly behold him, perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. That's the power of the gospel. That power is at your house. May God take this lesson today and burn it in you 
with joy, a good dose of love and happiness to say, wow, that's for me too. God bless you. Lesson number eight today. You ready to go? Is your heart open? You say, Lord, I'm ready for anything you've got today. I'm sure that's your attitude. Today we're beginning at page 23, chapter 3 of our textbook, Healing the Sick. We've been talking a lot about God's will, and we will continue today, yet talking along that line, but hitting it from different angles. Today, our third chapter is titled, Reasons for Faith. I'd like to read for a scripture base, Luke chapter 5, just picking a couple of lines out of verse 17 and 18. Here's what you have. It came to pass that as Jesus was teaching, the power of the Lord was present to heal. Now, let's read Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, what are we talking about? Saved means healed or made whole or protected or blessed. All the good things that Jesus died to provide, you get it when you call on the name of the Lord. Now, the question, verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? Now, how's anybody in your town going to know to call on the Lord with faith if they don't believe? You've got to believe before you're going to call on God. Next question. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Now that points up the reason for our lesson today, reasons for faith. If they haven't heard, how are they going to believe? And how shall they hear without a preacher or a testifier or a believer or a talker or a witness or a speaker or a teacher? Anything. Someone to tell them. Our ministry is communicators of the Jesus love to everybody. Verse 17 is the conclusion. So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There is a wonderful verse in John chapter 6, verse 15. It is written in the prophets. Here's Jesus quoting the prophets. And they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh to me. That's beautiful, isn't it? If people can hear from us and learn from us about how good God is, they'll come to God. That's why the ministry of healing the sick. I've said it before, let me say it again. The ministry of healing. Everything we get from God is healing. The sick, everything that we lack from God, and to that extent, we're sick. So we're not talking about helping people with arthritis get rid of arthritis, and with cataracts get rid of cataracts. All of my life I've been dogged by the voices that say, oh, Osborne's just interested in some miracle of healing. That's all he's interested in. Of course, that's nonsense. As long as you know it's nonsense, what's the use to react to it? If you react to it, it shows it bugs you. No use to react to it. Just have compassion for them. Someday they'll learn. Anything we can get from God is some more healing. 
whatever we don't have from God that Jesus provided for us, we're sick to that extent. The ministry of healing the sick is the ministry of bringing restoration to people. It's the ministry of fulfilling God's dream so that people can be like Adam and Eve before the fall. I tell people all over the world, look at T.L. and Daisy. You see the same thing you'd see if you'd see Adam and Eve. No different. We're happy. We're in love. We're fulfilled. We're having fun in life. We're blessing people. We're healthy. We don't argue. We don't fight. We're tranquil. We're peaceful. We're taken care of. Every need is supplied. Everything is cool. Everything is beautiful. Wholeness, completeness, tranquility, peace, fulfillment, achievement, productivity, creativity, just like Adam and Eve, doing business with God. You bet. And T.L. and Daisy, their whole lives are committed to doing business with God. We see ourselves like that. Some folks hear words like that and get so mad they want to fight. <laughs> it always tickles me how unbelievers hate believers. By that I mean the spirit of it. How doubt hates faith. I don't know why, whether it's embarrassing to them. What causes that reaction? But anyone that's a real unbeliever, oh boy, how he would like to pull down everybody that does believe and how he likes to boo them for claiming they believe something. Oh boy. Isn't that strange that it's like that? Why don't they leave them alone going about the business? What's the problem? But it's that way. It's because there's two spirits. And that unbelieving spirit is from that bad side of things. And that believing spirit is from God. And the devil just can't hardly stand God. And he just tries everything he can to blow him up, to mess him up. He got in the garden, found out about God's dream to love people, and he got in there and he went to work on it. And boy, he did make a mess of it and thought he had God bested, but he didn't. Because God never gives up on his dream. Love can't quit. As long as you can't quit, you're not whipped. God wasn't whipped. He's never whipped because he keeps on loving. When we love, we can't be whipped. Never, 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 never. And so healing, the ministry of healing, is the ministry of wholeness, of restoration, of regeneration, of lifting people out of their problems. Back up here where God is. The book I've written, go for it, get the best out of life. Oh, I hope you get that. Get up here where God is. That's what Adam and Eve were made for, to walk with God. Do business with God, think with God, act with God. And anybody who tries to go against that and reject that only finds frustration, distress, apprehension, and all sorts of these destructive emotions that destroy human beings because we're made to walk with God. Praise the Lord. So, that's why it said, therefore, every man, never woman, that has heard and has learned of the Father comes to him. Isn't it exciting to be a vehicle 
through which people can hear and learn of the Father and how good he is. Many people recognize the fact of divine healing, but they have no personal knowledge of Jesus as Savior of the body. He saves my body just the same as he saves my soul, my spirit. He's my Savior. They're waiting for a special revelation of the will of God concerning their case. That's a funny thing. Going places, praying. They'll find out what God's will is in their case. And all the time, they're doing everything they can to get well whether God wants them to or not. I always think that's so humorous. I learned a long time ago, church doctrines don't have to make sense. <laughs> Tradition doesn't have to be logical. We go out here and teach so avidly, God uses sickness in many cases to bring people to God. And everybody says, Amen. Yet everybody's trying to get well, whether God wants to use sickness in their case or not. That don't make sense. They come out and tell us, sickness, according to the Bible, as I understand, it has to be of the devil. And that's why I believe doctors and medicine is of God. But now to come along and preach that doctors and medicine are of God and have hospitals and all this medical science and then turn around and say, sickness is of God? That's a paradox. Both of them can't be true. Doctors doing everything they can to destroy sickness. They would be walking devils if sickness was of God. Every nurse would be a rebel in God Almighty's camp instead of an angel of mercy. Hospitals would be houses of rebellion against God. We ought to burn down all the hospitals, run all the doctors out of town if we believed that sickness was of a God. Yet the very preachers that preach sicknesses of God oftentimes are the ones that have hospitals and doctors. You see, but church tradition don't have to make sense. But God's Word makes sense. In God's Word, healing is of God. God is healer. Sickness is of the devil. Cast out devils. Jesus cast out devils. Sickness is left, and the sick got well. And don't that make sense? Sure. The Bible reveals the will of God in healing. God need never give a special revelation about what his will is. His will is revealed in his word. When God called the Israelites out of Egypt, he gave them a statute and an ordinance for healing. And we open this course with Exodus 15, 26. And I don't need to repeat it to you, except to repeat it says, I will put none of these diseases upon you. In the original, I will permit none of these diseases to come upon you, which I permitted to come upon the Egyptians. Satan, the god of this world, is the agent of sickness. It's never of God who is the author of life. All through their history, the Israelites, trusted God as their physician. In sickness, in pestilence, they turned to God in repentance and confession and received in answer to their prayers whatever they needed. If healing 
in answer to prayer was God's way under the old covenant, much more does it prevail under the new covenant. Matthew 12, 15, great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. Christ's works of healing were not to prove his divinity alone as some people suppose, but to fulfill his commission, to fulfill the will of God. Hebrews 10, 7, lo, I come to do thy will. Jesus himself is a revelation of the will of God. He did the will of God. He healed all who came to him. His priesthood is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same in love as when he, in compassion, healed the multitudes. He's the same in power as when he healed all manner of diseases and all manner of sickness. Hebrews 2.17, Wherefore in all things it behooved Jesus Christ to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful. Merciful or compassionate and faithful high priest. Is he your merciful and faithful high priest? And will you tell about him to people? During his earthly ministry, Jesus was everywhere moved with compassion and healed all them that had need of healing. And he is our faithful and merciful high priest. Now, here's some words I don't know how to pronounce. You excuse my naivety in this, but you pronounce them, you'll fix them up right. In the scriptures, compassion and mercy mean the same. The Hebrew noun, I would pronounce it rakamin. Rakamin, I don't know how you say it. R-A-C-H-A-M-I-N is an English spelling of that word. That Hebrew noun is translated both mercy and compassion. The Greek verb E-L-E-E-O, eleo, I would think is the way you'd say that. That Greek verb is translated have mercy and have compassion, both. Likewise, the Greek adjective elimon, E-L-E-E-M-O-N, is defined merciful and compassionate. Christ commissioned his 12 disciples to heal the sick. Matthew 10, verses 7 and 8. Later, he commissioned the 70 to heal the sick. Luke chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. He said, into whatsoever city or town ye enter, heal the sick that are therein. Then, his commission was given to all who believe. Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. That includes me. He commissioned me and you. Every believer lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. You can do it. You will do it. You are doing it, I'm sure. Then, that commission was given to the church. Everybody. The church. The institutional church, the corporate body, the collective body, but the individual body too. Each individual in the church. James chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. I could read all them to you. 
These commissions have never been withdrawn. Healing in answer to the prayer of faith was the only way of healing known in the early church. A thread of healing has run through all the ages to this present day. And now this truth, almost lost in the spiritual darkness of the Middle Ages, has been rediscovered under the great outpouring of the Holy Ghost in these last days. And I'm glad I'm in the big middle of it, aren't you? God has provided healing throughout Christ's redemptive work, always. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5 are great verses on which faith can rest. Verse 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Did you read that? People thought God did it to him. They've always thought if somebody gets sick, God does it to them. And here, even when Jesus, our substitute, succumbed, or I should say, yeah, to assume our diseases and our pains, everybody thought God did it to him. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We thought God was getting even with him. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Isaiah the prophet foresaw this and understood. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Somebody said to me one time, I never could understand that. By his stripes we were healed. With his stripes we are healed. I said, well, it's simple. You know, he bore everything that we ought to have borne. All of our punishment, all of our diseases, all of our sicknesses, all of our pains, all of our wrongs, everything. He bore it as our substitute in our place. Now, I said, if he took yours and it's already done and it's in the past and he's already done it, how would that leave you? If it was yours, he already bore it and it's in the past and already done, how would that leave you? Wouldn't that leave you healed? He brightened up. I said, you see, with his stripes we are healed is another way of saying, since he bore your sicknesses, you don't have to. You're well. He paid your debt. You wouldn't pay your debt again, would you? How many times can you pay one debt? You can't pay a debt but once. If you pay a debt, the debt don't exist. You want me to run that through again? That's very important, you're preaching. And if that helps you, mark it down. That's one of your big ones. Go out and teach that everywhere. Teach it, use it. No use to run out and grab your hands on everybody and try to heal them. Go teach people, they'll get healed. They don't get healed while you're teaching, then you want to lay hands on them, lay hands on them, they'll get healed. But teach them truth. Teach them. Practically always, it's recorded that Jesus was teaching and preaching and healing. You got to teach and preach. You got to share with people. They've got to hear about him. They've got to learn about him. Then they know what to believe. They don't know what to believe until then. You understand? So when it says, with his stripes, we are healed, is another way of saying, since he took our diseases, our diseases are gone. If our diseases are gone, we're healed, aren't we? If you haven't got any diseases, you must be healed. You can't pay a debt twice. You can't punish a crime twice. 
No judge can put two sentences on the same person for the same crime. Never, never, never. Won't work. Illegal. Won't work. Our sentence was placed on Jesus. He endured it for us. He went to jail on our behalf. Paid it. Settled it. Settled with the jailer. Got the keys from him. Walked out. Everything's free. The doors are open. Nothing else to pay. No debt. If someone paid it for you, there's no debt. That's redemption. That's the story. That's where the power is. Now you talk that, and you're talking power. Believe me, I know. I put it to the test in almost 70 countries. I've seen about all the kinds of devils there are to see. I've seen the real ones. I've been encircled by them. They've been all around me. It's lonesome on those platforms to see those masses of people out there. I've been at it for 33 years, out there interspersed with witch doctors and lepers and maniacs and soothsayers and you name it. It's been there. But you can't get on me because I'm redeemed. I'm healed. I'm saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you with me? Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 is a great verse. God's always provided healing through Christ's redemptive work. The Hebrew word, which is rendered griefs in Isaiah 53, surely is borne our griefs, is said to be everywhere else in the Bible translated sicknesses. Now, isn't it funny? That time the translators decided to call it griefs. But those translators did that in a day when they were so against healing that it must have busted a something for them to have made it as clear as it is. You ever think about those guys back then? That commission working for King James? Boy, he had the pressure on them. You know, where David said, God that wondered, looked up in the heavens and marveled, what is man that you're mindful of? And you made him a little lower than... And they voted and they fussed and they... Wow! And they said, hey, we better get our heads together. We can't put God. The king may kill us. He didn't make us a little lower than God. Let's put angels. I believe we can make it. Let's put angels. Okay, they said. They voted. Okay, let's put angels. But everywhere else, the word's translated God. But man, when you say God made people a little lower than God, oh, they couldn't have risked it. After all, their bread and butter was at stake. The king might fire them, take them off, get another commission. Do you ever think like that? Hey, you got a brain. Use it. They were humans, working for the king, making this Bible. Then we get up and quote it like it was, you know, like a boy, boy, boy. But now we have such wonderful learning facilities. We have Strong's Concordance. We have his matching lexicon on Hebrew and Greek. My, what wonderful facilities we have. And any child can take them and with simple number references go right back and dig. You can find that one word and you can find over that lexicon, you can find maybe a whole page or two or three with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of scripture references. You can do it. It's just got numbers. If it says 1037 and it says 1037 over in this book, you can go look for 1037. Then go to the big lexicon, 1037, and you can learn anything the preachers learn. 
So that's why when we get up and say something about this 16th century translation called King James, it's not all that holy. The truth is well protected. But now isn't it interesting? Surely he hath borne our sicknesses. Oh, we can't say that. Can't you see that board say, if we say that, he's borne our sicknesses? That don't make sense. We better not say that. We better say griefs. That's nice. Griefs. Everywhere else in the Bible, that word is translated sicknesses. That one time, the translator changed it to griefs. Isn't that cute? Oh, we get so holy about King James, you know. Thank God for good sense and judgment. Also, by his stripes, by his bruises, by his suffering, we are healed. Isaiah 53. That's simple. Everything I ought to have assumed in the way of judgment for my sin and disobedience to God, he assumed it in my place. And Jesus said one day, if you believe in me, you'll never come into condemnation or you'll never be judged. That's our message of salvation. You, unbeliever, non-Christian, we tell them. You, if you will learn of Jesus and find out what he did and believe it, you will never, never, never be judged for your sins. Jesus was judged for you. And there is therefore now and forever eternally no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. See, that's redemption. That's redemption. Now, sickness is part of that condemnation. Sickness is part of that judgment. And we've got to get out there and preach and teach and reason just like I'm doing in these lessons with the people so that they can come to understand and discover we're free. We're free. We're healed. My brother, I'm from 13 in the family, seven of us boys. My oldest brother, he went to be with the Lord two or three years ago. When he was a boy, you know, we worked hard on the farm, had horses, and he was riding a horse, and the horse bucked him off, and he landed on a stump of a tree on the end of his spine. And it really, really was a bad thing. Of course, it could have crippled him for life. What had happened, it damaged him. He was young and robust and healthy, and he thought he'd outgrown it. But as he got older, up to about 40, paralysis started setting in on him. And by the time he was about 55, he was a wonderful Baptist man, stayed right in there at those Baptists, but loved God. Oh, he loved God. But I come along and was preaching this. He was the oldest and I was the youngest of seven boys. And of course, he loved me and he'd come to hear me. He always carried a pillow because when he would sit down, he was number every day. And the doctors had told him, within five years, you'll be in a wheelchair permanently. You won't be able to walk at all. You'll be on crutches in about two years. You're slowly dying because there's nothing we can do for that injury was. Well, there he sat back there in that Baptist church where I'm that Baptist preacher let me preach. And we had a great meeting. And I just made it fine with them. I love them folks, you know. <laughs> and I preached on this. And about by his stripes, we were healed. And how that's not a future thing. That's not something you get if you beg enough. That's not something you got to fast to get. That's not something. He didn't say you'll get healed if you pray long enough. You get healed if you're good enough. 
You'll get healed if you fast once in a while. you get healed if you pay your tithes and are faithful in church. You'll get healed if you get the right people to pray for. We are healed. How could we be sick when our sickness was already transferred to his account and he took it? The only way we can be sick is to believe in sickness and accept sickness. The fact is, we are healed just like we are saved. Then I backed up and give a lot of that good old Baptist doctrine. Nobody better than them Baptists on preaching salvation, you know. God bless the Baptists, as Osteen says. Amen. And they have a great message. I love them. They're strong in the, and I'd go over that, and then I'd bring healing into it. And everything in the world you can say about salvation, you can say about healing because they're synonymous. You can't call healing one thing and salvation another. But them Baptists didn't know that. Their seminary hadn't told their preacher that, and none of them had found it out. But boy, the nickel dropped in my brother. He's sitting way back there on the back, and I'll never forget the night I was coming down on that scripture. And he stood up. He took that pillow by the corner in this Baptist church. It was very quiet, very sedate. I was giving them all the fits they could take, you know. And back there, and he took that thing by the corner, and he whirled it. He said, them, and tears. He just choked up, just bawling and yelling, and he said it loud like he was calling hogs in the blackjacks, you know. Then, by his stripes, I am healed. Whammoing away down to the front, his pillow. <laughs> and that was the last of the paralysis for my brother. He was as nimble as a kitten up in his 70s, Going strong with God, a carpenter working on roofs, everything he could do, anything kid could do. Walked with God. He never had paralysis again. But he got the idea. He got the truth. Jesus took it so we don't have to have it. The life that brought Jesus from the dead is in us and is now quickening our mortal bodies. Everybody quotes that and talks about resurrection. That's not resurrection. That's resurrection, but it's resurrection now. I'm getting some resurrection every day. Resurrection morning, I'll just get more than I ever got before. But it'd be the same stuff. You with me? There are types of healing all through the Old Testament. Types of Christ's redemptive sacrifice for our healing in the Old Testament. Leviticus 14, the type of the cleansing of the leper. In the old covenant, a type of redemptive healing through the particular provision of cleansing for the leper under the old covenant. You tell me a leper can't get healed under the new covenant? I come back and tell folks a leper's got healed and somebody say, oh now, come on. We believe in a lot of stuff, but now let's not carry it too far. They could get cleansed in the Old Covenant. Isn't this any better? In Numbers chapter 16, verses 46 to 48, the healing of the plague. When the plague was stayed. You've read it, haven't you? Numbers 16, 
46, And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar, put on incense and go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them, for there is wrath gone out from the Lord, the plague is begun. And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. Behold, the plague was begun among the people, and he put on incense and made an atonement for the people, and he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. A type of healing. Jesus stood at the cross between the dead and the living. Hallelujah. And made more than an atonement. And the plague has stopped since he stood for us. The plague has stopped. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? The brazen serpent, Numbers 21, verses 7 to 9. You know that story. Make a fiery serpent. The people had complained. Moses prayed. God said, make a fiery serpent. Set it on a pole. Numbers 21, verses 7 to 9. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten. Oh, I tell you, that lifts me when I read that. When he looketh upon it, shall live. Just a look at the master, and no matter what you've done, you shall live. The ministry of healing the sick. Be a channel. Let the people hear of him, and learn of him, and look at him as their substitute. And if they'll just look, they'll live. In the old covenant, all they had to do was just look at a brazen serpent, Everyone that was bitten that would have died lived. Not one died that looked. They lived. Moses made a serpent of brass, put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if the serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Does that rejoice your heart like it does mine? And then don't we read in us Moses, John 3, 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent, Jesus talking, Jesus said it. This must have been important, a good example. As he lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever looketh to him or believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. <laughs> Preachers will do that. God won't have to. <laughs> oh, may God help you never be a condemning preacher. Did you know I've had people write me letters and get right up and corner me after meeting and get mad at me because I don't get up and jab my finger and preach mean to sinners. Don't have to fight back. We love people. They already know they're in trouble. God sent not his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be healed. God sent his son into the world that the world might have the ministry of healing the sick. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. They already know they're in trouble. 
No, we can be lifter-uppers of human beings. Satan is a put-down. Jesus is a pick-up. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men and women unto me. He's up. He draws. That's an updraft. That's an updraw. That's an uplift. My friend, as a student of the Bible, wanting to have the ministry of healing in you, learn how good God is, how full God is. He loves you, and he wants to show his love through you. Deuteronomy chapter 28 tells us all of the curses that came upon human beings. God set before them life and death. He told them, choose life and live. If you follow me, obey me, you get all these good things. Read them, Deuteronomy 28. In the last half of it, if you won't do what I say, all these troubles will come. Just like Adam and Eve when they were driven out of the garden, when they said no to God, they didn't trust his integrity anymore, they were driven out, and all these bad things started happening. But, Galatians 3, don't you love it? What does it say? Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Chapter 3, verse 13 of Galatians. The curse. Deuteronomy 28 tells you the curse. Christ hath redeemed us. Redeemed, bought back, restored, fixed again, justified, like the little Sunday school child said, just as if I'd. I like that. Just as if I'd never done it. That's redemption. Christ has redeemed us. You mortgage something, you pawn something at a pawn shop, take your typewriter in, they give you $10, it's worth $100, you pawn it for $10, and they've got it. They give you so much time, and you can't pay it off, it's going to be theirs, but your friend goes down, pays it off, gives it back to you, it's yours. The pawn shop operator cannot claim it anymore. Suppose he comes and says, that's mine, that's mine. You say, oh no, baby. It was yours. For $10, it was yours. For a mess of pottage, it was yours. But it wasn't mine. He says, yeah, you didn't pay me. You, didn't. you say, yeah, but I got a good friend, and he did. No, he didn't. Oh, yes. You see? Right, there it is. Back up, buddy. That typewriter's mine. Now, wouldn't anybody do that normally? That's the message of the gospel. That's redemption. That's the way we preach it to the people. And the people then will stand right up and say to the devil, you back off. I found Jesus. I preached in Nigeria. And you know what started happening? They started dumping juju on the platform. Now, I never preach against their gods. I got a lot better message than to announce their gods for them. I'm not going to announce them those idiotic things. And give them no attention or nothing. I'm not going to advertise for them or call their names. Never do. Never will. And all of a sudden, the platform... I was sorry because the king was there on the platform. And 
there all those people started dumping that juju stuff, pulling it off their arms. It's little sacks of all sorts of parts of bodies that they grind up and wrap in little leather bands and tie around their arms or their waists or their legs, and that keeps the spirits, the evil spirits off of them. And if the witch doctor of their enemy clan tries to put a curse on them, that's supposed to keep his curse from working on them. So if they got the best witch doctor and the best uh, bloody gory stuff wrapped around them, then that other guy can't get in on them. Boy, don't you love to preach the gospel to people like that? and show them what's already happened. Enough blood has been shed, and it's righteous blood, divine blood, one sacrifice, once for all. That's what our message is. They start dumping this stuff. They gathered up three great big gunny sacks of that stuff. They start, I didn't preach about it. I didn't know what they were doing. They started throwing it up there and throwing it up there, and the people were shouting. They were going crazy with joy and throwing it up there. They had to clean the platform up with it, and I never did preach against it. But what happened? They got the idea. Jesus is in me. Jesus is in me. He's enough. I'm born again. I'm new. I'm the righteousness of God. See, people wonder, how do you get all the miracles? That's how. Just stay with it hour after hour after hour until the nickel drops, until they get it. And pretty soon they'll get it. And when they get it, the gospel is the power. You don't pray the power down. You preach it out. There's power here right now. Wonderful power. God bless you. Let this power be infused in you. Become a channel of this power by giving out his word to people. And we're just going to stay with this until you get it, until you never forget it. And you know I've got one message to tell the world. The work is done. The victory is won. Hallelujah. We love you. And we look forward to the next lesson. It's going to be terrific. God bless you today. Our textbook, Healing the Sick, the book that has over 400 pages in it. I'm glad you have yours. Read it. Pass it out to people. Let them read it. Thousands upon thousands have been healed while they've read it. And as this impregnates you, becomes integrated into you, these truths, you'll never be the same. You're a special person or you wouldn't be in this class. It's remarkable to be able to come to a class like this and learn about the ministry of healing the sick. And I just pray that God will pour his spirit upon you as we teach. I don't want to lose any time because these sessions move very quickly. We're reading as a base for today's lesson, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. If God is leading you to preach the gospel, be a preacher and a teacher and a sharer and a teller of all of the benefits that have been provided for people through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. That's terrific. I don't think we ought to be caught in accidents or disasters. Our lives are sacred, redeemed from destruction, so that we can fill out our lives, live them full, active, helping people. Verse 4, 
who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. That's the crown I wear. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things. We oughtn't to be paupers, to stand in a bread line. We oughtn't to have to be on welfare. He satisfieth thy mouth with good things, good things. Take your concordance sometime and study and look up all of the scriptures that has things in it. You'll see how many good things God has for you. So that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. You bet. God wants us to be blessed and to be active and productive. That's the message that has changed cities and nations all over the world. Daisy and I have been privileged, as I've told you before, to give over three decades already, and we don't feel we're near done. We're just learning how. All over the world in almost 70 nations, sharing this simple message of Jesus Christ and the blessings that God wants people to have, the benefits that God gives. And from time to time, I've been sharing with you some of the gospel according to T.L. and Daisy. Let's share a little bit in Chile. Page 347 of your textbook. After five glorious weeks in this great capital city of Chile, Today was the closing parade. It was the greatest evangelical demonstration in the history of Chile. Five weeks. Somebody told me the other day that said I've never conducted a crusade longer than three days. I've always been glad that F.F. F. Bosworth told me when I was 25 and he was 75. He said, Brother Osborne, when you go in for a crusade, stay until the devil gets worn out and leaves town. Don't you leave. <laughs> and you know, that advice has helped me a lot. Sometimes preachers tend to flit from place to place. And I like to just lay the word on and on and on and on until he gets tired and scared and clears out and we've got the whole show. Why not? Five weeks, beautiful. Well, that's what happened in Santiago de Chile. At 2 p.m. we arrived at the plaza where the parade was forming. People were pouring together like rivers. Thousands were carrying signs and testimonies on everything from poles and sticks to broom handles. Scores of trucks, wagons, carts, and every kind of animal-drawn vehicle were taking their place in the parade. Over six hundred musicians were there from one church alone. There were over a thousand bicycles. Isn't that terrific? A huge Salvation Army unit was beautiful in the parade. A whole unit of policemen assisted. The parade packed a street extending over 35 blocks long. Standing at one point, it took over an hour for the parade to pass. In all, it took over four hours from the time the parade started moving until the last of the parade reached the park where the great crusade was. 
The big evening newspaper bore the headlines, 300,000 Evangelicals March in Osborne Parade. Then the entire center spread of the paper was a huge picture of the audience together with other pictures and articles about the parade stretching across both pages. The whole city is talking about the crusade, the miracles, and the celebrations. To God be the glory. That's beautiful, isn't it? I want to tell you something. For five weeks straight, the crusade was either headlined or an article on the front page every day for five weeks. We have the stacks of the newspapers in our archives day after day after day after day telling the miracles in Chile. Let's go to Jakarta, Java. Santiago as a city was affected. Let's go to Java and see a nation. 30 to 40,000 people were jammed together on the Lapangan Bangting grounds in the capital city. I preached on the subject, the gospel is for everyone. <laughs> That's our message. That's what the world wants. If it's not for everybody, who's it for? I stressed John 3.16 and Psalms 103, verse 3. That's what I've read to you for the basis of our lesson today. The people are so hungry and eager to learn here in Java. Actually, it exceeds what we saw in Latin America. Fully, 8,000 people raised eager hands today to accept Christ into their hearts and pledged their lives to Him. This sounds fantastic, but it looks even more awesome, especially realizing that Java is 95% Muslim. When we prayed for the sick, truly Christ confirmed his word. A boy who had been blind in both eyes was wonderfully healed and could see everything. A woman who had been blind in one eye for nine years was healed. A Chinese woman who had been crippled for 12 years and who could only hobble on two canes was miraculously healed. A woman who had been severely paralyzed on one side became perfect. She was so bad that her left side had been hard and stiff and drawn. Her arm had been drawn to her side and her leg drawn and stiff. Every part of her body was supple and free and healed. For eight years she had not walked. Another woman who had been paralyzed on one side for nine years was completely restored. Four men testified of how they had been cripples and were healed. One had not walked in over four years. At least eight to ten totally deaf people were healed. A woman whose shoulder had been broken and who had been unable to raise her arm for years was healed completely. A great miracle was wrought on a little girl who had been the victim of a disease, probably polio. They called it a fever, which had destroyed the strength and muscles in her legs. Her legs and her hips were just like skin and bones, limp, and useless. You can be sure it was polio. For over two years, the child had not taken a step. The father brought her and laid her in a rickshaw. That's a little bicycle, three-wheel bicycle deal that you ride in, a little man-powered taxi. He laid her in a rickshaw during our message, and she fell asleep. As I prayed for the sick, the father laid his hands on the child and prayed earnestly. I didn't know anything about her being there. The child awoke. 
and said, Papa, I'm healed. Just like that. She was instantly made perfect. She walked and ran perfectly normal. One could hardly believe she had ever been crippled. But many witnesses knew her. How we thank God for his mercy. Two lepers were cleansed today. One had been a leper for five years and the other for 12 years. Both testified that every feeling had returned to the previously dead parts of their flesh. Oh, how they wept as they told what Jesus had done for them. And they promised to follow him. It was a great crusade. 33 years, Daisy and I are seeing things like this. Day after day after day. I give these little sections of the gospel according to T.L. and Daisy to encourage you to know that God has not closed shop and he will work with you confirming his word with signs and wonders when you preach it. In Java, the Indonesian people are a very, very logistical, level-headed, fine breed of people. About the third night of the crusade, the government cracked down, a Muslim government, but they were very courteous to us. The attorney general summoned me to his office the next day. Had it been in many parts of the world, investigated. Indonesians don't think like that. They're very democratic. Their logic was, let the man continue his meetings, but let's investigate. Fortunate for the crusade, because once the advertising is out, it's hard to get that momentum built up again that you've paid for by advertising and by Christians going all over the country with handbills and leaflets telling the people, you know, you got to do that all over again. Day after day after day during that crusade, I went to the Attorney General of the nation, the Attorney General's office, at 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, and I was there till mid-afternoon being interrogated. Day after day after day. They asked me, I've got the list of questions. It's a volume of stuff. They drilled and they peered and they penetrated and they searched and they poked <laughs> every way they could to find out what this was all about. It was brand new. And of course, really, the Muslims were very concerned about it. But anyway, it was so logical. I presented them the Bible. I told them what we believe. I gave the witness of Jesus Christ. I told them what the Christian faith was. And when it was all over, now the crusade grounds were within the shadow of, on one side, a huge Catholic cathedral. And on the other side of the great park was a Muslim mosque. There we were between them. Well, when this interrogation was all wrapped up and finished, the attorney general, very courteous through the whole thing, finally reached his conclusions and gave me his verdict. Really an ultimatum. He said, Reverend Osborne, here's our position. You may continue your crusade. You may preach and teach anything that you believe 
about Jesus Christ and your religion, he called it. I don't have any religion. I have a lifestyle. So you can preach and teach anything that you believe about Jesus Christ. But, sir, and then he became very firm. You may not teach or preach anything about any other religion, either directly or indirectly. You have liberty to preach what you believe about your God, but no liberty to criticize any other religion, directly or indirectly. He got all through. He thought he'd really hem me in. And I looked at him and I said, Mr. Attorney General, with a real quiet voice and kindness in my eyes, I reached out and shook his hand, and I held it. I said, I would to God that every Christian preacher in the world were obliged to follow your ultimatum. We would have a better world, and the Christian church would be a lot farther down the road. Thank you for freedom to preach about Jesus Christ. And that day, and that experience, I learned something very, very important about evangelism. Announce the good news. That's the only message we have that will win the world. Anytime you're going to go become a student of Hinduism, Shintoism, Confucianism, Islam, animism, the religions of the people to whom you preach, and take it upon yourself to go out and compare them, then you turn Christianity into another religion. There is no argument. We have no religion. We have a life, a miracle life, a living Savior. May I pass on to something that I hope you'll get the tape and back it up and hear it over and over until you can copy it down. I can't repeat it. Take enough time. Christianity is the only form of worship. I didn't say religion. The only form of worship in which the object worshipped dwells in the heart of the worshiper. Islam never claimed that Muhammad dwells in them. No Hindu ever claimed that the gods that he worships dwells in him. Buddhism never claims that Buddha lives within them. That's the core of Christianity. The only form of worship in which the object worshipped dwells in the heart of the worshiper. Jesus is alive. We have a lifestyle. That's the message that changes cities and changes nations. Sin and sickness. He forgiveth all thine iniquities. He healeth all thy diseases. Sin and sickness are intimately connected throughout the scriptures. Psalms 103 verse 3 as we said. 
John 5, 14. The man at the pool of Bethesda, 38 years, healed by Jesus. Jesus found him later, told him, now sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Sin and sickness are connected throughout the scriptures. Matthew 9, verses 5 and 6, and also Mark 2, verses 9 to 12, are the same story of the man who was let down by the ropes in the hole that they made in the roof of the house before Jesus. And Jesus said, which is easier to say? Your sins be forgiven you, or rise, take up your bed and walk. From both sin and sickness, we have redemption through the precious blood that was shed and the stripes borne by Jesus. All that God has given us is given through Christ our Lord. And it's given to whosoever will, whosoever will meet the conditions, whosoever will believe the gospel. Gospel. What's gospel? Good news. What good news? What Jesus did on the cross for everybody. What did he do? Good news to the sick man. He bore your sickness. Why? So you don't have to. So what? So you can be well. Good news to the sinner. What good news? He bore your sin. Why? So that you don't have to. So what? So that you'll be saved. Good news to the guilty person. What good news? He bore your guilt. Why? So that you don't have to be guilty. So what? So that you can have peace. That's our message. The world is hurting. They're suffering. Good news to those who feel condemned and guilty and inferior and under judgment and afraid. What good news? Jesus bore all of that for you. He assumed the judgment of all of your sins for you. Why? So that you don't have to. So what? You have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And by believing that he did it for you, you stand justified, just as if I had never done it, justified before God, without guilt, without condemnation, and I will never come into judgment and never be condemned for my sins, for all of them have already been judged, the judgment has already been born, and here I am free and happy and saved and redeemed. That's our message. That will change a nation. It'll change a tribe. It'll change a city. You go into town and start arguing doctrine, you won't change anybody. The world hurts. They want messengers, healers, the ministry of healing the sick. All that God does is a form of healing. A guilty conscience being removed and justification and righteousness coming to us is the greatest healing that we can have. The ministry of healing the sick. The sick. Everybody that's away from God sick. They may not have tuberculosis. They may be sick in their mind. They may be sick in their attitude. They may be sick in their way of life. Their marriage may be sick. Their business may be sick. Their attitude may be sick. The ministry of healing the sick is the total ministry of channeling the Jesus life into people and picking them up and making them new, uncondemned, righteous, not guilty, saved, holy, royal,
dignified, strong, courageous. The ministry of healing the sick. Healing the sick. The cross. That's a classic message. Better book than that, I should be holding up as this. A classic message. Thus saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All that God has given us is given us through Christ Jesus. And it's for everybody. We may accept ourselves. People may accept themselves. X-E-X, -E -X, accept themselves. But God accepts E-X, accepts no one. He A-C-C, -C, he accepts everyone who calls on him and believes on him because he is no respecter of persons. James 5, 14, is any, not some, anybody sick? Let him call. Call on God. Call on Jesus. Call for the elders. Let them do the praying. Call. Call. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved or healed. Call. Call unto me. I'll answer thee. Call. Let him call. If he can get the elders to come, call on them. If they're not believers, don't call on them. Jesus is elder. <laughs> call on your elder brother there in heaven. If you can't get anybody else, call on him. Call. Prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. The elders can pray the prayer of faith. Preacher can pray the prayer of faith. You can pray the prayer of faith. Jesus is your intercessor at the right hand of the Father. Call on him in his name. He'll pray the prayer of faith. <laughs> Amen. You say, Father, let them have it. They're calling on me using my name and we made a deal down there. If they shall ask anything in my name, they can have it. The Father says, right. Right on, son. <laughs> Don't be offended at that. <laughs> Matthew 7, 7. Ask, it shall be given you. John 14, 14. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Mark eleven twenty four. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And right quick, can we look at Romans 8, 11? Healing is promised through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. If the Spirit of Him, get this, I want to focus the rest of this class today on this. If the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Now teach this to people. If this turns you on, teach this to people. Then he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Of course, people say that means resurrection morning. That means the dead in Christ shall rise. That isn't what it means at all. Right now, the spirit that dwells in you will quicken your mortal body. The same Holy Spirit who did all of Christ's miracles and raised him from the dead is still in the church and the church is you and it has the same power 
The Holy Spirit didn't minimize or adjust or tone down or tune down his power when he came to live in you. John 14, 16, Jesus says, The Spirit will abide with us forever. You believe that? Now, say now. First Thessalonians 1, 5, Paul speaking. Our gospel came not in word only, but also in power. Greek word, dunamis, dynamite. Power. That's how the gospel came, in power and in the Holy Ghost. The power is in the Holy Ghost. Luke 24, 49. I send the promise, Jesus speaking, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with dynamite. Dunamis, with power from on high. We are to have power. We have power. Dunamis. Life. Acts 1 and 8. You say, have I got it? Yes. Everybody who believes on Jesus has. Yes. You shall receive, Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive dynamite. Dunamis. Power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Mark 5, 30. Jesus, you know the little woman, issue of blood 12 years, touched him. Jesus, knowing in himself that dynamite, dunamis, power had gone out of him. The same word. The translators decided to make a pretty word over here. They called it virtue. Isn't it strange what lovely ideas they would get? Go along, keep very consistent, and then they come to a nice little case. Anytime you get to a case of healing, Back in that 16th century, those theologians didn't believe in healing for people. They believed sickness was good. So they had to put pretty words. You know, it must have strained them to get it as straight as they did. So a nice thing would be, say, virtue. Isn't that lovely? Virtue went out of it. The same word as in Acts 1 and 8. You shall receive power. Power went out of him, and we've got that power. 2 Timothy 1, 7. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of dynamite. Hallelujah. Of power and of love and of a sound mind. We're smart. Amen? The Holy Ghost controlled all of Christ's actions. Luke 4, 14. Jesus returned in the dynamite, dunamis, power of the Holy Ghost into Galilee. Boy, when he come out of that desert, no wonder them devils got scared when he come to town. They'll back off when you come to town. They back off when I get to town. You bet they do. I would if I was them. I know me. They do too. God knows me. Demons know me. They yelled out, Paul we know, Jesus we know, but who are you? Those bunch of hypocrites, you know, trying to cast out devil. We know Paul. And if this day they say, and we know T.L. You can bet on it. They got my number, but I got theirs before they got mine. <laughs> Hallelujah.
Say, that's bluff. No, I wouldn't talk like that if I was afraid of the devil because I got to go out there and face him. Every campaign I go out there, walk out on that lonesome platform surrounded by witch doctors and demoniacs and lepers and crazy people and witch doctors. Uh, no, I know what I'm talking about. But to all those things, people say, watch them, watch them. I've had missionaries say, that one's very powerful. Brother Osborne, be very prayerful. That's a joke. Me pray extra because a dirty witch doctor is there that can throw big spells? Never would I dignify him with an extra prayer to keep his power off of me. Boy, he better not get too close to me. He'll never have power again. He better do some praying to his gods. Some of what I got don't mess him up. Well, you say, boy, you got great faith. No. Learn to believe what Jesus made you to be. That don't take great faith. Believe John 3, 16. That's enough for that. The Holy Ghost controlled Christ's life. He came in the power of the Spirit. The Holy Ghost anointed Jesus with power to do all of the miracles that he did. Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Power with the Holy Ghost, the power, the dynamite, the doom, the same power that he anoints us with. It is no different. The anointing that was upon Jesus is no different than the anointing that's on you and me. He anointed him with the Holy Ghost who went about doing good healing all who were oppressed of the devil. The Holy Ghost anoints you and me, Acts 1 and 8. The Holy Ghost is given to the church. That's me. Say, that's me. That's me. Sure, you are the church. 2 Timothy 1.7. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. The Holy Spirit worked all the miracles in Paul's ministry. Romans 15, verses 18 and 19. Speaking of the things Christ wrought in him through mighty signs and wonders by the dynamite by the dunamis, by the power of the Spirit of God. That's how Paul says all of his miracles were wrought. That's exactly what I read to you in Chile and in Java. It was the Holy Spirit that hovers out over that mass of people that does the miracles. The same Holy Ghost that did Christ's miracles that came on believers after the resurrection, that worked through Peter and Stephen and Paul, works in the body of each believer. Romans 8, 26. The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Infirmities. You want to write it down? It's a big Greek word that I wouldn't dare to try to pronounce. A-S-T-H-E-N-E-I-A-I-S. Asthenaeis. Asthenaeis. I don't quite have the vowels. It's a very musical language. That's the commonest Greek word for sickness. A-S-T-H-E-N-E-I-A. Try your luck at it. The Spirit helpeth our sicknesses. In this world, it seems there are laws. The law of life has made us free from the law of death. Sickness is the law of death. How are we made free from the law of death? Through our faith. 
How does our faith work? By the power of the Holy Ghost in us, the dynamite in us. That law, that Holy Ghost, that dynamite in us helpeth our infirmity. These sicknesses of the devil would poke at us all the time. You say, Osborne, didn't you ever have any? Didn't you have any? Yeah, I've had them. What'd you do? I fought. Me and the Holy Ghost got together and we won. <laughs> Literally. You want me to prove it to you? The Holy Spirit helpeth our infirmities. Helpeth. Another big long Greek word. You ready for it? S-U-N-A-N-T-I-L-A-M-B-A-N-E-T-I-A. How would you like to try to pronounce that? Sunantilambanatia. Sunantilambanatia. It's pretty close to it. Sunantilambanatia. The Holy Spirit helpeth. That form of that word, sunante lambanetia. That's a good guess at it. Yours is probably better. If you studied language, you know. <laughs> There's a music to every language, and that probably sounds very funny. Someone that speaks Greek. The Spirit helpeth, or helpeth. That's that word. Now, that word, helpeth, it comes from three roots in the Greek word. Sun, S-U-N, which means together with. S-U-N means together with. Anti, just like we understand it, against. Anti. Anti, against. The root of the rest of it, lambanatia, that's a different form of the word, but the root of the word lambano, L-A-M-B-A-N-O, which means I take hold. Now look, put this together. Together with, against, I take hold. You got it? The Holy Spirit takes hold together with, with who? With me, with you. The Holy Spirit takes hold together with me and Jesus and... Boy, you put all that together against a sickness, no wonder it don't stay. Now that's what the Holy Ghost does in you. The Spirit helpeth our infirmities. That's how the translators put it in the 16th century. Helpeth. And they didn't want to make it very strong about sickness. Helpeth. Okay. God might help you a little now and then. Won't get too bad. But God gets a lot of glory, so he won't let it get any worse, so it won't hurt too bad. You know, he'll help you. But the real root, the Holy Ghost comes in and takes hold of that thing with you and Jesus, and it skedaddles. Hallelujah. And that's exactly the way it works in me. How about you? Just as the Holy Ghost raises up in us against sin, and if there's a mistake or an error that convicts us and the Holy Spirit moves in us, we say, no, I mustn't do that. No, that's wrong. No, 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 no. In the same way the Holy Ghost, when it's time for it, and it runs in the neighborhood, and everybody's got it, and it runs in the family, and the Holy Ghost gets hot in you and says, no, no, not at my house. No, sir. Back off, devil. You knocking on the wrong door. This is redeemed property. No. Romans 8, 11. I read it to you. The spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Quicken 
Another big Greek word, Z-O-O-P-O-I-E-S-E-I. What a word. Two of them in that. One, we know it better as zoe. Z-O-E is the root, life. The other one, P-O-I-E-O, the root of I make. He's saying here, the Holy Spirit in you says, I make life. That's exactly what he does. He is the life maker. He is the miracle worker. He moved on the face of the deep in the beginning when the world was without form and void and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the deep and things began to happen. And I was without form and void one day and the Spirit of God moved on me and things began to happen. And He has been making life in me, supernatural miracle life ever since. Now that's why we don't have to succumb to diseases and sicknesses and weaknesses because the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in us. And if he does, that spirit quickens our mortal, 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 mortal bodies, mortal. What does mortal mean? Another Greek word, T-H-N-E-S-K-O, tenesco. That word never means a dead body. This it means resurrection. When we're resurrected, he'll quicken our bodies. No, that word never refers to a dead body. Never in the Greek language. It always refers to a body that is liable to death or that is subject to death. That's what we are. We are subject to death. The last enemy to be conquered is death. It hasn't been conquered yet. It'll be conquered resurrection morning. When it turns us loose, the dead in Christ will rise and we'll all get more life, Zoe, than we ever had before in our life. And the Holy Spirit will do the biggest miracle he's ever done before and we'll leave this world and go to be with God and ain't that going to be terrific? Yeah. You're getting it, aren't you? He quickens our mortal body. Mortal. Thanesco. Subject to death. The same word is used in Romans 6.12. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. Now, does that mean when you're dead and in the grave waiting for resurrection? You're not going to have to worry about sin reigning in your body when you're dead and in the grave, are you? Let not sin reign in your mortal body. That's the same mortal body. The Spirit will quicken your mortal body. The one now that you're fighting out sin. You're fighting out disease. You're living and following Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4.11 for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. That's going on all the time. We're dying daily. That why? That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our finesco, in our mortal flesh. The life of Jesus manifested in our mortal flesh. My cells, they dance for joy. They've got life. John Calvin, one of the most superb Greek scholars that the church has, says of Romans 8 and 11, quote, The quickening of the mortal body, the Tenesco, the mortal body cannot refer to the resurrection of the saints, but must mean a giving of life to their bodies while here upon earth through the Spirit. John Calvin was right. That was a revelation in his day. He must have grappled with these healing scriptures. You know, he had that straight. 
being a Greek scholar, do you have it straight? Can you teach it that way? The Holy Spirit is the miracle worker, and he lives in you and in me. And next week, we're going to get into one verse of scripture that's going to turn you on. And I'll be telling you next week what it's about. But meanwhile, may God bless you and lift you, and may your Tenesco be revived in new life by the Holy Ghost. God bless you. This is lesson number 10 in this course. And I'm praying and believing that by now God is working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure, which is to heal the sick, to heal everybody that's away from God and bring them to God and help them to find him in reality. Our textbook, Healing the Sick, written in 1949-1950, published by Harrison House, Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're over at page 29 today where we're going to begin, and we're taking up this chapter 4, Why Do Not More Get Healed? I want to read as a scriptural base for this lesson today from Acts chapter 8, verse 5 through 8. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. That's the good message. The people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. We can go out and affect a city, a nation, a tribe, a country, if the people can see proof that what we're teaching is real. And then it said, For unclean spirits crying with loud voices came out of many that were possessed with them, many that were taken with palsies and that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Now I want to share with you a little bit of the gospel according to T.L. and Daisy. Let's go over to Thailand, page 350 in your textbook. We arrived at the gate where the great crusade was being conducted, and I found my Thai interpreter talking to a woman who had been healed. For nine years she had had tuberculosis of the spine and was bent over. She had suffered terrible pain. She has been attending the crusade and had accepted Christ as her Savior. This morning, she was completely healed when she arose. Well, that was a Buddhist woman. Thailand is a Buddhist monarchy. Most of the people that attended our crusades there were Buddhists, but not for long when they saw proof that Jesus was alive. She was so thrilled, neighbors asked her, what happened? What medicine did you take? Who healed you? She told them how she had believed in Jesus and had been healed by him. They said, you know, those Buddhists are strong. They said, it's better that you remain bent down and die rather than give up your Buddhist religion. <laughs> they made them mad. She told them, you have your heart, I have mine. I accepted Jesus and he healed me. All day she had testified. She told how one of her neighbors who was unable to raise her arm had come and was healed also. After the sermon, hundreds received Christ as Savior, and then we prayed for the sick. A little leper woman was healed. The leprosy had affected her hands until they were just clenched fingers, welded tight with no movement, and they were numb and dead. 
Her feet were the same. Sores had erupted on her legs and her hands. She said, I was alone. I had no job. My parents died of leprosy. No one would talk to me or come near me or visit me. I was lonely. But now I have a friend. I'm not alone anymore. Jesus loves me. He's not ashamed to come to my hut. He's not afraid of me. I'm healed. I will always follow him. You want to reach the Buddhists? That's the way to do it. That's the way Jesus would have reached them. Into whatsoever city or town you enter, heal the sick that are therein. That touches people at the need of their hurts. Show them that God does not want them poor. God wants them blessed. Lift them. Impress upon them that God made them for success, not failure. Lift them. Lift the nation. Lift the politicians. Lift the business people. Lift the beggars. You ever shake a beggar on the shoulder, laying in the gutter? You're supposed to give him a dollar or a quarter or some money. You ever shake him and say, hey, what you doing there? You're dirty. Look at me, I'm not dirty. You stink. Wow. I don't stink. Smell of me. What you doing there? How many feet have you got? How many hands do you have? Two. That's all I have. How many eyes do you have? Two. That's all I have. You got a brain. I got a brain. Hey, I want to give you something good to think about. God paid as much for you as he paid for me or anybody else in the world. He believes in you just like he believed in me. When you're going to get up out of the gutter, quit begging from people. Go out and get a job. Clean up. Comb your hair. Get the fleas out of your hair. Wash. Quit stinking. And God will make a master out of you. That's the way to help a beggar. I've done it. I know. I know men who were beggars when we were in their country. Today, they own businesses. You don't have to beg. That time meeting, only God knows what happened. Let's go up to Kyoto, Japan. Here in this great seat of Shintoism, you want to win the Shintoists? You want to go to Japan? A city of magnificent temples, Kyoto, the capital of Shintoism, the greatest temples in all of Japan, that's the place we picked. When we went to India, we went to the seat of Hinduism, Madurai, South India. The greatest temples in all of India are in Madurai. <laughs> Why shouldn't we go there? We're seeing great throngs gather on an open field to hear the gospel in Japan. Don't tell me anybody's any different. That world is out there hurting and sick and evil. They say Japan's different. Thailand's different. No, they're not. The gospel is to be preached to every creature, all the world. Jesus wouldn't have told us to do it if it wouldn't work. Tonight was a tremendous meeting. 
one of those truly great visitations of our Lord to the Shintoists. I preached on good news for everyone. That's our message. Hundreds accepted Christ. Then I prayed for the sick in Mass. People literally ran to the podium to testify. The platform was filled in 15 minutes. A man who'd been blind carrying a white cane was healed so perfectly he could even read the Bible to the audience. It was amazing. Seven deaf mutes were healed tonight. It's absolutely tremendous to see them weep on one another's shoulders. We saw 44 deaf mutes healed in that one crusade. I don't think we've ever seen people so emotionally stirred. They tell you the Japanese are stoic, unemotional. Don't believe it. Not when Jesus is turned loose on them. A man with itch all over his body was cured instantly. A woman was healed of cancer and coughed it up during the meeting. She was well. Three or four were healed of tuberculosis. A woman lying on a pallet arose and was made whole. I wish I had written all the details, but I was so dog-tired when I went in. I'm glad I wrote as much as I did. I don't have any idea of these stories back in these cases. If we knew the history of every case, it would be fantastic. Daisy kept notes. Sometimes we'd get her notes and get my notes and compare them. She got details because sometimes when she would interview the people, she would get more details than me. But these are just notes from my own diary. A boy with paralysis and epilepsy was restored instantly. A woman with one leg that had been paralyzed for several years was healed. A boy was healed of crossed eyes. They became perfectly straight. Another lad was healed of a big rupture. It was gone. A man whose finger was stiff because the leaders had been cut is now perfect. He's so excited and showing how his hand's now normal. Many other great miracles took place, but I haven't the time to record them. What a visitation of Jesus to the Shintoists of Japan. Wonderful. All over the world, almost 70 countries, never seen a failure. Can Jesus fail? Can his word fail? I could fail, but he can't. Preach the gospel to every creature. Everyone. Everyone. Now, you ready? You're going to have to write fast today. Acts 5 is another story of another city. Verses 12 to 16. By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Now listen to this story. Now we live this every day, Daisy and I. We live this. This is common to us. Over here we read it with awe. As some great historic fact, I'm glad to be alive to bear witness to you and you go out and tell it to others. It's happening in our generation. Hallelujah. I'm glad I don't worship a dead Christ. I'm glad I don't have dead religion. I have a living Jesus vibrating in me and in people. Believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women. We see that every day in those crusades. Multitudes are added to the Lord in a day. Some smart theologian says, ah, oh, but they're not really saved. Well, how would you know? I think God keeps tabs on things. I don't believe it'd do me any good to keep tab anyhow. I think that's up to God. I think he knows. And I think when you preach the gospel and they believe it and they cry and they accept it, I think they're saved. 
I go on thinking that. I go on believing that. Keeps me happy. And I go on. I'm like D. L. Moody. I like what I'm doing better than what you're not doing. <laughs> in so much, this was so big, in so much that they brought forth the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them that were vexed with unclean spirits. Here's your top line. And they were healed, every one. Say that together. And they were healed, every one. That's what we concentrate on today. The good life includes physical health. It's God's will for the new Christian to be physically healed as well as spiritually saved. As we read Psalms 103 verse 3, who forgiveth all, who healeth all. Faith is expecting God to do what he promised to do. That's why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. God has given to us his great and abundant promises, read 2 Peter 1 and 4, in order to reveal to us his will, his testament, or his will, or his promise, or his word is all the same. In order to receive any blessing from God, it must come to us by faith. To have faith for any blessing, we must be convinced that such a blessing is God's will. As long as we have a question about whether or not it's God's will that we receive something, we can't have faith for it. We're commanded to ask for things, believing that we shall receive them. Let him ask in faith, James 1, verses 6 and 7. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. He that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven of the wind and tossed. Let not that man or woman think he or she shall receive anything of the Lord. An unconverted person cannot be saved until he or she believes God loves him or her and that Christ died for his or her sins and is sure that it is therefore God's will and desire to forgive him or her. Right? Nobody gets saved till they believe that. That person then accepts this gift of new life by faith and that person is born again. They know salvation is for whosoever will. For everyone, they accept it. Now, in the same way, a sick person must be convinced. And it's up to us to convince them by teaching and preaching the word. Not just run out and go start trying to heal people. It's up to us to convince them by the preaching and teaching of the word that it's God's will to heal everybody. Otherwise, the sick people will not be able to ask in faith. Faith is expecting God to do what he promised he would do. Know what he promised, expect him to do it, that's faith. No big deal. Oh, you got great faith. No. I expect that much out of you. I expect you to keep your promise. You keep your promise. F.F. Bosworth used to say to me, when people ask me, is it God's will to heal me? I ask them, 
is it God's will to keep his promise? They say, yes. I say, do you keep your promise? They say, yes. I say, isn't God as good as you? They say, yes. I say, I think he's better than you. <laughs> no big deal. Faith, expecting God to keep his promise. But we grapple with all of these traditions that annul and make void God's promises doing the same thing the devil did to Adam and Eve. God didn't mean what he said. Theology is rampant with that. And then someone comes along and takes God at his word and they say, Oh, what great faith. Faith. Every child has faith. Faith is no big deal. I guess if you're going to listen to every Tom, Dick, and Harry that wears a DD on his name and gets up and tells you that God said it, but he don't mean it. He said it this way, he means it some other way. Then I guess to get rid of that, that's a big deal. It's always a big deal when you shake all of the pre-programming, negative pre-programming that's been fed into your computer. Scientists tell us it takes nine passes through your brain to replace an old thought with a new one. So hang on, baby. <laughs> you may need to hear these tapes again and again and again. Nine times at least. We're commanded to ask for things, believing that we shall receive them. That's the way a sinner's got to do to get saved. That's the way a sick person's got to do to get healed. Religious tradition teaches that one should ask for healing by praying, if it be God's will. Consequently, very few people experience miracles. That's like praying and saying, God, oh Father, if you were serious when you promised, or if you haven't changed your mind, please heal me. Why don't you go ahead and say it that way? Tell people that don't believe, tell them go ahead and say it that way. It'll shock them. They don't want to say that to God. But that's what we do when we say, if it be thy will. Well, isn't it his will to do what he said? The Holy Spirit moved on men to write this. What did he do that for? What do you write your will for? What do people write their wills for? For the children. So there'll be no fussing. They know what belongs to them. They get it. No lawyer can beat them out of it. It's in the will. It's written. That's exactly why our Father caused this to be written. Moved upon men and they wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. So that we'll have no question. You believe that? God has abundantly promised physical healing. The purpose of this lesson today, lesson number 10, is to show you that it's God's will to heal everyone who will have faith. Now think about this, what happened shortly after Christ was raised from the dead. Now that's very important that we understand. This is after Christ came back from the dead and went back to the Father. Because how many theologians tell us, you know that the day of miracles ended when Christ died. Then they updated a little bit when the apostles died it ended. Well, I know they're wrong on that because I'm alive and it's still happening. One theologian had the audacity to say, 
All that's just lies. Those people aren't getting healed. Well, you know, the devil's just got two tricks. Keep you from having miracles. If you have them, deny them. <laughs> I'm glad I know. I would so much rather be on the believing side than the unbelieving side. Did you know faith is the most positive, constructive, invigorating, life-stimulating, accelerating force a human being can have? That's what we're made for. And doubt, unbelief, is the most deprecating, depressing, depreciating, destructive, influence that can work in a human being. When a person is not a believer in God and his word, don't trust them. They don't believe in themselves. Integrity is dead. Conscience is numb. Jesus is positive. Faith is positive. This happened after Jesus came back from the dead. The crowds come in Jerusalem, they brought him everywhere, and the capstone, the bottom line, the beautiful text, if you would call it that, they were healed, everyone. Say it again. They were healed, everyone. Look at that a little bit. This is a record of what was accomplished under Peter's ministry after Jesus returned to the Father. They were healed, everyone. This is a testimony that Christ's ministry did not change after his ascension. They were healed, everyone. Was a fulfillment of God's healing covenant. I am the Lord that healeth thee. They proved it. Every one of them got it. They were healed, everyone. That was experienced by the entire nation of Israel. Psalms 105, 37, there was not one feeble person among all their tribes. That was the Old Covenant. They got it. Peter got it in the New Covenant. I get it today. Hallelujah. Amen? They were healed, everyone. That was experienced by everyone in the throngs which followed Jesus. Matthew 12, 15. Great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. They were healed, every one. This is what happened to every one of the Israelites who were bitten by the fiery serpents. Numbers 21, verses 8 and 9. When they beheld the serpent of brass, which represented Christ, lifted up on a pole, a type of Calvary, they lived. Every one that looked lived. Terrific, isn't it? They were healed, every one. This is what happened when in Psalms 107, verse 20, he said, he sent his word and healed them, every one. That's the purpose of his word concerning healing being sent to people today so that everyone will be healed. He has no exceptions. They were healed, every one. That's the promise for today. It includes everybody you preach to. It includes you right now. It'll save you from a premature death. Exodus 23, verse 25 and 26. I will take sickness 
away from the midst of thee, and the number of your days I will fulfill. I want to live a long time. He said, with long life I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. They were healed, every one. To make it possible for everyone to be healed, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us, every one of us, from the curse of the law, and this curse included, quote, every sickness and every plague which is not even written in the book of this law. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 61. Now, before that, in the verses preceding, it lists all the sicknesses, oh, a whole bunch of them. But then verse 61 says, and every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of this law is part of the curse. And Christ has redeemed us, every one of us, from the curse of the law. They were healed, every one. This blessing was provided for everyone at Calvary when Isaiah 53 says, Certainly he suffered our pains, every one of our pains, and our diseases, every one of our diseases. Our includes everyone. Amen? You believe that? They were healed, every one. Don't you love that verse? Is that growing on you? Hang on, you buckled in? We're not near through. It was made possible for everyone to be healed because of Isaiah 53 and 5 and of 1 Peter 2, 24. With his stripes, we are healed. We includes everyone. They were healed, everyone. This was made possible when, in Matthew 8, 17, Jesus himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Our includes everyone. You still there? When Christ came down from heaven not to do his own will but the will of him that sent him, that's in John 6, 38. When Christ did that, when he came down from heaven, not to do his own will, but to do the will of God. What did he do? He repeatedly healed them all. References. Matthew 12, 15. Matthew 14, 36. Luke 6, 19. Acts 10, 38. And verses like that are thick in the New Testament. When he came to do the will of God, not his own will, he healed them all. Why? They were healed, every one. That's his goal. His own ministry on earth established his will to heal everyone. They were healed, everyone. That was the standard in Christ's ministry. That is what he promised to the believing church. John 14, 12. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he or she do also. And greater works than these shall he or she do. They were healed everyone when Christ was here. They can be healed everyone when you're here because Jesus didn't change when he come to live in you. Think like that. Talk like that. Act like that. 
practice the awareness of Jesus, the unchanged Jesus in you. When he came to you, did he remeasure himself by your size? No. When he came to you, he remeasured you by his size. Hallelujah. Do you see yourself by his measure? Or do you see him reduced to your measure? Practice the awareness of the unchanged Jesus at work in you. See, that takes big faith, does it? It seems to me like it'd take more faith to deny it. It's easier to believe what God says than to deny it. The people that don't believe it, they don't have a leg to stand on. That's why F.F. F. Bosworth says, if you're going to doubt something, doubt your doubts. Don't doubt what God says. You can bank on what God says. They were healed, every one. Ever read Acts 1, verse 1 and 2? That's what Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And that's what Jesus continued to do after he was taken up and seated at the Father's right hand. He began doing it, healing everyone. He continued doing it, healing everyone. We are continued doing what he began doing. Amen? Read Acts 5, 16. He continued it. Read Acts 28, verse 9. Paul on the Isle of Mileta. The father of Publius, sick of a bloody flux. Paul entered in, laid his hands on him and healed him. And all of the other translations of the Bible, except the King James Version says, following that experience, all of the others also in the island, which had sick people, brought them to Paul and they were cured. All of the others also. King James says, others also. Well, you know, that 16th century, and they didn't believe much in healing. They couldn't say all of them. Must have been tough on them to say what they did. But all of the other translators, Moffat did it, Weymouth did it, all kind of Phillips did it. Read them all. You'll find all of the others also on the island that had sicknesses brought them and they were cured. That's just like Jesus. That's what he started doing. That's what he continues doing. That's what he wants to continue doing in you because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. They were healed, everyone. You liking that scripture more all the time? They were healed, every one. Is therefore the will of God now, while Christ is seated in heaven, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. They were healed, every one. That is as much the will of God as it is his will to forgive every unbeliever who repents, who forgiveth all, who healeth all. Psalms 103, verse 3. Say amen. amen. They were healed, every one. They were healed, every one. This blessing is for every city. Terrific. Pick the one out that you like. Go to it. Go get them. You and God can't lose. It's for every city. Because Jesus said in Luke 10, Verses 8 and 9, into whatsoever city you enter, heal the sick that are therein. And the sick includes everyone who is sick. Go heal them. You can do it. You'll be amazed. They were healed, everyone. 
That puts whole cities to talking about Jesus and makes him the public center of attraction, as was the case in Jerusalem when everybody was talking and they gathered him from everywhere. <laughs> I've seen that happen all over the world. Whole cities talking about it. They were healed everywhere. Acts 5.16, as we've read several times, they were healed everyone. That'll bring multitudes to hear the gospel. When that was happening, they brought multitudes from all the cities round about into Jerusalem. That's what'll bring the crowds. That's what always brings the crowds. In almost 70 nations, we've never, practically never preached a less than 10 or 15,000 people. That up to a quarter million people in a single audience. That's what brings the crowds. The people hurt. We are the healers. This course is on the ministry of healing the sick. Hallelujah. It'll also bring multitudes from the surrounding towns and cities. They were healed everyone. Acts 5.14. In this way, multitudes, both of men and women, are added to the Lord. When they're healed everyone, that makes multitudes believe. I know. I've been there. Don't listen to some theologian who hasn't been there. Listen to T.L. Osborne. I've been there. Why not? I know. Sounds kind of egotistical, I know. Kind of strong. But take it from me. I know. I've been there. Thank God I'm alive. Hey, isn't it terrific that you're getting to meet me? Wouldn't you like to meet Paul? You're getting to meet T.L. <laughs> now, some of you will ouch on that, and that'll spread bad word. But what's the difference? I'm alive. I've seen it. You wouldn't think I would just tell these blatant lies. Go all over the country, ask the missionaries, ask the national leaders, ask some of the presidents of the nations, ask the politicians. You know that it couldn't all be a bunch of lies. It works. I encourage you. It works. They were healed everywhere. I'm not saying everybody we've ever preached to has been healed. I'm saying the standard, what Jesus wants, they were healed, everyone. I believe it's for everyone. I never exclude anybody. Always, when I preach to the people, I always drive and preach and teach and emphasize and underscore and underline and push the fact everyone here is included. Jesus died for everyone. I'll cry out, you away out there at the edge of the crowd. You up there in the trees that are standing up there on limbs. Sometimes hundreds of people are in trees around a meeting like that. You know, I say, you that are in wheelbarrows or in carts or laying in boxes because they carried you here, all of you, it's for you, it's for you, it's for you. The most fantastic things happen to people like that, sitting off way in the distance. But I convince them that Jesus sees them. If we don't include everybody, we just as well not include anybody. If you're going to run a drawing contest, a glorified raffle, is that what you call it? If you're going to run around all over the world and carry out your glorified raffle, go to it. As for me, me and Jesus are interested in everybody. Hallelujah. They were healed everyone. That's the way multitudes come, and that's the way... Multitudes are added to the Lord. The first healing miracle in the book of Acts caused about 5,000 people to believe on Christ. Do you know what it is to see 5,000 people believe on Christ? I know what it is. I've seen, I'm sure, in a single service, I've seen 25 
thousand people accept Jesus Christ for the first time in their lives. I'm sure I've seen that many, many times in a single meeting. Now that's almost too much for us to take in over here. But just take it from me, it's true. You say they all serve God? I don't know about that. I certainly do my best while I'm there and we get all the preachers and we have seminars and we teach them and teach them how to follow up and how to preach positive and I try to get out of them all of that negative stuff that they've inherited from some of this stuff that's handed down. But you know, I can't get out of them in one week what they're taking a lifetime to learn. But we gain a little bit. And I'm sure if we could get all that negative stuff out of them and get them to believe in the Bible, then probably everybody that comes to the Lord would continue following the Lord. When them preachers, some of them go back in those churches and say, well, now you must understand Sally didn't get healed, but it's because God doesn't want to heal everybody. And he wants to draw us to God. And they start all that stuff. Well, no wonder. And they get up and jab their finger. You're going to go to hell if you don't take your paint off and if you don't wear your hat different and if you don't put on different shoes and if you don't do this different, do that. And then they wonder why pretty soon a lot of the people is gone. And then they say, Osborne's campaign is no good because we had a house packed with people when he left. Six weeks later, you couldn't find ten of them around. And they're too dumb to know it reflects on them. Not on me. I'm not trying to throw off on the preachers. It's not always the case. But what I'm saying is, if we include everybody and love people and minister to people and lift up people and help people and not finger jab people and put people down, it's amazing at the effect our ministry can have on our world. Everyone. Everyone. They were healed. Everyone. They were healed. Everyone. <laughs> Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4. That's the way God bore witness to this great salvation, healing everyone. Paul said, both with signs and wonders and with divers, miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. This is the minister which has caused multiplied thousands of non-Christians to obey the gospel in our own crusades all over the world. They were healed everyone. You like that verse? They were healed everyone. The early church prayed for this. Before the sick were brought from the surrounding areas to the streets of Jerusalem, before they were brought, the church prayed for this. Read Acts 4, 29 and 30. They prayed, Lord, stretch forth your hand to heal and let signs and wonders be done in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And the place was shaken where they prayed. I think the prayer got answered. And that may be why Peter had such a terrific move of God in Jerusalem. Pays to pray. Get people to pray. Line up people to pray. Every crusade we ever conduct, that's the first thing we do is line up people to get them to pray. They were healed, everyone. Even the physically well and strong, they united to bring about this result. Did you hear me? Everybody ought to be involved in getting everybody healed. Even those that were well and didn't need a miracle. They worked together for this. Acts 5.15. They brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches. Obviously, they that weren't crippled, they that weren't sick, brought the ones that were crippled, brought the ones that were sick, and they all worked together, working with God and the Holy Ghost, taking hold with them, like we talked about last week. And they were healed, everyone. Hallelujah. Say it again. They were healed, everyone. Say it. They were healed, everyone. 
Don't that sound good? You want some more? They were healed, everyone. This is what the early church, the whole church, is to pray for today in one accord, as the early church did. They lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Acts 4, verse 24. We're to pray for that. They were healed, everyone. This was accomplished for all. Are you listening? You got your ears on? They were healed, everyone. This was accomplished for all when the sick didn't get as close to Peter as the people got to Jesus. Mark 6.56 says, They laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. He said, Greater things than these shall you do. They didn't even get to touch Peter. It got better. Only the shadow of Peter passed over some of them, not all of them, some of them. Yet they were healed, every one. And there were multitudes of them. Say it again, they were healed, every one. This is the result the Holy Spirit longs to accomplish everywhere. Acts 4, 24 to 30. The Holy Spirit interceded for it. Acts 5, 12, 16. The Holy Spirit accomplished it. And the Holy Spirit recorded it. Why? So that every creature could hear and read about it and thus have faith for it to be repeated in his or her day. Hallelujah. They were healed, every one. That would have included you if you were sick and if you'd have been there that day. Healing, therefore, is for you today and everybody you preach to because God's will that was executed in Jerusalem has never changed. They were healed, every one. You like it? Say it again. They were healed, every one. That included all that were vexed with unclean spirits. The demon-possessed are included in God's will for every one of them to be healed today. They were healed, every one. These words could not be used in recording Jesus' ministry at Nazareth. There he could do no mighty work save that he laid his hand upon a few sick folks and healed them. And he marveled because their unbelief, only a few sick folks were healed in Nazareth. That's in Mark 6, 5 and 6, and Matthew 13, 58. Where the individual's attitude was wrong, the result under Jesus' ministry wasn't as good as under Peter's ministry when the individual's attitude was right. They were healed, every one. This includes Christ's promise, him that cometh to me, or she that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. They were healed, every one. May God drill that in you and give you life and the Holy Ghost take hold with you and make you a master in the ministry of healing the sick. God bless you and I'll see you next week. The ministry of healing the sick. I'm so thankful that I can be a part of it. After all of these years going all over the world, it's wonderful to be able to share with you. You count with God. And I think it's significant that you and me 
cross paths. I believe that God has a purpose for your life. Why would he have brought you along at this time to hear what this man T.L. Osborne has to say to you? Why would he have brought you along to be one to be part of the first course that we've given on tape? I think God has big ideas for you, and I pray that today this lesson number 11 will be an uplift and a strengthening to your faith. As you know, our textbook is Healing the Sick, the Living Classic, written 1949 and 50, unchanged through the years. It has stood the test. It's standing the test today. Tens of thousands have been healed while reading it. You can get them and pass them out to the sick. I wish every Christian that knows about it would keep ten. And then visit the hospitals and the shut-ins and give them to ten incurable people. Go back and check on them every two or three days so when they're healed you can get your book and pass it on to someone else. Tell them now you don't need it. You can buy one on your own. <laughs> it's the truth that sets people free. So we read from Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 as our scriptural basis for today. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, or Jesus as Lord, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man or woman believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Let me just throw in here, there are just two things about our Christianity, our faith and our ministry. What we believe and what we do about it. We believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and that Jesus is Lord, and what do we do about it? Tell it. Share it. Confess it. Some folks interpret that to mean that when you believe on Christ, then you stand before some preacher or kneel at some altar and you say, now I believe, Lord, that you saved me. Thank you. That's their confession. Nonsense. That's not the point. The point is, if you believe it, get busy and tell it. Confess it. Use your lips. Use your tongue. Spread the news. That's all there is to Christianity, what you believe and what you do. Well, I've been doing what I believe for a long time, and I plan to do it for a long time yet. Almost 70 countries, over three decades already. That's terrific, isn't it? I think that's worth flouting. <laughs> Let's take a little trip to Africa and take a day in this gospel according to T.L. and Daisy. <laughs> you know, there's a gospel of Mark and a gospel of John. They told about Jesus in their way. Paul talked about his gospel, and T.L. and Daisy are writing a gospel. We record it as we go. You're writing a gospel every day. Let's go over to page 352 in your textbook. We've logged a lot of wonderful stuff for you. Ibadan, Nigeria. Oh, what a meeting today. It was amazing. This is the largest all-African city on the continent of Africa. I preached on why Jesus came. That's a good subject. A vast company of people believed on Christ as their Savior. This meeting was on a great racetrack and it was packed from one end to the other.
Then we prayed for the sick after they accepted Christ. It was amazing what took place. The multitude gave praise and glorified God. First to testify was a man who had been blind for 15 years. His eyes were totally healed. He could see everything clearly. Next was a man who had been paralyzed, unable to walk for over five years. He was made completely whole. There was a woman who had hobbled about on two crutches. Her family had helped her to the crusade. She was totally healed and paraded back and forth, hoisting her crutches in the air, thousands glorifying God while she marched and praised him. Then all of heaven broke loose when a man who had dragged his body on the ground with his hands for over 30 years was healed and was made whole. He tied old rubber pads on his knees to protect them and used little wooden blocks for his hands to help him move about. His legs looked like poles, but as he walked, they grew. He had been a beggar in the streets, and he was a Muslim. Everyone knew him, and the field of people went wild with joy when they saw him walk. He gave a powerful testimony saying, if Jesus is dead, how could he heal me? You know me. I've accepted Jesus because he is alive. We've never seen a miracle so shake a city. The king knows him well, as every businessman does. It took over an hour to quiet the multitude after hearing and seeing this miracle. While the crowd glorified God, hundreds of others were healed and decided for Christ. Suddenly a woman rushed up to testify she had been a hopeless hunchback. They said she was so disfigured it looked like she had a child on her back. You know the African women carry their babies on their back. She was made straight in a second and the people around her were frightened by the power of God that straightened her back. She was so crippled that sometimes she scooted on the ground rather than to try to stand up enough to walk. The woman was completely restored and straight. It was glorious. A woman who had been blind for eight years received her sight. She cried out, I'm not blind anymore. I can see. You know, that's terrific to hear things like that and see things like that. Several deaf persons were restored and so many scores of miracles took place that it would take a book to contain them. How great God is. Well, you know, when you see those things year after year, meeting after meeting, for anyone to come around and say Jesus is different or miracles aren't for today, I smile sympathetically and say, buddy, you got to me too late. I've been too far. I've seen too much. You can't peddle that to me. Never. I have compassion for you. Come with me and you will change your song. Hallelujah. I'd like to just share with you a little bit more about this man. This man that crawled on the ground 30 years is a very interesting case. And you know, I often think if the Bible were being written today, no doubt he would be included in it. How many times have we preached about blind Bartimaeus? And sometimes I think we pass over these outstanding cases. I wish I would have had the strength and the time to have recorded more details. Once in a while, a case like him 
we would get more details, we would have an occasion to talk with them or have the strength or the time. He was one of them. He was a Muslim and his wife was the one that came to the crusade first. And she saw the wonders of God and she just believed that if her husband would come, he'd get healed. Well, he was a devout Muslim and so he wouldn't listen to her. She'd keep coming again, come home and talk to him about it, and he'd tell her to not talk about that anymore. One day, he took his whip. I don't know, it's sort of customary. A lot of them, they'll carry a whip under their robe because if there's any dogs or any problems, I mean in Africa, I don't mean Muslims as a religion, I mean in Africa, the African ones, because many of them are herdsmen and they're just accustomed to carrying it along. And he took out his whip and he whipped his wife good, right in the house. He was crippled, but she obeyed him. And he whipped her and said, don't you ever talk to me about that again. Well, that cut her off. She couldn't. So he was a professional beggar. You wouldn't know what a professional beggar is in this country. A professional beggar, they have songs they sing. They have monotone, monotonous rituals, phrases that they moan out on the streets. A professional beggar has certain people that he will visit at certain intervals and sing his little song or do his little thing and beg. So he made his monthly pass at the king's palace, the Olubaden of Ibadan, the king of the largest tribe in Nigeria. This king was 83 years old at that time. He was a saved spirit-filled preacher of the gospel, a great old saint. You know, in Africa, polygamy is practiced. I don't mean everywhere, but the biggest part of Africa, polygamy is practiced. Always part of his testimony, he had one wife. His wife was old with him, a precious woman of God, and he was glad for this testimony. Well, the king was the chairman of our crusade. So this was a terrific crusade. Every day, Daisy and I arrived at the crusade grounds in the company of the king. I mean, that's pretty high on the totem pole. <laughs> Did you ever have the king as your crusade chairman? And with his umbrella that a servant would run along and carry over his head, and he carried this flask, I don't know what it is, an ivory handle with a bunch of hair, a nice pretty round brush that they wave and it's traditional in Nigeria, probably other parts of Africa, and the people always prostrate before the king, always. You say a Pentecostal preacher, a king, a powerful figure, and people prostrating before him, yes, he didn't like it. And he would explain to us, it was embarrassing to him, he'd say, we don't like this, but tribal custom is so deep in our country and in our people, Brother Osborne and Sister Osborne, it takes time. We're gaining. Some of them, sometimes people won't prostrate to me, and I feel good when they don't. A precious man of God, but obligated to carry out certain traditions. So here are the people, as we walked in, all the people prostrating before us. Well, what would you do? Would you get mad and fight about it? No, you have to go along and do the best you can. Well, every day the king would open the meeting, make a nice speech, and then go sit down on his nice special chair with a big pillow on it and would sit there like a monarch. 
well, to me, like a saint. But he was a monarch. He was a great man. And he would sit there, stoic, never showing emotion. A gentle smile once in a while would crack his face that was unmoved. The Muslim came by the king's place to beg for alms. That day, the king didn't send his servant out. The king walked out because the king had a plan. He walked out and met Karimu. And Karimu was shocked. You know, when you're a beggar and the king comes out to give you the alms, instead of sending one of his servants, you better listen, which he did. The king didn't know anything about him having whipped his wife and telling her never to tell him to go to that meeting again. But God knew, and the king was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the king said, Karimu, as he gave him his alms, I have come to tell you today, I'll see you at the crusade, at the racetrack. When the king tells you he'll see you at the crusade, you go to the crusade. <laughs> Maybe the little lady's prayers were answered. Who knows? God does work in wonderful ways, his wonders to perform. That day, Karimu, a devout Muslim, me preaching, why did Jesus come? And then within the context of that sermon, I went back to his conception. Why God let him be conceived of the Holy Ghost so his bloodline would be divine? I didn't know about Karimu being there. The Muslims don't believe that. Why did I preach it that day so precisely? Why God let him be born of a virgin? I didn't know Karimu was there. Muslims don't believe he was born of a virgin. But boy, did I preach it that day. Why did Jesus come? How did Jesus come? And that day, as we preached and preached and went right on through his ministry, why? And his death, why? And his blood, why? And then his resurrection the third day, why? That was my message. See, that's the gospel. I didn't know Karimu was there. Those are all the issues that the Muslims don't believe. Well, when I got to that resurrection part and began to tell how we know Jesus is alive and the things that's happened since he rose from the dead and I'm a witness and what I've seen in this country and that country and what's already happened here on this race track, Karimu began to cry. It got to him. See, we can preach it, but it takes the Holy Spirit to change the hearts of people. Preach it. Teach it. Teach it to an individual. Teach it in a hospital. Teach it in a sick room. Teach it anywhere. That same Holy Spirit. You may not feel the jitters. You may not feel hot flashes and cold chills. That's not what counts. The Holy Spirit will always be there. It's his job to give life to the Word. He'll do it when you tell it. Well, that day as we prayed for all of the people, Karimu was out there, 30 years a professional beggar. He said he felt two friends take him by his arms and pick him up and raise him up and hold him up during the prayer. Well, being a reverent, devout 
Muslim with his eyes closed, praying out to God, and now he'd understood this about Jesus. And he was sorting all this out and believing it. It made him cry. He thought it was nice, but his curiosity got the best of him. He thought, while we were praying, he thought he'd like to see who was so kind to help him. And he opened his eyes to look, and nobody was helping him. Nobody. And that's when he realized that Jesus, having risen from the dead, had passed his way and had picked him up lovingly and had held him. And he looked down at his legs and he was standing on them. And I'll tell you, all heaven broke loose. <laughs> Hallelujah. He began to shout and cry. And the first thing, he reached down and unbuckled those rubber pads off of his knees and he held them in his hands. And his two little wooden things that he used to keep his hands from blistering that he walked with in his other hand and waving them and yelling and yelling and coming, running through the crowd and the people just opening up. It was just like a river through that crowd. The people opened up and glorified God and stood in awe and watched him go by. Kadimu, everybody knew Kadimu. And he came up the steps and he was waving those things and over to the microphone, waving those things. And I'll tell you, he preached the most eloquent sermon on the resurrection I ever heard in my life. Here was his sermon. He said, Jesus must be alive. Look at me. I think that's beautiful. He said, how could I be here if Jesus was dead? See, the Muslims had impressed him in their religion that Jesus was dead, just like Muhammad is dead. But boy, he found out Jesus isn't dead. I've always said it's easy to minister to Muslims. They believe in God. They've got a prophet. His name is Muhammad. They know he's dead. We've got a prophet. His name is Jesus. We know he's alive. All we got to do is prove that our prophet's alive. They can't prove theirs. They don't even want to prove. They know theirs is dead. No argument. Anybody that loves God will trade a dead prophet for a living one. So tell them. They want to hear it. Let it be proven. Karibu was changed. Well, you know, you have the funniest things happen in these meetings. All of a sudden, he turned around and looked at Daisy. He had seen her from a distance, and she preaches about 30 minutes before I preach. And usually, MCs all of the meetings. That meeting, the king would always make his introductory remarks and then sit down, and then the meeting would go... He turned around at Daisy and said, Madam Osborne, through the interpreter, he says, give me a new name. What a strange thing. Well, Daisy, quick as she always is. You know, if he'd have said that to me, I'd have went blase. I wouldn't know what to say. I'd have been swallowed. Just like that. Her eyes fired with love. She said, you shall be called Cornelius. Just like that. I thought, woman, you never cease to amaze me. What are you going to come up with next? Cornelius. You know what he did? He went over and fell down on his knees, got down on his knees before the king. We have a picture of him kneeling before the king. The king was seated there, very stoic, but very moved. Wonderful saint of God. He asked the king, is that name all right? The king smiled, said, that name is good. We shall call you Cornelius. Cornelius became a living witness in West Africa. He pledged to the people, I shall not stop until I travel to every town and village where I have begged and show them 
that Jesus Christ is alive. After that crusade was over, 40 miles away from Ibadan, for the first time in the crusade, we had taken a little drive, borrowed a man's car, and went out to see a little bit of the country. We never get to see the country in two meetings a day. You don't have time to do that. We were up at a very famous town about 40 miles north of Ibadan, and it's a very, very important Muslim town. One of the largest mosques in that area is there. The road goes right by the mosque. As we come over the hill, we saw a great crowd of people out in the road near the mosque. We thought, what is this? I wonder what this will be. As we drove closer, we were coming down a hill so you could see over in the middle of it, all the people were around somebody, and we saw this guy just giving them this. And this is the way he had done it on the crusade platform. I said, Daisy, that's Cornelius as sure as I live. That's Cornelius. We got close. It was Cornelius. He was preaching. He had a crowd. So the crowd found out who we were. And boy, was the excitement on. And they opened up and let us drive the car on in. So we got up on top of the car, got Cornelius up on top of the car, and there we preached the gospel that afternoon. And a whole bunch of Muslims accepted Jesus. I think things like that are terrific. I think it's wonderful to preach the gospel and see it confirmed by signs and miracles and wonders. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. That's the fact of the matter. Cornelius discovered the truth and the truth set him free from dead nerves and the resurrection life of Jesus Christ that we shared with you last week, or was it the week before? I believe the week before. That resurrection life gave new life to Cornelius's nerves and muscles, and he became normal. Two redemptive blessings which Christ brought to the world are salvation and healing. But really those are misnomers. We could say salvation from sin and sickness or healing from sin and sickness. Or we could say, why limited to sin and sickness? We have seven needs. In one of these studies, we'll discuss the seven redemptive names of Jehovah. We have seven needs. There are seven blessings that are a part of salvation, that constitute our salvation, meeting the total need of the total person. When Jesus heals us, when we talk about the ministry of healing the sick, we're talking about the ministry of bringing total wholeness to the total person. It would be incomplete for an unsaved person who is sick in body to be saved from sin and not be healed of sickness after he or she had heard and believed this truth of the gospel. For you to be healed and not to be saved would lack fullness. God wants your spirit to be regenerated when your physical needs are met. Why? Because that's what redemption is. How could
could you be blessed physically and not be blessed spiritually after you've heard this truth? You discover Jesus as your own substitutionary sacrifice, bearing both your sins and your sicknesses in your place, and you're set free. That truth makes you free. This is the truth that sets people free. In our crusades worldwide, we always preach a twofold provision. We tell the unsaved to accept Jesus Christ as both their healer and savior at the same time, to believe that he heals of sickness at the same time he saves from sin, and this brings perfect deliverance to spirit and body alike. Body and spirit are delivered together. <laughs> I always say when I address theologians, excuse me for this. I always tell them if I can get there first, <laughs> if I can beat you there, they'll get saved and hatch off and be well and never know what they were supposed to. But if you get there first, I'm messed up. It'll take me about nine passes to get out of them what you got in them. <laughs> once you prejudice people and once you teach them, God will save you from sins, but God will punish you with his diseases. Big deal. God is a mean God. He'll whip the fire out of you. He'll give you cancer, and it will be a love token in disguise. He will give your Aunt Sally a disease that's terminal and teach all the family to know his love for the family. I don't understand how educated people buy that stuff. I do not for the life of me. I go out to the world, I see heathen people, pagan people all over the world. That's exactly what they teach about their gods. They don't believe their gods are dead, I know they're dead. That's exactly what they teach about their gods. And then I come home and find Christian leaders teach that. I suppose already I've shown too much reaction. Take a lesson from me, you students. Don't ever do like I do, do like I say. <laughs> we must never react. If we react, we're the weaker. And I've already reacted and shown my reaction, and everybody's going to see it, but I'm going to apologize for it. I shouldn't have. We can't get mad at people for preaching what they believe. If we've got something so much better, let's keep smiling and tell what we believe and what God's shown us and what he proves, that'll help people a lot more than getting up and lambasting folks that differ with you. Good lesson for you. Paul says you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Well, how do you glorify God in your spirit? By having lots of sin. How do you glorify God in your body? By having sickness. Well, no wonder Jesus said to the man who was sick of a palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. When he said your sins are forgiven you, the religious man said, Stop that! 
No, excuse me, I've done that wrong. They didn't say that. They thought that. They thought it. He's got no right to do this. Nobody but God can forgive sins. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he knows your thoughts, he knows my thoughts, said, you didn't believe when I told him his sins were forgiven because you didn't see anything happen. Okay, I'll show you something you can see. Watch. Because after all, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Which is easier? You want to try it? Say either one. Come and tell him your sins are forgiven. Will that make it so? Come and tell him get up and walk. Will he get up and walk when you tell him to? That got through. That got through. Isn't Jesus a master? Isn't he a diplomat? Say the one you want to. Try either one. Try him. You want to try it? Nobody tried. Jesus said, okay. You didn't believe when I told him his sins were forgiven because you didn't see anything. But they were forgiven. But I want to show you how I know that and how you can know that. That you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Watch this. Arise, take up your bed and walk. And he did. He got up, he walked, and he as much as said. Now, you can see that. Okay, it worked, didn't it? For your information, that other worked too. His sins were forgiven. Hallelujah. That's the idea in that story. Jesus came to bring us salvation from our sins and from our sicknesses. And, as I keep saying, from all of the seven needs that we have, all of the seven problems that we are in, salvation is full. Let's just stress one thing to wrap up today's lesson. The word saved in Romans 10 and 9. We read to you, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 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 And we all interpret that to mean forgiven of your sins. The word saved in Romans 10 and 9 is the same Greek word used by Mark when he said, as many as touched him were made whole. Mark 6, 56, made whole. As many as touched him, Wherever they heard he was, they ran throughout the village's country. Did I tell you Mark 6, 56? They ran throughout the villages and the country, and they began to bring about in beds and in couches the sick, and they laid them in the streets wherever they heard he was, and they besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment, and as many as touched him got saved. Terrific! That's what the book says. Both words saved and made whole were translated from the Greek word sozo. Learn what these words mean in the original. Let me share with you. Let's take a few. Mark 5.23 They besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Healed, sozo, saved. 
she's dead. Lay your hand on her and she'll get saved. Terrific. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be sozo, saved. Luke 8, 36. They also who saw it told them by what means he that was possessed of the demons was sozo, was healed. Devil-possessed guy got saved. Isn't that terrific? This great salvation we must not neglect. The dead girl was raised. She got saved. <laughs> the demon-possessed guy, the devils went out of him. He got saved. Acts 2.21 it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be sozo, saved. You want some more? Acts 14, verse 9. The same heard Paul speak. This was a guy that was crippled from his birth. Who steadfastly beholding Paul and perceiving that he had faith to be sozo, to be healed, Paul perceived he had faith to be saved. He said, stand up right on your feet, and he leaped and walked. He got sozo. He got saved. Well, that's what Cornelius did. He got saved. Ephesians 2 and 8. By grace are you saved. By grace, unmerited favor, you get sozo. Life from God. Luke 18, 42. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Here's a blind man. Thy faith hath saved thee. Now there's a strange quirk, a strange twist of the translators. Isn't that interesting that they decided to have this blind man receive his sight and talk about saving him? You never can figure out those translators. That's what they did. Okay. Beautiful. That's what it means. But it's surprising that they said that. Thy faith hath saved thee. Your faith has brought sozo to you. Life, Zoe, from God. You've got it. Your eyes can see. All over the world that happens to people. All over the world. I'm thinking of a guy that was blind for five years. He attended Two weeks of our meeting before he got healed. Don't have short meetings. Stay till the devil gets tired and quits. He'll leave town in a little while. He'll leave you alone. Just stay till the word dominates everything. Till devils are scared to come out there where you're preaching. If sick people come out there, demoniacs, those demons will run from them before they get there. We've had as many as a hundred outstanding miracles reported at the microphone before we ever opened the service. People tell stories, when I walked on the ground, or when I crawled on the ground, something hit me, and I could stand up and walk. When I came on the ground, I was blind. My eyes opened. The devil would get tired and leave. Well, you hear me say that. It happens. Where was I? You want some more of this? James 5, 5. And the prayer of faith shall... Now, here's another quirk, a funny little twist that the translators gave us. Rather illogical 
But listen to what they say. Now, we read it and we never bat an eye. You know, when you read what's ordinary, when you think a thought that's already been thought, you never think it. You just process it. So we've quoted this from King James until we don't even bat an eye when we quote it. But it's really very strange terminology. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. Why didn't it say heal the sick? It says save the sick. That shows that this word, see, is dancing back and forth there. Sozo. The prayer of faith will bring sozo to the sick people. And the translators just got a whole bunch of words to use. Nice words all. But it's good for us to understand that they all are the same. What it does, it tears down this idea, this good idea, you know, that they say, God will save you, but then you must be patient in your sickness. God will use sickness to train you and bring glory to you and chastise you and use you and teach you patience. That can't be true, folks. It can't be true. Sozo is either sozo or it's not sozo. It's Zoe or it's not Zoe. It's life from God or it's not life from God. If it's life from God, it's for the whole person. You want some more? Mark 5, 34. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Twelve years with a flow of blood. And she got some sozo. <laughs> that stopped her blood flow and she was made whole. Sozo, Zoe, life from God. It'll always do that. Hallelujah. It'll heal anybody it gets close to. You believe that? You got it in you? You want another? Mark 5, 28. For she said, now here, the same woman. I'm backing up a verse. She said, if I may touch but his clothes, I can get sozo. I shall be whole. And she did. And it worked. And she got it. Here's another one. Luke 17, 19. He said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. He got sozo. The same thing, he that believeth and is baptized shall get sozo. No wonder if I can get there first. <laughs> they get sozo. I hope you get there first, if you believe this. It's tough to go in after the theologians been there that's taught them all this stuff, that they're supposed to have patience and all this sickness and stuff. It's tough to get them healed. It's easy if you get there first. They just hatch off, I prove it, by the tens of thousands and tens of thousands of cases. They just hatch off and get well, not before they ever found out they shouldn't. Beautiful. Beautiful. You want another one? Acts chapter 4, verse 9. If we this day be examined of the good deed done unto the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, how he got saved, be it known unto you all that dwell at Jerusalem by the name of Jesus, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. That was Peter's testimony. He got sozo, the crippled man, at the gate of the temple. When Peter and John took him by the hand and lifted him up, he got sozo. You want another one? Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby men and women can get sozo. The life of Jesus. Hallelujah. You want another one? Mark 6.56. 
Wherever he entered into villages or city or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garments, and as many as touched him, got sozo. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. I hope that turns you on. How many would be saved if all we preached about was, maybe it isn't God's will to save you? Perhaps your sin is for God's glory. Perhaps God is using this sin to chastise you. Be patient in your sin until God wills to save you. The day of miracle conversion is past. How many would get saved if that's what we preached all the time? No wonder a lot of people die prematurely. We have a better message. Sozo, the life of Jesus. I'm come that you might have life plenty of it for your spirit and your soul and your body, your whole life. In Jesus' name, I commit this message to you today, and I pray that it grows in you like good seed and purpose from today. I accept it. I shall give it out. God bless you. I'll see you next week. Learning about the ministry of Jesus. The Ministry of Healing the Sick. Well, today we have an exciting lesson. You know, we're coming close now. Next week, be prepared for a checkup, a review, to make a resume, to repunctuate uh, in your mind what you have learned. Today will be a terrific time together, and I want to share with you, we'll begin in our textbook, Healing the Sick, we're over to about page 35 for today. Now we're going to share with you, as a scriptural base today, Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Now here are some terrific verses. You're far enough along now, I'm beginning to put heavy stuff on you, because you're not babies anymore. It's time to start walking tall. This truth is working in you. He ordained 12. Well, you say that left me out. I'm not one of them. I am. He ordained me. I'll show you a little bit later where he ordained you. Okay. He ordained 12. Why? What did he ordain them for? What are you about in life? What is God's blessing upon you for? Here's what it says. He ordained twelve, number one, that they should be with him. Isn't that terrific? Lo, I am with you. Lo, you can be with me. I like it that way too. I walk with him. He walks with me. He ordained twelve, number one. Why? Number one, that they should be with him. Number two, that he might send them to preach or teach or tell or witness or sow or talk or minister. Who cares whether it's preach or teach? Who wants to, as the French say, couper le cheveu en quatre? Who wants to split hairs four ways and say, oh, I'm a teacher? Oh, I'm just a witness. Well, I'm a preacher. Who cares? Is the prostitute interested in that? 
Is the poor fellow out here that's got mortgages in debt about to go bankrupt, does he care whether you're a preacher or a teacher or a witness or what? No. The world is hurting. We're talking about, this course is a course on the ministry of healing the sick. I don't care what you call yourself. Just go share Jesus. He ordained them that they should, number one, be with him. Never forget it. You're with him as well as him with you. Number two, that he should send you to tell the story. Number three, and to have power, H-A-V-E, say have. Have dynamite, dunamis. He ordained them to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. You have that. You like that? Now that's what I believe. I believe I'm ordained of God. I was ordained by preachers. That didn't impress me very much. But God ordained me. That impresses me very much. Because when God ordained me, He ordained me that I could be with Him. And you know, I have a feeling His ordination rests upon everyone He calls. And that's you and all of those unbelievers you're going to preach to and get to accept Christ's call. I tell them, I'm only interested in one call. What is that call? Jesus said, come and follow me, and I will make you. Let's show the world that. Let's share that with the world. Well, do you want to take a trip in the gospel of T.L. and Daisy? <laughs> Let's go over to France. You know, France is one of the toughest nations and one of the bleakest spiritually in the world. Well, I hope that doesn't offend anybody. I hope if French people hear me say that, you won't be offended. I've been all over France. I know. You're a Frenchman. You say it's not that way here. What do you know? You've just been in France. <laughs> Take it from me. I've been all over the world. I can compare you with Japan and compare you with Africa and compare you with Mexico. And compare... It's one of the tough ones. But truth is breaking out all over France in a great way, and things are happening. And you know, in a mysterious way, God has raised up the gypsy people of France to stir the fires of France. In the city called Rennes, we've just come in from one of the greatest days we've witnessed in France. Thousands of gypsies in their conveyances formed a great parade and came singing and marching through the city to the campaign grounds. It was impressive and very large. After the people gathered on the grounds, I preached on water baptism and led them in a great prayer for salvation as many received Christ and were born again. Wrapping up the campaign, we built a big baptistry on top of the platform and used tarpaulins, waterproof tarpaulins, and lined it and created a baptistry. 
Then the baptismal service began. Our daughter, LaDonna Carroll, she was the first to be baptized by the gypsy pastors. Wasn't that nice? We thought that was nice. Then followed the others. Many could be seen going down into the water, weeping and coming up, praising God. Then a Muslim from Algeria came confessing that he wanted to be baptized since he had believed on Jesus Christ and had accepted him in the crusade, and he was baptized. And we all rejoiced. He went to the microphone and gave his testimony of faith in Jesus Christ, declaring that his entire life was now dedicated to follow Jesus. Then a man who is an outstanding gypsy nightclub singer came and testified that he too had been gloriously saved today and he must be baptized. <laughs> he had on a beautiful suit and he had run to the nearby shops to see if he could buy clothes to be baptized in, but he couldn't. So he returned quickly to keep from missing his opportunity. He confessed that he had been a very unclean man and a terrible sinner, but now he was completely saved and so happy. His wife was by his side in tears, and together, beautiful clothes and all, they were baptized in water. It was wonderful. Hallelujah. Wonderful things. Many others came and testified and were baptized too. I was particularly impressed by two outstanding gypsy violinists who had played in the gypsy orchestra. They came to be baptized. One is very, very old, very witty, lively, and an excellent musician. In fact, he played for President Theodore Roosevelt when he was a young musician. Isn't that beautiful? The other one is considered to be the best gypsy violinist alive. He was converted a few days ago. And these two great musicians went into the tank and were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that terrific? Wonderful things. Before they were baptized, I asked the orchestra, and you haven't heard music till you hear a gypsy orchestra, a Holy Ghost-filled gypsy orchestra in France play. God is going to call on them in heaven to play special redemption songs. I expect Phil Driscoll get to be in on it with them <laughs> and a few more people. So I asked the orchestra to play a beautiful gypsy hymn as these two great gypsy musicians were buried with Christ in the waters of baptism. Hundreds of people wept as the orchestra played like angels. When they rose from the water, the crowd rejoiced and glorified God. Hundreds were baptized. Only God knows the glory of this occasion today. This great city of Rennes will never be the same. I thank God that we were there. Praise the Lord. And as the French would say, Gloire à Dieu pour tout ce que le Seigneur a fait pour ceux qui ont cru que Jésus est ressuscité d'entre les morts et qu'il est vivant aujourd'hui. Isn't it so? Isn't it so? Sure. Sure. Let's jump over to Holland and see what God's doing over in Holland. This Holland crusade is truly historic. The greatest crowds ever in Europe's history to receive the gospel 
face to face. Police claimed that from 120 to 150,000 were gathered on the Malierfeld grounds tonight. That's the very place where Hitler came and harangued the Holland people when he bulldozed, butchered his way through Holland. And on that same field, we erected a great platform, and there we preached Jesus to the people. It was terrific. There were at least a hundred policemen present. I don't know how many scores of Red Cross nurses and staffmen, stretchers and trucks were on duty. They have gathered all spare wheelchairs and cots from this entire area. To watch them was like watching an ambulance corps on a battlefield serving the wounded and the helpless. The papers, the radio, the TV, all are favorable in their news coverage. I never saw anything to equal what happened in Holland. God caught them by surprise. And even the journalists didn't have a chance to get their negative guns cocked. They were just caught up in so much good that they didn't have time to dig up and get all of this negative theology and cynicism. God sometimes pulls surprises on people. The committee had been uneasy about the chief of police who has been quite demanding on us to have everything just so. Well, Holland is like that, you know. Europe is like that. And so he was tough on us all right. They thought he might be looking for technical reasons to curtail the campaign. But today, the committee secretary was summoned to the office of the chief of police who had also gathered together a large number of his top men. Before them all, he told his men how he believed that this was of God and that he was very, very thankful that such a meeting and such wonders of God could take place in his city, Holland's capital. So the spooky preachers didn't have to worry anymore. <laughs> the chief of police said, go to it. It's great. It seems almost unprecedented to me the way this nation is doing everything possible to make this campaign a great success. Tonight, I preached on John 3.16. You notice the kind of sermons I preach every time I read any of this to you? Never have we seen a mass of people more attentive. Literally thousands accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and were born again when we invited them to decide for Christ. Then we prayed for the great mass of people and miracles of healing were everywhere. There's no way I could convey the glory of this meeting. A girl who was 90% blind was completely healed. You understand only a few could ever get up to testify. Hundreds were healed that we never did know anything about. A fine man who had a severe back injury, a cancer on his nose, and a double rupture was perfectly made whole. The back injury was gone, the cancer was gone, and his double rupture was gone. A woman who had been in a wheelchair for 21 years was perfectly healed. During the message, she just got up and began to walk and was made entirely whole. 
Then she ran to the platform to show everyone how she could run and even jump. Then a funny thing happened. When she went down from the platform, she couldn't find her wheelchair. It was gone. At the hotel that night, a government information agency man told me that he saw her running about everywhere so happy, but looking for her wheelchair, and she never did find it. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Wonderful things happen in these meetings. A lad took off the steel braces from his legs that had been paralyzed by polio. He walked back and forth on the platform to show that his legs were perfectly healed. A man on two crutches was marvelously healed and came across the platform carrying his crutches. Another man who could only walk with the aid of two canes was healed. He too came rejoicing, carrying and waving his canes. A woman in a wheelchair got up and was healed. She was so happy. A lady was healed of cancer of the breast. It was gone. Another lady was healed of a hernia. A man was healed of asthma. An old woman, totally blind, was carried to the crusade in a wheelchair. That dear old lady was completely healed. She really raised a shout in the camp when her blind eyes came open. And then she got up out of her wheelchair and began to walk normally. She could see everything clearly and could walk as good as anybody could walk. It was really amazing because she was a real heavy woman. <laughs> there were scores of other marvelous miracles and as usual, Hundreds raised their hands in the audience saying that they were healed but couldn't get near the platform. Holland can never forget this day and can never be the same again. You want some more good stuff? Jesus said, If you'll abide in me, in John 15 verse 4, and me in you, then you can ask what you will and it shall be done. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. Live in the Word. Believe in the Word. Preach the Word. Give the Word. Let the Word pour through you. You are hooked to the vine. What can a grapevine produce other than grapes? What can a Jesus branch produce other than Jesus? What is Jesus? Perfection. Happiness, health, wealth, tranquility, peace, abundance, life, zoe, dunamis, dynamite, terrific, Jesus. Amen? I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If he's in you, you'll bring forth many Jesus people. Set as the crusade, as the goal of your life, my dear student friend, that you shall embark upon life with one goal. I, by the grace of God, shall make Jesus people. I shall make people like Jesus. You can't do that barking at them. You can't do that scolding them, condemning them jabbing your finger at them, arguing with them. It always makes me a little nervous to hear a preacher with an argument in his voice. Analyze yourself. Keep the argument out of your voice. Keep peace. Be tranquil. 
be dynamic, be happy, be turned on. But you've got one mission, make people like Jesus, and you'll succeed. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered and so forth. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. You can pray and get prayers answered. Herein is my Father glorified that you make lots of Jesus people, that you bear much fruit. What is your fruit? Jesus in people. Verse 16. Here's the goodie. You have not chosen me. I have chosen you. And, you want the next word? Ordained you. Why? Why did he ordain you? That you should go. Go someplace. Move. Go get them. The world is yours. Take your choice. Don't waste time waiting on a call. Go. Jesus said, I've chosen you that you should go. Is that all? No. And that you should bring forth fruit. Make Jesus people. I've ordained you. You can do it. Go. And the third thing, that your fruit should remain. Believe that when you give people the gospel and they accept it, that they are born again and that they will remain and be strong, they'll do it. I've ordained you. I've chosen you. Fourth, that whatsoever you shall ask in my name, The Father will give it to you. Isn't that terrific? That's what I believe. And I spend my life telling people those things. Healing the sick. The ministry of healing the sick. You know God wants us to be healed. Physically healed. Physical healing. Of course, nothing is as important as spiritual healing. But physical healing is so close to us because we, our spirits, our being, we are shut up in this physical, we are locked in this physical body. This physical body is hooked up to a nerve system. We hear, smell, taste, feel, see. Five senses. We are locked in this house that hears, smells, tastes, feels, sees. A nerve system. A system that if that finger hurts, it'll send a signal up to my brain and it will occupy my brain and I can't hardly think about anything else. Think about that. That's why physical healing is so important as a ministry. Help people be healed. Pain is the number one attention getter. When people suffer, they can't think about other people and help other people. A Christian who suffers 
pain in their body cannot carry out the ministry of Jesus as Jesus wants them to because they hurt. I get fed up sometimes with all the preachers giving all the theological reasons about why God wants to heal the sick and all these fancy reasons. I know all those fancy reasons. But the real reason God wants people to be physically healed is because he don't want people to hurt. He has compassion. Do you? A doctor will study for 10 or 12 years or more because he wants to give his life to help people not hurt. How about us? How about you and me? How much time will we dedicate? Will we care as much for the physical being of people, the physical comfort of people? Will we care as much as a doctor who maybe doesn't even claim to believe in Christ? Doesn't brag about having compassion? Doesn't make no big deal about the sacrifice that his family's made or the years he spent in school? Do we care as much as a doctor? What are we bragging about anyway? Huh? How can we be messengers of Jesus Christ and not be interested in sick people? Everywhere the Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion toward the sick. I pray that a compassion will be born in you today. And I've given you the reason. Pain in the body, discomfort in the body is the number one attention getter. And if the devil by pain and sickness can hold people's attention then they can't pray as they would like to they can't minister as they would like to they cannot witness as they would like to they cannot go out and help people as they would like to because they become self-centered with their own pain not because they want to be but because when that pain is flashing on that brain boy it'll get your attention I don't want to hurt I don't want people to hurt. God don't want anybody to hurt. Our bodies are made not to register pain, but to be vibrant with this Zoe, this dunamis, this life from Jesus in us, vibrating in us. Oh boy, it feels good. You feel good? I feel good. I get up every morning feeling good. And when I look at people who are suffering, I say, thank you, Lord, that you've allowed me to be a channel of mercy and compassion to hurting people. God wants hurting people not to hurt so much that he offers many ways to be healed. Not just one way. I love Kenneth Hagin. He always, when he goes to pray for the sick, senior and junior as well, but he will always explain so patiently. Now, I do it this way. I line them up and I touch them and God heals that way. But he will always explain. That doesn't mean everybody has to do it that way. God may use another man to do it another way. Isn't that beautiful? I remember a day when all the preachers, they did it their way, and someone else did it some other way, and then they had them a good sermon to go to Lambast, and everybody else say, you got to do it my way to be right. Isn't it beautiful today what's happening? 
unity in the body of Christ, love for people. God offers so many different ways. And in our textbook, we've included all several chapters. One, asking in Jesus' name. Another chapter, if any two shall agree, you can get it. Another chapter, the elders can anoint with oil and the sick can get healed. Another chapter, you can lay hands on the sick and they'll be healed. Another chapter, you can bless a cloth and send it and they'll be healed. Another chapter, healing in redemption. And then it goes on and on and on. We'll be treating all those subjects as we get to them. Today, a few remarks in this lesson number 12 about asking the Father in Jesus' name. One method of being healed. Not the only one, but one. Jesus' name. John 14, 13, whatever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified. It makes him happy and brings him glory when you pray in the name of Jesus and help somebody. Terrific. John 16, 23, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. You can't beat that for a promise, can you? According to these scriptures, we have the family right to ask the Father for healing in the name of Jesus Christ and receive healing. 1 John 5, 14, if we ask anything according to his will, Oh, you say, there it is. See, it might not be his will. No, 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 no. That means according to his promise. According to his will means according to his promise. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his promise, we know he hears us. You can know God hears you. And if we know he hears us, we know we have the petitions that we desired of him. That's faith. You believe that? Mark eleven twenty four. What things soever, isn't that a beautiful promise? What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. But, Remember, your desire and your prayer must be in the name of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, verses 9 and 10. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name. Say a name. Which is above every name. Say above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. Angels, people, and demons shall bow to the name of Jesus. I love that. Beings in the three worlds honor that name. Smith Wigglesworth tells about praying in the room of a man dying of tuberculosis, dying of tuberculosis. And he was impressed to do nothing but walk around his bed, back and forth, back and forth, saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
Jesus. And it wasn't long until the tubercular man, terminal, was turned on with new life from heaven and was healed and raised up, perfectly cured, the name of Jesus. I know what that means. Many a time, standing before a great mass of people, I've finished my message, invited people to be saved, multitudes converted, and then when I go to pray, I would cry out over the microphone. I call over this body of people the exalted and holy name of Jesus Christ. And I charge every demon and every spirit to bow to that name and clear out of here. For I give dominance to the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ. And just make my prayer like that. Never say anything else. Just say that over and over for a little while. And I'll tell you, I've never done it yet. When <laughs> things didn't start happening, people start jumping, people start getting well, cripples get well. Praise the Lord. Peter said to the cripple in Acts 3, 6, Such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he leaping, jumping, rejoiced with them, praising God. Boy, didn't that turn things on in Jerusalem. They all gathered around gawking, how'd you do that? We thought Jesus was dead. Yeah, Peter said, you thought so, but you killed the wrong one. God brought him back to life again. And how do you think that made him feel? The man we murdered is loose and free on the streets again. The people who ridiculed him as he hung on the cross, those who crucified him must have thought, boy, I hope he don't meet me in a dark alley. I helped kill him. I was jubilant when he died. I felt we had gotten rid of the great plague, the great curse, the great nuisance of the public. Did we kill the wrong man? Is he alive again? He said, how'd you do it? Peter said, see, you killed the wrong man. He's alive again. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man whole whom you see and know so well. And I proclaim that all over the world. If Jesus is dead, His name has no power. If Jesus is alive again, then his name has the same power that it had before they killed him. And I believe that. I always preach that. I always explain that patiently to the people. And God always proves it. Acts chapter 16, verse 18. Paul said to the demon in the woman, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And the insane woman was healed. You ever do that? I've done that. That's fun. That's wonderful to be able to do. You can do that. You can do that. Do it in the name of Jesus. I preached in Japan, a great campaign there in Kyoto. Afterwards, we preached to the preachers and to the people, teaching the Christians. And a young man 
He took me serious. He believed he could do it. He went downtown in front of a club, a nightclub. And there's the place he stopped and started preaching. He stopped a blind person on the street, prayed for them in the name of Jesus, and their eyes come open. And he had a crowd. Fresh faith. He just went out there and did it. Don't be hesitant. We have the name. Hallelujah. You believe that? When Jesus sent the 74th in Luke 10 and 17, it says, And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through thy name. They found out his name had power. Terrific. I found that out. I use it. He wants me to. Now he said, don't get too carried away about that. The important thing is that people's names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life in heaven. That's the main thing. Amen. But there's none other name given under heaven among men whereby they can get their names written in heaven but the name of Jesus. Acts 4.12. E.W. Kenyon says, when Jesus gave us the right to use that name, the Father knew all that name would imply when breathed in prayer by oppressed souls. And it is always his joy to recognize that name. The possibilities involved in that name are beyond our understanding. When Jesus says, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he's giving us a sane check on the resources of heaven and asking us to fill it in. What a privilege. If you are in need of healing, begin a study of the resources of Jesus in order to get a measure of the wealth that name holds for you today. It is yours to use today. Jesus said so. Believe that he told the truth and begin to use his name in prayer today. Jesus is saying, you ask the Father in my name, I will endorse that petition, and the Father will give you anything I have endorsed. Beautiful, isn't it? As we take our privileges and rights in the new covenant and pray in Jesus' name, it appears that the request and the petition passes out of our hands into the hands of Jesus. He then assumes the responsibility of that need, and we know that he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hearest me, and I know that thou hearest me always. In other words, we know that the Father always hears Jesus, and when we pray in Jesus' name, it is as though Jesus himself were doing the praying. He takes our place. The answer is sent to us from the Father, and we rejoice. Isn't that terrific? Praise the Lord. I think that's wonderful. Whatsoever, John 14, 13, 14, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Say, I will do it. God says that. I'll never forget the night a young lad saw me praying for the sick. He was 17 years old. His name was Wilberforce Morris. At the age of nine, he had had a terrible case of typhoid fever. A long weeks of fever in his country where they had no cure and not much help for him at all. That fever destroyed his eardrums, his hearing nerves, 
and his vocal cords. Destroyed them. Fever literally destroyed them. They withered away, and he was left stone deaf and mute. Later, both his father and his mother died, and he was left a roving beggar, a little orphan boy out on the streets. But he had learned to read and write before he was nine, so he communicated by notes, and he always had a piece of paper and a little pencil with him in his pocket. A kind woman knew his plight and found out about him and took him into her home as her son. Before he was deaf, he had learned to play the clarinet. So despite his illness, stone deaf and mute, not even a squeak, he continued to study music. And the woman was so touched by his ambition to study music that she paid for his lessons and let him study music in school, put him through school like you would your own child. Isn't that a touching story? So he studied music and was allowed to because the school supervisor was touched by his case and touched by this fine woman willing to pay for his lessons. Now that's his story. Then they heard about our meeting and they came and they watched. Wilberforce watched me pray for people. And he saw so many miracles and he decided God can do that for me too. Now he couldn't hear anything. They would let him read. He could read, see. But he said, God do that for me. And he got his chance. Hallelujah. Each night he'd get closer to the front. One night I saw him. And you know, when you see somebody like that, boy, you can spot them. I can spot them in a crowd anywhere. And I saw him, and I knew he was right. That's the same thing as Paul, when he saw that man in Lystra, you know, crippled from his birth, and he perceiving that he had faith to be healed. I saw him, and I called him. And he come, and he didn't stand up. He knelt. He come right up to me and landed on his knees. I placed my hands on his head, my fingers in his ears. Oh, I was burning. And I commanded the deaf and dumb spirit to come out of him in the mighty name of Jesus, I called over him that name. Well, don't ever forget faith. You don't go by what you hear, feel, taste, smell, or see. You go by what this says. Not a thing happened. Not a change. I had such peace, I knew the miracle had taken place. That's faith. If you know what that is, you can have faith. So he looked up at me. He was crying. I touched his chin. I said, get up. He stood up. And as he stood there, all of a sudden, he heard the people. And they began to sing. And he heard it. And he began to cry. His ears were open. He went home. He couldn't speak a word. The next morning, he woke up. He had the voice of a perfect boy. That boy became one of the special singers in his church. Perfectly healed. The name of Jesus. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. In the name of Jesus, I bless you.